Welcome to the Grand Theft World podcast, hosted and sponsored by the fine members over at the GrandTheftWorld.com members room. Thanks for everyone uh, for showing up for tonight's live show. We are coming to you tonight at the speed of science. This is episode 103. It is October 23rd, 2022. We have a a plethora of stories tonight, a cornucopia of content that we're going to unfold over the next six or seven hours with with analysis and uh, some historical deep dives so you can understand the context, make better decisions during the week. We're going to cover stories like just when you thought the pandemic was over. In the last pandemic, COVID killed uh, 1%, generous number. They had to go and do the like the new and improved thing. Now the Boston COVID lab has one that's uh, 80% effective. You might say if the goal was mortality, they've raised it through gain of function to 80%. We're going to dig into that very concerning story tonight. Why are they still doing these types of experiments? Why are they doing research like this in America at all? Do we have to do it before the enemy does it? Or are these types of uh, uses of science without consciousness, without conscience, might that be the real type of terrorism out there? We'll get into that story. We also have stories like the CDC is back and they got a new and improved plan for your child's immune system. And that pandemic that killed 1% of adults and didn't really touch children. Well, the kids are going to have to get jabbed, jabbed to get a public school government education. If they want to participate in society, they got to take the experimental gene uh, synthetic uh, concoction that they're giving people. And I think that's also likewise, very concerning. So, These regulatory groups that are making decisions from on high, I think we have to learn how to challenge them, and we can't challenge them until we get to the news about what they're doing, and then we can make some intellectual decisions from there. Uh, We also have a story that I would like to call the apotheosis of Alex Jones. It's an example of what happens when society decides to attack somebody who's become, over the years, anti-fragile. Through all the attacks, he's just getting stronger and stronger. And while they laid a decision, they hope to get $2.78 trillion from Mr. Jones. I think what they've done is jump the shark. They've just shown everybody it's not about justice for the tragedies that befell those families, but rather it's about money, power, politics. And it's getting pretty ugly with the uh, egregious nature of these these rewards, these awards, because when you compare when you compare it to other corporations in history, and you know, uh, Union Carbide killed a hundred thousand people in India. Did they have to pay two point seven eight trillion dollars? I don't think so. So all these mega corporations with corporate personhood, they can go out and commit mass murder and genocide, and not be held accountable. And some guy in Texas who moves his mouth the wrong way, two point seven eight trillion dollars. So we're going to get into that. We're also going to get into some incendiary comments made against the Israelites and Hebrews this week. We'll get to yay, but there was also Ethan Klein, who had some very caustic words leveled at Ben Shapiro, who I'm not really a fan of, but I'm a fan of humanity. And when you're expressing yourself in inhumane or unhuman ways, I think it deserves uh, notice. I think it deserves analysis. I think it deserves people recognizing Who's protected by YouTube and Susan Wojcinski and uh, who's banned and censored and canceled because Klein is preserved in that YouTube infrastructure and other people who say things that are less incendiary get deep six. So we're going to get into stories like that. Also tonight, sitting in second chair, we've got the uh, the host of the Rebunk podcast, Scott Armstrong. Scotty, how you doing? Well, Richard, I'm doing pretty fantastic. Thank you so much for having me on. I uh, hope Tony's getting some uh, relaxation this evening. And uh, yeah, man, honored to be here. 
Yeah, Tony's got some R&R, so we asked Scott to sit in. So we're going to be having some fresh perspectives on some of these stories. And uh, also, uh, Ryan Christian might pop in later, earlier, sooner. We don't know. You'll have to stay tuned while we go to tonight's stories. And um, we might also get to a clip from the first week of Jay Dyer's Philosophy 101 course. It's currently in production. We might have a little sample because I did see a sample of it air in another podcast over the weekend. So we might be able to play that. It's going to get really exciting. Be sure to hang out. We're going to go first to Luke Radowski of the best political shirts.com. And uh, we'll be right back after his weekly summary. Wow, absolutely crazy footage coming out of Ukraine, and who would have thought? Even Russian fighter pilot jets need to dash cams in their vehicles. Welcome back, beautiful and amazing human beings. This is Okudowski here of WeAreChange.org, and we have a lot of very serious news to get into today, as of course there's a lot of things happening here domestically inside of the United States that show a very troubling sign for a political discourse, similar to, of course, to what just happened in China. Are we there yet? Well, we're going to be asking that question later on today, as well as more importantly, giving you a bigger update on the proxy conflict between, of course, the East and the West. Lots of crazy news to get into there. Lots of corruption, crazy predictions by Dr. Doom. And now, as of today, in the making of this video, Russia warning about, quote, uncontrolled escalations. What are they talking about? Well, we're going to be describing that plus a lot more here in this independent media broadcast. But before we begin, the clip that we played in the beginning of this broadcast was a clip that I just saw on uh, Reddit being shared around widely of a Russian Su-25 fighter jet being shot down over Ukraine. Crazy footage, insane footage, giving you a small window to see the intensity of war that a lot of people face there every single day. Insanity brought to us by politicians that of course are taking your money and then blowing up fighter jets with them. Very expensive fighter jets, just like very expensive San Francisco public Bathrooms, as we found out today from the local Fox affiliate in San Francisco, that the city there is building one single public toilet that will cost the taxpayer there $1.7 million. And to add insult to injury, won't even be completed until 2025. This showing you the perfect representation of a big bureaucratic state that loves to spend your money as the representative from that very corrupted, bureaucratic, mafia-esque jurisdiction came out today, one of the richest people in the world, one of the best stock traders, better than Warren Buffett himself, Nancy Pelosi, came out and literally tried to say that we need to change the subject on inflation. Inflation that, of course, is caused by governments printing money, spending money that they don't have, which, of course, devalues the purchasing power of the dollar because there's too many in circulation that the government just willy-nilly prints out of nowhere. Actions partly orchestrated by Nancy Pelosi, who said this today. Is, is that uh, when I hear people talk about inflation, as I heard him there, we have to change that subject. Yeah, that would be very convenient, as, of course, inflation has hit so high 
that even family members are demanding trillions of dollars, specifically $2.7 trillion from a radio talk show host that dared to express some opinions, opinions that I personally didn't agree with myself, statements and assertions I didn't agree with myself, but, but I think it's fair to say that it's a bit egregious to be penalized nearly $1 billion with other parties now demanding $2.7 trillion for simply expressing unpopular ideas. As of course, a lot of people see this as a mainly politically motivated trial, just like the trial of Steve Bannon, another individual who was just sentenced to four months in prison for the crime of being held contempt of Congress. Now, it's also important to note that a lot of people routinely are held in contempt of, of Congress. Bill Maher, Eric Holder, Janet Reno, Henry Kissinger, to name a few. And yet they never were sentenced, never went on trial, and never punished. Just like Steve Bannon was and sent to a jail for four months for what is shaping up to be a political show trial, just like they have in China, where the communist political party faithfully just endorsed Xi Jinping's core policies and positions while approving a sweep reshuffling that not only had his rival step down but literally be escorted out of the building this says of course the current president of china was just re-elected for a third term and most likely will be the leader of china for many years to come as of course he is galvanizing control of that country under his thumb this says of course many multinational western corporations and billionaire thought leaders usually like to congratulate and thank china for all the work that they've been doing and see them as an inspiration for a society that they're trying to set up here. Will they be successful? Well, I think it's worth asking, will you allow this to happen? Will you speak out against this or will you be silenced? Well, that's a question that I think a lot of people should be asking themselves, as I think it's fair to say that we're slowly ever encroaching a Chinese totalitarian society that, of course, tries to stifle out any kind of critical thinking, which perfectly represents the shirt that I'm wearing right now, which you could get on thebestpoliticalshirts.com. Very interestingly, CBS News came out with a report just moments ago talking about how the U.S. Army's 101st Airborne Unit is practicing for war with Russia just miles away from the Ukrainian border. And in this specific video report, they detailed that these drills, these practices are, quote, not just about defending NATO territory, and then went on to detail how specifically the U.S. military is, quote, fully prepared to cross over into Ukrainian territory, leaving a lot of people watching this news broadcast saying to themselves, why? Why are we Why are we doing this? What's the strategy here? What's the geopolitical objective? What's the larger goal here? Well, I haven't heard any, especially when it comes from the U.S. military leaders, especially when it comes to the politicians setting up these policies, setting up these war games, setting up these drills, sending tons of weaponry into a conflict that represents a larger proxy conflict. And with more arms being sent, the more likelihood that this conflict will be prolonged. And with this prolonging of this conflict faces a lot of consequences, consequences that I think a lot of Americans should be asking themselves as, of course, there is a lot of corruption with all the parties involved here specifically the Ukrainians, the Russians, which the Biden family has been doing extensive business deals with to the tune of tens of millions of dollars. Hunter Biden's real estate company received $40 million in investment from a Russian oligarch. Joe Biden's son was working for Burisma Oil, a nationalized energy company in Ukraine that clearly was spending way too much money for him for unspecified unknown reasons. So when aggressive policies are put into play and there's no reason for them actually given, we should be asking 
asking ourselves what's what's really going on here as of course there's a high degree of corruption being possible here this as of course there's a lot of stake here as even an nyu economics professor and ceo of a consultant company is coming out today and predicting a nuclear attack from russia specifically impacting one of america's largest cities new york city this dr doom specifically saying that this is going to happen within the next two decades by the way this is also the same man who 16 years ago correctly predicted the collapse of the housing market and the emerging of a worldwide recession which he's been right about and we have to ask ourselves is this dr doom being a negative nancy or is he reading the writing on the walls well only time will tell and we'll be able to find out if his prediction was accurate and all of this is happening as very interestingly there has been a lot of communication between russia and the united states with specific phone calls between the defense ministers and secretaries all of this as there has been a lot of chatter and conversations specific specifically about false flag attacks russia is saying the united states and ukraine will set one off while of course the united states is saying russia will set one off as of course specifically there's a talk of a major dam being destroyed in the south of ukraine which would flood a major portion of the territory there unleashing what is being described as eight million tons of water which of course would negatively affect the energy sector of ukraine which already is being targeted and hit by the russians as already one third of the power grid in ukraine has been taken offline as we're also finding out that 90 percent of wind power solar power facilities have been destroyed during this large conflict which i want to talk about in in just a little bit as of course it's also important to note here that as of today the russians are making new allegations as they are informing a bunch of western nations that ukraine will plan to quote detonate a dirty nuclear bomb on its territory ukraine is of course denying this larger allegation but whether these allegations are true or not they are paving the groundwork for what is clearly the larger possibility of a nuclear bomb going off in that country which, which of course would change things very dramatically with specifically the russian defense minister coming out and saying that the situation in ukraine is deteriorating and quote trending towards uncontrolled escalations and whether it's going to be a false flag attack a real attack we don't know exactly what's happening there's a thing called fog of war truth is usually the first casualty of war but but seeing the, this rhetoric seeing the, the the groundwork being laid down highlights some very troubling news when it comes to this entire conflict which is sure bound to be escalated as there is no one and nothing trying to de-escalate it right now i think it's fair to say that we're seeing a war of attrition being launched against the ukrainians and the russians the russians specifically are now having their supply of iranian drones being targeted as we're learning today that there was an israeli linked airstrike that hit an iranian drone factory iranian drones that have been having a lot of success for the russians inside of ukraine the russians have been predominantly targeting the infrastructure now of ukraine and regardless of what your political perspective is or where you stand on this issue or who you're rooting for it doesn't matter i think it's fair to say that this is absolutely insane unnecessary who's what's the purpose here what's the goal here why aren't there any de-escalations why aren't there any negotiations there, there's none of that and i think it's fair to say that we are on a pathway that makes you consider that dr doomsday might not be that far off when it comes to his far-fetched prediction that we talked about earlier in this broadcast what do you think is he being a negative nancy 
or is he being realistic? Let me know what you think in the comment section below. Press one if you think negative Nancy. Press two if you think he's seeing things correctly here on the ground. I'm very curious to see what you guys think. He definitely is providing some very interesting perspectives on this entire topic, which I, I think we should realize when it comes to the larger circumstances involving everything and everyone when it comes to this proxy war. A lot of concerning news there that Luke's bringing to the table. First off, I thought we were seeing some scene on a red dawn at the beginning. You know, you see some parachute dropping from the air. I, I was like, what's this? Oh, that's uh, just the war going on over there that should have been over in April when they tried to have peace. But then the British prime minister, who's no longer there, came in and said, you can't have that. Boris Johnson said, you can't have peace. We got to keep the war going because the United States and the UK, they're the world's biggest arms dealers. They don't just milk the citizens for the, the tax money. They also got some arms dealing on the side. Now, for the past two weeks, you've got four hours of content into the they, them, those naming the names. Whitney Webb's book, One Nation Under Blackmail, covers all the Iran-Contra criminals, all the BCCI criminals, all the stuff that led up to Epstein's modern network. And with him gone, that network still operates. He's the front man. He's not the people behind it. He's not the people wiring the houses, collecting the data, storing the data, doing the blackmail. He's the, he's the guy, he's the maitre d' of the thing. And it's, it's still going on out there. So World War III brewing <clears throat> that shouldn't be going on. A lot of criminals running rampant who should be accountable to justice. And meanwhile, you know, society's distracted because yay and Alex Jones said some mean words, which I don't think people should say mean words. I don't think they should have meanness or hatred in their heart, but I'm, I can't control everybody. I'm not looking to. I'm just looking to be me. So um, commenting on that first story, what do you think, Scott? Is there anything concerning in Luke's report for Sunday? Oh, you're muted. Mute. Yeah. Look at that. Okay. Okay. Rookie mistake. So, yeah, I mean, just his sentiment at the end there is really just, you know, just loud and clear. Like, why is nobody asking for any sort of de-escalation? Why isn't there like any sort of movement towards like a solution to this problem, you know, which tells you everything you need to know. Like, this is a contrived thing that people are profiting from and people are uh, – this this parasite class is reveling in the fact that this is happening like they're, they're getting everything that they need they're they're getting their weapons they're getting all their their uh their money laundering happening it's just like it's just insane man i just i'm it's been hard for me to follow this story because it's just it, it's so contrived and just like not everything from the from the very beginning it's just been like one deception after another you know to, to just drive this narrative home and it's just uh the propaganda around it's just like it's so demoralizing honestly in a lot of ways it's just like can't we just get past this is there any any way out of this other than some sort of nuclear conflict like what why is that even a part of the discussion and it's just so maddening and then ah man it just it, it aggravates me really you know like i wish we could just go back to the days of just rallying against all these wars why can't we just go back to the good old days of just like protesting wars and stuff but no well because the anti-war group's in power right now so now yeah. they're pro-war Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Kind of how that works. Now, I was thinking maybe because Boris Johnson had told Ukraine, like, you guys got to keep the war going in April and Boris Johnson's out. I was hoping that Liz Truss, the UK prime minister, the shortest duration of UK prime ministership in history, she lasted six weeks before she had to resign. I was hoping she was going to fix it. Not really. I wasn't that naive, but I'm just saying like, you know, maybe they'll end World War Three and a woman stopped it. But she was like, I can't stop this or she's not going to or it's not whatever her orders were otherwise. And they fired her. And uh, now we're going to see what the next prime minister does. Now we have a United States president that's got everyone in America, all Ukraine flagged up. 
for the past almost a year now. It's probably been nine months. And uh, the enormous amount of U.S. taxpayer funding that has gone over to Ukraine just because U.S. is in NATO, basically, that's the justification. Otherwise, we wouldn't be sending any money over to Ukraine because historically uh, we take care of our own people or that's what the tax dollars are supposed to be used for in the uh, schoolhouse rock version of how things work. Right. So it's concerning to see that they just keep dumping more money into that situation over there. It's almost like putting more wood on the fire and we're hoping the fire is going to go out. And they're like, no, we're trying to make it bigger. And to us, it's like bigger means nuclear weapons in world war three. And we're really trying to avoid that. And they're like, no, let's make it bigger. So this is like the modern generation of the people who developed nuclear weapons in the first place when they thought it might, you know, just uh, light up the whole atmosphere and incendiary, uh, you know, make uh, earth go up like a candle and they did it anyway. Are those same type of uh, Dr. Strange love characters running the show today in the name of uh, dollar sign science? I don't yeah. know. The other thing that's so crazy too is like, okay, so it, another part that just lends itself to the contrived, just like, fictional nature i don't want to say fictional but just like okay so like how is america sending billions of dollars to ukraine not an act of war like how is russia not responding to the fact that we are giving them money and now in the story that luke was talking about is now now there's reports of like these you know u.s military people like right there on the front lines like how are these not considered acts of war how are they how are these like not considered uh things that they are going to then retaliate against you know what i mean like i don't know it's crazy well the side doing the aggression uh disguises their aggression by redefining the words and that's why you got to look outside of just one country's narrative on things and say, look, this is how this NATO sees it this way. The Russians see it this way. India sees it this way, right? Take, take the, like, I like to look at countries and what they're saying. They don't have anything to do with it because then they're rational. They're logical. They're not making any money from the arms deals. They're not getting any money from the lobbyists. They don't have any part of the corporate corruption chain that goes back 60 years in this country. So you can get a better feel for information by not just listening to one or the other, but like uh, by passing it around, mm-hmm. checking out. Yeah. yeah, definitely. We got Big uh, Ryan in the house. Looks like, hey. Yeah, so he's gonna yeah. watch. Uh, he'll watch Christy Lee with us, and then uh, we can talk about that. Cool. All right, so uh, control room. We're gonna go to Christy Lee's this week in media malfeasance, and then when we come back, we'll get fact up with Ryan. Let's get <laughs> fact up on G- GTW. We'll be right back. This week, the CDC Independent Advisory Board unanimously voted to put the COVID-19 mRNA jabs on the 2023 vaccine schedule, despite a massive public outcry to not include them. The board responded by saying just because they're added to the schedule doesn't mean it will be required for students to attend school. So why recommend? One thing this CNN Health article doesn't include is the rationale for including this brand new vax, which seems like a pretty important subject to cover. Thomas Massey points this out. Here's a slide from the CDC meeting today on childhood vaccines. Children 5 to 17 aren't even measurable on this graph. So why would CDC recommend COVID jabs be part of the childhood vaccine schedule? By the way, this is people in the hospital testing COVID positive, not due to COVID. Some are suggesting the motivation is the liability protection the recommendation provides. If jab makers can get approval and recommendation for children, there is permanent zero liability under the legal shield of the national VICP of 1988. So we called the CDC and asked a simple question. Do you deny that once the COVID vaccine is added to the childhood immunization schedule, many schools and states will require it based on your recommendation? And of course, they know that's true 
we caught them lying, so they didn't even bother to respond to us because apparently we're not American citizens and don't deserve a response. Does not enhance your faith at all. We're all still experiencing the fallout of other rush decisions supposedly in the name of health and science, and the corporate controlled media has gaslit us every step of the way. Here's Bill Maher. The pandemic erased two decades of progress in math and reading. See, right away I gotta say, this pisses me off. I see these headlines all the time. The pandemic didn't do that. The way we handled the pandemic did that. The pandemic certainly was a thing. But let's not just say the pandemic, because it was not written in stone that we had to handle it the way we did. They shouted down the idea that it might have escaped from a lab. Right. That was somehow racist, right. as opposed to the, uh, somehow if you believed that it came from the wet markets, you were a Democrat, and if you believed it came from the <laughs> lab, you were a Republican. This is ridiculous. The propaganda machine has been fueled by a lack of true sources. Media is given a corporate directive, and the puppets assemble to gather experts to source for the predetermined narrative. Front page mag. Is rainbow fentanyl a threat to your kids this Halloween? Experts say no, NPR assures. Fetterman's use of captions is common in stroke recovery, experts say. The Washington Post wheels. The media is notorious for sticking experts say in any story, no matter how irrelevant. Where are the experts at to explain this claim? Yes, uh, our economy is as hell. 89% of voters do not think the economy is strong, but rather believe we're in a recession. And that includes 84% of voters who approve of Biden's job performance. So Biden says the economy is strong, and he also had this to say. Let me, uh, let's debunk some myths here. My administration has not stopped or slowed U.S. oil production. Where are the fact checkers on this? Media Research Center. Fact check, Joe Biden canceled the Keystone XL pipeline on his first day in office. Here's a couple of other headlines. Federal oil leases slow to a trickle under Biden. Biden halts oil, gas leases amid legal fight on climate cost. Now, when the media is selectively fact-checking or can't find a thinly-veiled expert, they bring on laughable contributors like Russia hoax pusher Peter Stroke. Despite this excerpt from his FBI termination letter. As I considered all the known facts associated with the adjudication of your case, it was difficult to imagine another incident like yours, which brought so much discredit to the organization. So MSNBC decided he'd be perfect to interview. And here's how that went. I've not heard one utterance of connecting the dots from Christopher Wray in the days after the deadliest attack on the U.S. Capitol in our, you know, in history. <laughs> Nicole, I think that's right. And I think if you look at the scale in terms of the threat to democracy, I mean, 9-11 was a tragedy. We lost thousands of lives in a horrific way that we still mourn to this day. But when you look at something that is an attack on democracy, something that could actually bring about a fundamental change to American governance as we understand it, 9-11 is nothing compared to January 6th. Wow. What a slap in the face to the thousands of families who lost loved ones on 9-11. And that day did fundamentally change all of our lives with the rushed passage of the Patriot Act, making it easier for the government to spy on ordinary Americans, among other things. Speaking of MSDNC, it and CNN are making no apologies for not covering the Hunter Biden laptop, which some argue was actually a threat to our democracy because it buried relevant information just before a major election. The defense? He was never arrested and not a candidate himself.
So if the laptop had been Don Jr.'s, would they have turned a blind eye? The computer store owner where Hunter left his laptop is now suing CNN, Hunter, the Biden campaign, and others for alleged claims of defamation, civil conspiracy, and civil aiding and abetting. It was not Russian disinformation, as they had claimed. The lawsuit follows the concession by several legacy media outlets of the authenticity of the laptop. Also holding the propaganda puppets accountable is Carrie Lake. And the elitist talking heads hate her for it. CNN's Jake Tapper tweets, gubernatorial nominee pledging to only accept election results if she wins. Except that's not what she said. Take a listen. The question is, will you accept the results of your election in November? I'm going to win the election and I will accept that result. If you lose, will you accept that? I'm going to win the election and I will accept that result because the people will never, the people of Arizona will never support and vote for a coward like Katie Hobbs who won't show up on a debate stage. She's single-handedly destroying a 20-year tradition of gubernatorial debates because of her cowardice. So I, I know already no momentum behind her. The polls are in our favor and we're going to win this election. I'm 100% confident of that. We have. So he embellishes what Lake said, but ignores that Stacey Abrams actually did not accept her loss. NPR, Abrams lost by nearly 55,000 votes and never did concede. Lake has been calling out the corrupt corporate media for these reporting inconsistencies. Let's talk about election deniers. Here's 150 examples of Democrats denying election results. Oh, wow, look at this. This is from, this is from uh, Joe Biden's press secretary. Reminder, Brian Kemp stole the gubernatorial election from Georgians and Stacey Abrams. Democrats saying that. Is that an election denier? Oh, look at this. Just heard Republican Ryan Costello said it would be difficult for Stacey Abrams to win because she lost her state bid, but yet she's still claiming she never lost. This is outright Hillary Clinton. Trump is an illegitimate president. Is she an election denier? This one says, was the 2016 election legitimate? It now definitely is a question worth asking. That's the Los Angeles Times. So it's okay for Democrats to question elections, but it's not okay for Republicans. It's a crock of BS. Every one of you knows it. We have our freedom of speech and we're not gonna relinquish it to a bunch of fake news propagandists and roasting them while she's at it. You don't have a mask on anymore. What's we're, going we're outside. on? Give well, a minute to well, chat. we're six feet apart. <laughs> do you have a minute to chat? Um, I'll do an interview. Okay. As long as it airs on CNN Plus. Does that still exist? <laughs> yeah. I didn't think so, because the people don't like what you guys are peddling, so, which is propaganda. Thank do you. you. Do you Bringing you its ignored, sensationalized, misleading, or just plain false, that's your media malfeasance for the week. Follow Christy Lee TV on all your favorite social media platforms or join my community. Subscribe to christyleetv.locals.com. I think Carrie Lake is a great comedian. She makes me laugh. That was awesome. That was great. <laughs> oh, I, I, rel- I can't wait for the day I get to burn a CNN reporter like that. So awesome. Hey, by the way, everybody, this show has almost a thousand more paying subscribers than CNN Plus. Whoa. So, yeah, there you go. Well, the CNN Plus is about a thousand times better. It had a $300 million dollar budget. I just like to, I punch up. CNN Plus is above us budget wise. So I punch up. Fair enough. Yeah. Love so, it. So, uh, what did you guys think about it? So, uh, Ryan, Scott, you guys uh, are now like uh, part of the show. 
you can comment uh, on the story and you can pick the next, pick the next clips because Scott brought some clips. Ryan's got some clips. He's done a lot of great work this week, every week. So uh, you, you can, you uh, Scott has access to the show card. Let's get Ryan access to the show card and then we'll, uh, we'll do a round Robin. But first, cool. what did you think of uh, Christy Lee's reporting? I thought she did a great job as always a uh, big fan of Christy Lee. Um, she uh, like one of the things that I thought was just so hilarious. And this just goes along with the, the rebunked theme, right? You know, all the things that, they called us crazy for before is now being reported as mainstream news. It's like the thing that always irritates me is like, I think Mar said something like, uh, 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 let's see. Oh yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't the, it wasn't COVID that caused all these problems. It was the lockdown that caused all these problems. Like all, yeah. you know, and then the audience claps and I'm like, get out of here, dude, get out of here. Like that was, that I mean, that was us saying that now you can't, you can't adopt our anyway. It was, it's just, there's, frustrating a, there's, to see a, that there's another choice that says all the above. Yeah. They made yeah. it in the lab. They made the lockdowns. They ran scenarios, knew what was going to happen. They took advantage of it and they kept everyone yeah. in the dark and got you to adopt a synthetic gene concoction without informed yeah. consent, yeah. which the, which would make the Nazis blush. Mm-hmm. They'd be like, whoa, like we thought we were doing something bad. Look what these guys in the future are doing. So yeah. Um, the, the mandating of children needing to have the gene concoction in their their bloodstream have a little mrna playing in there Uh, isn't that some sort of abuse like you're going to treat people for something that they're not really in danger from and there's a whole bunch of risks that they're not telling people until later and they're happy to tell you later borla and these people are happy to tell you two years later after you made life-changing decisions health altering decisions chronic maybe ailment developing decisions uh, that it's not supposed to do the things that you thought were the reason to take it in the first place totally totally and both of you guys have been on uh the the crest of the wave way before people like are picking up on it what do you think it means to live in a society where we no longer get informed consent and does it have some sort of relationship to slavery Mm -hmm. what do you think ryan i think you think you're muted ryan so you did the same thing you did. Have, have I been on this whole time? You were muted the whole time. No, no. Have I been Any? on the whole time? Jesus Christ, guys. I'm sorry. I've been sitting here waiting for you guys. To, I thought I wasn't on the show yet. <laughs> no, no. We brought we brought you in a couple of Fantastic. Well, I apologize yeah. to the audience. Good. This is how it works. Bring me in. That's fantastic. Well, I unfortunately don't have much time left. I'm super tired, but what's going on, guys? I've been kind of jumping in and out. So I, I didn't what's think I was on the show yet. So I apologize to everybody. So I'm glad I, I'm glad I wore my T lab shirt yesterday. So we weren't like uh, wearing the same thing right Ryan now. And I do that all the time. Every time we go yeah. to a public event, I always wear mine thinking I'm going to represent and thinking he'll maybe wear something different, but we always wear the same shirt at the same yeah, time. Yeah, it's, time. It's, yeah. A, it's a good problem to have though. But yeah, again, exactly. just so we're clear. I'm sorry, guys. I did not know I was on the show yet. I would have been engaging. I thought you were going to bring me in. My apologies. So. No, no, we, we, uh, after we came out of the Christy Lee clip, I called on you, but maybe you just didn't hear it. That's oh, all. I, w- I wasn't. I ran to the bathroom. I wasn't in. Oh, the that's room. what happened. Good. <laughs> Nature calls, but now you're here. All right. So, uh, because we have an unscripted, unstructured show, I was just saying you and Scott both have access to the show card, so you can uh, pick some clips. I know you've been streaming for many hours already today, so I'm going to use your time wisely, and um, we'll go to a uh, next section of news and get your comment on it. But the question I asked was uh, this involuntary. Getting like they used a lot, a lot of propaganda, psychological warfare to get people to adopt the gene therapy. They used fear, peer pressure, all these different things to get people to adopt it. Now they're mandating CDC wants it mandated for kids to go to the public indoctrination camps. 
And I said, what, what kind of world do we live in where we no longer have informed consent? And is that state of not having informed consent uh, some sort of slavery? I mean, it's I mean, yes, we, we could point that out to a lot of different degrees or debt slavery or I was just talking about world hunger in a concept of that U.N. article. I don't know if you guys saw that where an article was written arguing that world hunger is maintained because it allows slave labor, essentially. But it's just one more way that it, we are being coerced into a controlled structure, in my opinion. But I also think that the injection itself could lead to that, like to potentially whether or not there's something internal in, you know, there's a lot of different discussions, conspiracy theory and whatnot about what might be inside the injection and what that could lead to. Those are valid concerns to have as well, you know, but yes, absolutely. The, the childhood schedule thing, I think I, I saw the clip playing. I, it's obviously meant to lead, as RFK pointed out, to the indemnity because it's on, it's recommended there. It doesn't even have to be mandated by many of the states as long as they recommend it and have the approvals on the shelf they're not using. That's they they have earned indemnity, just like the Act of 1986 for the rest of them. I mean, it's, it's unquestionable. So to a degree, we already kind of lost that battle right there. You know, pa, sorry for one second. Guys. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think the gist coming out of that is when I saw it, when they came out with uh, AstraZeneca, Pfizer, Moderna, um and the 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 british oxford vaccine they've got these four different concoctions everybody's taking the first jab because they wanted to keep grandma safe then they're they're coming out with they say you're going to need boosters because it doesn't give you lifetime immunity and then it became you can cross pollinate you can mix and match these vaccines brother if you got j and j you can go get pfizer booster as long as you're boosted and it became more about compliance than ever it was science and now they've continued on i mean people they don't even care that Borla has like five jabs and Paxlovid twice and COVID three times. Like it, they're not, the contradictions are no longer triggering red flags for them. I don't know how it works on their side, but I'm interested but, but, in the psychology of it. But is that the case though? Right. That I, I'm with you hundred yeah. percent, but I think we need to start, we need to enter into a, a new phase of understanding, or at least ask the question about whether or not we've always been the majority at the very mm. least, if not, we are now. And I think it's a, it's a big, important thing to ask because like what you just described, like for instance, just look at the bivalent. If we know that only 5% of eligible people, less than that in most places have gotten it, how do you misunderstand? How do we misunderstand that? You know, what it shows us is that ultimately people do not want to do this, even if they've already taken two or three shots. I mean, that that's very clear. So I think it's about realizing that people are becoming generally skeptical of the government in every way. Ukraine, these things are translating in a lot of different ways. And I know you guys have been pointing that out as well. You know, it's I think we just need to, at the very least, ask that question and what that would mean. I was thinking about this the other day about whether that means that I, whether I'm tackling this problem the right way, if that's the case. Like we always need to keep spreading information. That's always going to have to happen. But let's just say 95% of people out there see this. A big portion of them go along with it because of politics and so on. And a big portion of them see through it, but don't say anything because they believe the minority, right? So essentially what we're doing is yelling the information and everyone's like, yes, we agree. But they have different ways of going about it. So how do we deal with that? Like, how do we get that grouping of people to realize that they are the majority and actually change that? That's where my mindset's been lately. You know, like, how do we address that problem differently? I think it's tied to action. And the way to get people into action is you give them strong juxtapositions. You mm -hmm. observe that, like, the vaccine is, like, becoming less effective. And yet they're going to charge us four times as much for the less effective thing. Right. So they, the less people are adopting their bullshit product. So they're like, just raise the price four times. We'll get the same amount of money because they got to please their their shareholders. That's what it's at the end of the day. 
There's a lot of that. I mean, they don't do it for the really the benefit of the shareholders. They do it for the benefit of the people who own the company and the shareholders are like the the prophylactic they put on it to make it publicly acceptable to fuck like they do. (laughs) Yeah, I'm actually pretty surprised that they put the price up like that's at the timing of it all. I mean, I just, how do you not look like profiteers in that moment? You know, when it actually happens and maybe, maybe they, maybe I mean, it's, I don't even want to say that because I, I do think that there's a nefarious element to Pfizer itself as well yeah. as everybody else. But I just wonder if there's, you know, why would they make that choice knowing how clearly that shows people that they're in it for the money? You know, it's an odd choice to make in that moment. Well, there was an episode of the show in February of 2020 when we covered the Pfizer quarterly financial report. And in there, it said they're going to go from one dose to six doses per year, and they projected all this money. And this is well before they talked about boosters. So we were just showing people, it's like, look, in they're telling their investors somehow they're getting you to take six of these or or you know three of these or whatever the number was, right? So that was like the first hint of what they later said. I mean, and now you can understand in hindsight they knew it wasn't effective at stopping transmission at least after one jab. So uh, to be able to bring it. Uh, you know, into the public consciousness, they have to do stuff like that. And that if it, if it was a good thing for public, they wouldn't have to lie, right? Like they could just tell the truth and be like, hey, this is a new thing. We just made it up, but you guys really don't even need it. Maybe if you want it, go ahead. But that won't work for their agenda. It's like, um, you remember that Milken meeting with uh, Fauci and the guy from BARDA, Rick, and they're oh, on stage? I, I, just, I just played that. Yeah. Oh, okay. That's good synchronicity. We've been I studying play, synchronicity all day with the autonomy students. I yeah, can I you play it? Grab Please. it. Yeah. Let me see if I can grab it real quick. All right. We got Mixmaster Ryan coming to the scene. This is it's cool. A, it's, a, it's an important clip, like as you know, because it, it yes. shows you the, the the mindset where I think he says, like, basically, you know, who we have to basically say, who cares about your perspectives? We're going to do what we think is right anyway, which is just exactly what's going on in every frame of every conversation today. Which I yeah, think so, so I'll set it up while you're looking for it. So there's, there's there's a panel on stage. There's a journalist. He's asking these questions. And basically what the answers are, well, we have technology for that, but the way we do it is really old fashioned. And to get the new stuff in there would have to change the rules. And there's too much bureaucracy and we can't get it done. So what we really need is some crisis event, like a new Pearl Harbor. Wait, that's a difference. But it's the <laughs> same type of thing, right? That they're like, we wish we had this thing happen that's bad for everybody, but good for our project. And then it magically happens. And we're supposed to say there's no connection. This is coincidence. Let me just add to my pile of coincidences. Do we get to spend these at some point? Do we get social credit for coincidence? Because there's a lot of them. And um, it's a it's a piece of history. Now, if I remember correctly, it came from October 9, 2019, which is about the same time they're running Event 201 across town or wherever, because they were holding Event 201. I forget where they held it. Maybe I never knew that part. Maybe I should learn that part. But event 201 was a real thing. It's an exercise they held in October 2019 that 85 or 84% predicted what was going to happen. And it might be like uh, one of those Peter Power 7-7. We went you know, from the, from the drill of this exercise into the real time. The thing happened while we were conducting the driller exercise. We went from slow time thinking to quick time acting, I think was the quote. Okay, we got lined up. C-SPAN, thank you. And go ahead, Mixmaster Ryan. Why don't we blow the system up? I mean, obviously, we can't just turn off the spigot on the system we have and then say, hey, everyone in the world should get this new vaccine we haven't given to anyone yet. But there must be some way that we grow vaccines mostly in eggs the way we did in 1947. In order to make the transition from getting out of the tried and true 
egg growing, which we know gives us results that can be you know, beneficial. I mean, we've done well with that, to something that has to be much better. Uh, you have to prove that this works, and then you've got to go through all of the clinical trials, phase ones, phase twos, phase three, and then show that this particular product is going to be good over a period of years. That alone, if it works perfectly, is going to take a decade. There might be a need or even an urgent call for uh, an entity right. of excitement out there that's completely disruptive, that's not beholden to bureaucratic strings and, and, and processes. So we really do have a problem of how the world perceives influenza and it's going to be very difficult to change that unless you do it from within and say, I don't care what your perception is, we're going to address the problem in a disruptive way and in an iterative way because you do need both. But it is not too crazy to think that an outbreak of an, a novel avian virus could occur in, in China somewhere. We could get the RNA sequence from that, beam it to a number of regional centers, if not local, if not even in your home at some point, and print those vaccines on a patch and self-administer. And. And note, by the way, the universal flu vaccine, right? So this is pre-COVID. They're talking about, and the whole point is they were hyping this idea of a the same thing they're building for COVID right now for flu the whole time. And they also argue that that will eventually go into like a one-stop shop vaccine for everything. That's yes, the it's, platform. Yeah, it's the whole mRNA developed by DARPA platform, and they were seeking for a way to use it. And the guy from uh, Rick Bright from BARDA, he's the guy who could put stuff like that into action. So to have those people on stage, first off, that journalist sounded like a terrorist. Like, if you're going to hold people for January 6th, why don't you check out what this guy said? Because command and control of what these people had responsibility over is much bigger than what happened when the people with the the the, the bison head walked into Pelosi's office. <laughs> so for them to call and say, look, uh, we'd like to do this mRNA technology, but bureaucracy, it's too expensive, takes too long. What we really need is this emergency to come along. And then... Uh, they are sending money to the Wuhan lab. They're sending money to Chapel Hill. They're sending money to Boston. They're sending money to Canada to do all these gain of function. And what they, what they happened to do, Ryan, I mean, this is very coincidental, but the Pentagon had a pandemic planning response document and it evolved over time to be very specific. What could cause a global shutdown? There was like only one thing in the document that does this whole magical lockstep around the world thing. And it was in their words, I believe the documents from 2017 and it's the improvement from the 20, 2009 document in their words, it was a novel respiratory coronavirus that could do such things. And then magically their labs with their funding leak release. I don't know, but it came from there and the people working on it, there's a whole chain of custody of evidence of them working on it over like five or six years prior to that. And there's like Moderna and Pfizer and DARPA all involved with patents prior to that. And those European Union members of parliament just called it out. They said, uh, I don't know if it was Stefan Bonsell from Monsanto, but the, the, the guy in the dark suit said that the guy from Monsanto came and testified that they already had this stuff on lockdown 2017. He's like, how could we do How could they have that if it was just discovered in December of 2019? Mm hmm. Right. I mean, think about how what a perfect setup it is, like everything else they set up to be to basically their argument is simply, well, because we saw it as a problem. Right. Therefore, we researched into it and turned out we were right. 
You know, I mean, it's a self it's self-serving argument like you. It, it makes perfect sense if you believe that they're altruistic, but they're not. You know, that that clip for me is really interesting, though. What what do you think he means by a disruptive entity? Is he talking about some new viral problem or is he talking about like what a group putting it out? Like it's a strange statement. I'm not sure well, what he meant. I think mean, well, I take it as Wuhan lab with Dazak. That's pretty right, disruptive. Right, exactly. That's a disruptive entity. Has anyone looked into them yet? Right. But it's a weird statement because you could take that a lot of different ways mm -hmm. that apply to what we saw. But then the end part is the most important to me. The idea of he outlines literally what they're doing with the mRNA platform and what ended up happening with the code genetic sequence for the original thing, whether it was there mm -hmm. or not, because that's provable. And I've made this point many times in the show is that I'm sure I think we I think we even talked about this, the Moderna documentation, which they've now altered and changed, but having the way back machine shows you that they wrote down the timeline, you know, that within yeah. two days, they got the genetic code and yes. two days later, they were already making genetics, you know, vaccines. And because they're and just fast, Ryan, it's just electrons <laughs> and he, you beam it, you beam it. Like Rick Bright said, you just beam it everywhere exactly. and you can print it, print it in your house, print it in your home vaccine and just get slapped up. Isn't it's that the scary, speed though? of science, man? The speed of science. Yeah, exactly. Thank you. Patch in your home. Like that's what they that's going to be the next step they're already talking about. And but. they got those Bill Gates patented microdermo needle delivery things that he says he has nothing to do with. But you can read mm -hmm. the patents yourself. It's like he gaslights, man. The important part is that we've proven based on what the CDC and China admitted that when they sent that code, they hadn't isolated it. And it was, I think they never have if it's even there to begin with. But that proves to you that they never even cared whether it was. Right. Like, so that's it's just such an illusion. Everything about this story is such a lie, illusion, half story. It's it's incredible. Well, if Fauci and Francis Collins cared, they wouldn't have trusted Peter Daszak from the get go. Right? right. And they did stop Daszak's funding in April of 2020. As soon as the pandemic kicked off, they're like, we got to stop giving you money, bro. But now and they have continued giving money since then. It was like two months pause and they start giving the dude money again for his uh, gain of function with the bat lady. Xi Jingli, and they 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 have text. He's like, meet me at the back cave later. Like they're not they're not right, bro. Like, mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like you read into that, and it's like there's crazy people. It's like it's like twelve monkeys right. with the the guy with the ponytail who's like, ha, sniff it. You know, I I think there's a small percentage on the bell curve that they're legit psychos out there. I'm, I'm not making I'm not making diagnoses of any specific people. I'm just saying in general, bell curve holds and represents a lot of reality yeah and and don't forget they are they've already refunded a new project with dazak to currently right yeah. it's just ridiculous not to mention there's numerous of chinese labs that have always been doing the same research yes. that we pointed out and but ukrainian labs despite my yeah. incredulity of like especially with like there's like a pelosi kid there's a biden there's a whole bunch of stuff in that situation and i was like no -uh. and then i was like oh shit is it uh metabiota is mm -hmm. the one of the connections to that, dude? And the guy from uh, Monsanto, Stefan Bonsell, I think he's also, what was it, bio milieu that helped to fund the Wuhan lab just like ten years ago. So there's deep layers to this that go back to a centralized, finite network of people that include Fauci and Collins and all the other people who gaslit us along the way. But no one has said, really, we're going to trust like uh, you know, a Dazak goes over and he says the Chinese told me nothing happened, so we're good. <laughs> and everybody was like, okay, great. There's nothing to see here. The world's biggest calamity, but no, no investigation needed.
And why is he the one leading the damn investigation? That's the dumbest thing in the world. That you know, the idea that you take the person that we're all going, he's the one responsible. It's like it's like what they do all the foreign policy. We investigate ourselves, we found ourselves not guilty. I mean, it's the same old story. You know, now and, is there a movie where people in power decide that because they're in power, they could conduct a crime, get away with that crime and cover it up? Is there a movie like that? Or is that just reality? Never heard of. You know, just probably we should write that movie. Well, what's funny is that you, what you're. What I think you're. What you're getting at there is that these story, like you could write the story that we just described, and people would be like, "That's ridiculous." This is shit. Yeah, it <laughs> movies have to make sense, bro. You can right. <laughs> anyway, well, I, I'm gonna have to get out of here, guys. My dog's gonna drive me crazy. But sorry, sorry, I wasted my first ten minutes sitting here. I didn't think I was on the show, but but um, but in general, thanks for having me on, guys. And I just I think it's it's just you know like if if you had like when this first started. The, what we just described, like whether or not Fauci and the la the eco eco or, um, uh, um, equal alliance and North Carolina University, and whether they were all like connected in some knowing conspiracy to make this happen, even in the beginning for me, as much as I'm willing to research it, I'm like that it's probably not that far reaching. There's probably more, but I want to point now where I don't think we can stop. We need to be very willing to call this what it is. And that's why I was talking about so, not soft peddling this anymore. It, this is a global conspiracy. That's the obvious, the most obvious thing I've ever seen in my lifetime. doesn't mean that every single person's involved, but it is obvious that there's a coordinated effort to not only cover this up now, but as you pointed out, to drive this into reality. Now, I think the only question I have is whether or not there was some kind of a bumbling mistake that they're covering up, or this was a concerted experiment on the human species. I well, think I've thought about that. So that's a good question. So here's how my thinking goes on that and let me know what you think mm -hmm. if it was an accident they would have behind the scenes been emailing to try to figure out what's going on what's going on what's going on in the emails these guys say uh, that guy christian says in the first like january 29th he's like this thing came from a lab and then collins and fauci are like beeline on anybody who says lab and they're playing yeah. defense which tells me they know what they're defending and they're on the hook for it and it probably wasn't an accident because rick from barda convinced them Hey, just release it, man. Or whoever from DOD or whatever Pentagon plan that they wanted to put into action because everybody was in lockstep. Nobody pushed back. The military wasn't like, I don't think so. We're not doing that. The casinos in Vegas weren't like, I don't think so. We're not doing that. Professional sports teams and all. everybody was in on the lockdown lockstep yeah, yeah. from on high. So, yeah, yeah, I agree with your observation. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's hard. You know, you have to look at the whole picture. I definitely think that you can prove that at high levels, there were people that coordinated, you know, but the question just comes down to like, I, you could make an argument about how influencing just the right circle of people could have made that happen. You know what I mean? Like whether or not, but I, I'm with you. I agree. I'm just being objective. I think it's, I think it's beyond doubt that, that what we just talked about is this is the largest thing I've ever seen in my life. And I think we're all realizing that now. I think people are slowly waking up to this yeah, I think the only real question is whether it's always been like this, which I do. think. I mean, when I was born, Watergate was going on. And then the biggest thing in my life was 9-11. But this is bigger, man. It affected 7 sure. billion people like at once. And the thing that affected those people seems to be like uh, the culprits are the same people who bring you the antidote and say all this peer pressure to take it. Right. But it's right. not really an antidote. It's like the next step in the thing that yep. they're trying to do. So I agree. Now, one last question. I'll let you go. Um, <clears throat> Reiner Fulmick had that whole grand jury. Um, what, like, I, I thought it was good just to get all that stuff down for history. I didn't think any justice was going to come from it, but in the future, people who do have the organization skills for justice and lawyers are going to be dipping into that for guidance on evidence and where to find the best things. Mm -hmm. Right. 
Um, do you think more things like that need to go on? Um, okay. I do. I mean, I've always maintained, I mean, we live in a, we live again, we are really just the tip of the iceberg right now on how truly corrupt at the very least we could talk about the U S government, but I think it goes obviously world round with the most powerful governments in the world is they're all very corrupt. And I think that's just the nature of government, my personal opinion. I just think we're just beginning to realize that. And so that trickles down into the court system and everything else, but that doesn't mean you're not going to find people as we all know, through any situation where they might just decide differently or maybe not be a part of it. But I think we will always have a benefit to go through the process. I, I forget it was um, Dr. Dr. Was it Daly? Scott, you remember Scott was with the, is it Dr. Daly? The one that had all the, um, the lawsuits in, in the, the union. Of oh, Ohio. Dr. Ely, Dr. Henry Ely. Ely, thank yeah, you. Yeah, Ronnie, yeah. by the way, I need to get him on my show. But yeah, he he totally. really been spearheading all this all this uh, legal challenges and, and, and lawsuits, and yeah. I'm I think it needs to happen because even when they fail, which I sadly think that's the way this is going to go, but I still argue they're paramount. You you make the you show you make the precedent, like you're saying, people can look back and be like, well, look at all the evidence, look at what happened. Like it just adds to the the, the story that's being built. You know, we can see it happening in every possible way. They're all breaking the law. They're passing laws that are unconstitutional, but it's all being recorded. And hopefully if we can, you know, win, essentially, that this can there can be accountability. And without those processes, you don't really have that track record. So I think it's absolutely important what he did there exposing, even getting into like the ingredients of the vials and stuff, as much as it wasn't as absolute as some of the other parts, it was important. And even for me, it kind of opened my mind to having there was a little more validity to some of these claims that I before was a little more skeptical about and so on. So, yes, I definitely think it's important whether or not it translates to immediate justice. And just on that note, you guys, if you want to look into that, it's uh, beyondthecon.com. That's Dr. Henry Ely's uh, website and the efforts for, uh, you know, some justice around this whole COVID thing. You know, and it really reminds me, too, of like uh, Richard Gage and his efforts right now. Mm. Yeah, you know, they're in production of uh, the crime scene courtroom documentary, which is like a, a, you know, a grand jury type presentation of the evidence. Um, and it also tells me it's like, you know, it took what now, 21 years in order to get any sort of traction in the 9-11 story. You know, I know I know Richard's right, been doing right. so much work over the years to, to put this information out there and then gain momentum to have some accountability. And I know right now the world is just dying for some accountability. So hopefully it doesn't take another 20 years for uh, the COVID culprits to be uh, held accountable. So. Yeah, I'm well, still waiting for accountability for JFK. So there you right. go. I'm, yeah. used, right. I'm used to waiting. I, I think we just need to change our metrics, like on how we define success in this whole thing, right? I mean, I just don't think that's in the cards. I think unless we have a massive paradigm change, that won't happen. But I think we just need to take our wins where we can get them. And I think that the work, whether Reiner or, or any of them, the effort, if you reach people through that and show them that, you know, people wake up from that, you know, they watch it, they see the presentation and they watch the court rule opposite of it. And it's just like, for instance, just today, I'm watching the Alberta ruled that the the travel, they were trying to shut down the travel restrictions and they didn't even look into it. They didn't even hold the, they have an engage. They just said, it's, we'll rule, it's, we'll rule that it's moot. Therefore we won't even engage with the process. So it's like, there's just no justice even happening. Or for instance, in regard to, um, what was it? Uh, oh, the, the prenatal deaths in Scotland. Did you guys see that? They literally just said, we're not even going to look into it because we've already stabbed. I mean, it's this is the kind of stuff that is waking the average moms up that thought moments ago we were wild conspiracy theorists. So it, it's working. You know, we just got to keep at it. And that's a success in and of itself, I think. But strive for the larger wins, obviously. Yeah, I think the best thing we could do is just, uh, you know, show people the magnifying glass so they could see more detail into what's going on. And then exactly. they get it. And then they once you get it, you're like, you start seeing more and more evidence and examples stack up and you can make different decisions and choices than maybe you did four years ago. Right. 
Right. I agree. There's hope. All right, man. Exactly. Exactly. Good workout. Uh, I'll, I'll catch up with you soon. And uh, yeah. Yeah, right on. Right. Thanks, Ryan. Peace. Okay. Yeah, that's foreshadowing go. his Thursday appearance. I'm not even going to. I'm just leaving it at that. We got a Thursday appearance coming up with Ryan. Might be an ongoing series of, of appearances. Awesome. All right. Now, did you look at the show card, Scott? Did you have a, a favorite next clip you wanted to go to and well, segue off of what we just talked about? Yeah, I feel like, you know, just in the vein of that discussion, um, I did pull some clips from Ryan's show. Um, the first clip, clip one, it, this was uh, the day after or, or the day of when the, uh, you know, CDC unanimously voted 15 to zero to approve the the COVID shot for uh, to be put on the childhood vaccine schedule. So, um, you know, there's some good analysis. Ryan does some good analysis there and there's some good discussion. And that leads into the second clip that I brought, which is an, another clip from Ryan where he's talking about and showing, you know, with this new study that came out that there's just like, uh, obviously no reason for kids to get this shot and that the risk so far outweighs any benefit that they could possibly get from it. So, it's trendy right. though. Yeah. yeah, yeah they, exactly. get to be, they get to be part of the club. Exactly. Exactly. You know, it used to be like in the nineties. It's just like, all you had to do is just like adopt like an African kid now, but now you have to adopt an African kid, give them three shots and transition them genders. And then maybe you can uh, hang with the moms at the, <laughs> yeah, but it's, it's <laughs> Bill Gates sets the expectations high. <laughs> it's so high. So high. I was just going to say, uh, you know, those um, the egg based vaccines that Bill Gates had been handing out in Africa that didn't get rid of polio, but rather gave people polio. Maybe that gets better with all this mRNA stuff. Maybe Bill Gates is really in it because he's like, look, I damaged all these African kids. Mm. I want to do better. Let's give them the mRNA. But my fear is that Bill Gates, even in that hypothetical cartoonish situation, uh, he has an ineffective ethic. Meaning he's trying to do well for other people, but when you give people anti-polio shots and they get polio from that shot and it spreads and now it becomes a thing again, which disproves the case for the vaccine and efficacy and all these immunity in the first place, it just gets to the point where, I don't. I mean, I understand why people can't think their way out of it because they got subverted through the schooling and didn't get a real education, but still, there should be enough people with just common sense that didn't get infected by those indoctrinations to see it, call it out, and be done with these things, but they're still going on. So we got to try yeah. harder, smarter. Yeah, not only the live polio, but then like they were busted with the live, with the sterilant like added to it as well, you know, like that was a part of it as well. So it's just like, it's just crazy, man. I'm glad that the people in power doing this don't have a plan for depopulation no. and they're not coming from a background of eugenics mm -mm. and preservation of the favored races because then I'd be concerned. Exactly. Are exactly. Those egg based vaccines also egg shaped. <laughs> I think they're oblate spheroids. Okay. No wonder Epstein was so interested in them. Or no, was that hey. Einstein? Weinstein? I don't know. That was Epstein. Epstein. Yeah. Epstein and the Zorro sword fighting ranch that he had going <laughs> on with Bill Richardson. <laughs> yeah. mm, interesting. I don't know. Mm. I mean, it's like a it's like a Bond supervillain, right? If there was a James Bond supervillain, think about like Moonraker and the guy with the beard who wants to have eugenics in space, like uh, Elysium. Because the whole thing was that in that movie, in Moonraker, the bad guy and his people go to space and then they procreate and they destroy the people on the planet. Then they take over with their race. Right. So it's like it's like that. But they, they stepped it up a couple notches. And in the midst, Epstein's like, what if I made a million of me? Mm -hmm. 
man. And they were doing all sorts of procreation experiments alongside his Bill Gates funding for such things. And that's just, it's, it's interesting and it's yet to be, I guess, known to the public or understood, but I'm waiting for the miniseries. I can't yeah. wait to see Werner Herzog as Klaus Schwab. <laughs> I think it's going to be great. That's awesome. That's awesome. When, when is the uh, Auto- Autonomy Unlimited? Are you guys on like helping Whitney develop her book into like a documentary series? I mean, what's going on here? <laughs> I did think yeah. that her book in a documentary series, it wouldn't be just that, but there would be a lot of essences of what we're trying to communicate that would play mm-hmm. into that because mm-hmm. uh, a lot of overflow between, because when you, when you look back at like 20th century history, there's like a defining theme and then there's a bunch of sub themes to it with the same cast of characters. So like just to dip into her book for a second, like the first volume is all about 1938. I think she starts 1941, but it's like 1938 operation underworld with MI6 and then MI6 gets uh, OSS and CIA into it in the early forties. And then she covers it up to about the eighties. I ran Contra BCCI in the early nineties. And then she switches gears and does like the the last 30 years in volume two, but you can't understand. It's like Quigley's tragedy and hope. If what they did is they deleted the first half of tragedy and hope and they republished the book out there. So if you don't have volume one of Whitney's book in your head, you just see this little Epstein network and you're like, well, Epstein's dead now. You got to be careful. I think is the phrase. (laughs) Yeah. 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 He's dead now. So don't really need to worry about that. Right. And so without the context of, oh, intelligence agencies, globalists, the deep state, if you will, uh, and organized crime working in concert, playing different, uh, you know, instruments to control the audience. So when, um, who was the guy? Uh, Hugh Wilford wrote a book called The Mighty Wurlitzer. I think that's the author of that. He also wrote one in the new great game. So if you want to understand like the origins of intelligence agencies and the connections between the Anglo-American establishment, there's Burton Hirsch's the old boys, there's Hugh Wilford's the mighty Wurlitzer. And it just shows how controlling it, like uh, the ruling families have intelligence agencies and press agencies. And with those two things, they can control the public to a good degree and play them like a Wurlitzer organ and brag about it make books about it and people still go for it. So I don't know. Yeah, it's it makes it tempting for some people. I'm sure to go to the other side. Cause it's like, it's, it's such a stacked deck. Why would you want to play for the bad news bears? But I like the story of the underdogs. Oh, yeah. I like the story of the people who are being downtrodden. Let's figure out how to get them. Up. I like the, you know, I like David better than I like Goliath. What can I say? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I can't wait to get, so I ordered my copies directly from Trine Day. So I'm waiting for those in the mail. Right. And I just can't wait to have like that as a resource for, you know, from here on out, whenever they try to parade some person out in front of us, right. Oh, here's the new, this and that. I'm just go to the index and be like, let me see, let me see what Whitney had to say about that. Okay. Oh yeah. Look at that. There he is right there. You know, just some, some random connection. It's just like, it's going to be a good resource for that. But, uh, and also like shout out to Trine Day, man, like great, great on them. Like they're actually located in Oregon, like they were like 20 minutes north of Eugene, where I used to live. And I, and Chris used to, I had met him. He used to lecture at one of the bookstores there and I used to go and hang out and listen to him pre COVID. You know what I mean? So I've met him. And so big shout out to Trine day. They're doing good stuff. Yeah. 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 Chris has been doing kick-ass work for like, I don't mm. know, 30 years. Yeah. I, I would like to, I'll say it out loud. I, cause you asked about autonomy unlimited doing something for Whitney. I think a course is in the future for her. That'd be a good next go. step to build synergy for a series that she could self fund and not be beholden to any. And then she could sell it for a distributor 
to carry, but not have them say anything over the content. Right. Yeah. Um, trying day. I would like to host a trying day authors conference and have a bunch of their authors speak to an audience that we could like get the people there and market it and do all that good stuff. Right. Because the essential message that they would get over and over again with all this various evidence would be so multifaceted that I think a lot of people would be able to wake up and smell the coffee and get into action with something like that. So uh, that's one of the back burner ideas I have percolating, but with his stable of writers, I can think of like 30 noteworthy books that he's published Totally, that have information that's valid, substantial, well-referenced, but it's not in like mainstream books. You couldn't get that type of information at Barnes and Noble, Mm -hmm. you know, because we live live in a culture culture that's since since before I was born. Yeah. 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 They've been doing great work. Anthony Sutton, right? Like he's published through them and everything. Mm -hmm. Like the Skull and Bones book was through them. Like that's, that's legendary. Well, what Chris did with, uh, let's see, Chris's book is called Fleshing Out Skull and Bones. And it's an amalgamation of other books that exist. Mm. Anthony Sutton's Skull and Bones book, I believe, was printed in 2001. He got all that information on Skull and Bones from Charlotte Iserby. Mm. So Charlotte Iserby's dad was in Skull and Bones. He passed away. She found all this material, didn't know what to do with it. She knew Anthony Sutton was the best historian that she knew, and she sent it over. And he's like, oh, I'm writing a book on this. And... um a fascinating part of that book is uh, how the order skull and bones controls education in America going back into the 1800s. They're like, we're going to control the system. And it's a horrific history of the downfall of American education and the replacement of it with indoctrination type schooling that is uh, custom made by the globalists for the globalists. And it isn't beneficial to the people who take class mm. in those schools. Yep, exactly. Yeah. So, but Sutton, yeah, he worked for uh, Hoover Institute <clears throat> and the guy. So uh, the Hoover Institute for World Peace, I think, was maybe the title of it. And, and Sutton's there and he gets too close to the truth. So this guy who's in charge of that, David Packard, says, you're out of here, Sutton. You're fired. Go try to publish a book on your own. And then Sutton really struggled because back then there was no self-publishing. If you were blacklisted by the publishing companies and blacklisted by the establishment, it's hard to get your message out. Sutton did. And he worked with Patrick Wood uh, to get trilaterals over Washington out. So anyway, David Packard is the guy who, if memory serves, he fired Steve Jobs. Mm. And so when you see those two overlaps, right, uh, David Packard is a trilateral commission member. And when Sutton in the Hoover Institute starts going against the trilaterals with his book with Wood, they exodus him out. And then that guy moves along. And like 10 years later, he gets brought in at Apple and he's the guy that gives Steve jobs the, the old heave ho. And he had to create Pixar, wow. which isn't so bad. Maybe. I mean, maybe, I don't know. These maybe, days. I don't know. It's kind of been taken some, over. I hear there's up to some shenanigans these days. I don't know, man. Not, yeah. There's I'm a lot of loop with those. There's a lot of shenanigans going on with those media producers, especially the ones that make cartoon animation type stuff for kids. Yeah. A lot of uh, changing of attitudes, values, behaviors, and beliefs, which is very much what uh, Carnegie said in his 1934 blue book, or they said, because Carnegie had passed at that point, but the endowment said they wanted to do that to Americans. And it's been like, when they said it in 1934, it was here, but it's been exponential. And now at 2022, like it changes so fast, you can't keep up with it every day. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that's natural. 
And I don't think it's coincidental because they called their shot like Babe Ruth pointing to the fence before he goes up the bat. Are we not supposed to think that he intended to hit it over the fence? Like, is it because of the short attention span, Scott? Is that do you think that's what's going on? I mean, it has to be. I mean, like it, it seems Refresh. crazy to some, yeah, some people to to hear that this is a deliberate, like hundred plus year plan of people that have, are, you know, all the influence in the world. You know, when you start to present it that way, it's like, oh, come on, get out of here, and and just to look at the world and think that this is all just happening by happenstance, and that everything, policies and and all of these things happening are reactions to these things that are happening. I mean, once you start analyzing, that's just such of the, you know, the one of the biggest values of your your guys' show is that it really helps to contextualize and understand like you guys, this is not just, you know, the good guys reacting to these crazy happenstance situations in the world. Like these are deliberate things. Like here's a, here's a book from the late 1800s to prove it, or here's a document from 2010 to prove it. You know, this is something that's being orchestrated from behind the scenes. And then it's just like, it's, and it's hard to admit, you know, a lot of people, when you start talking about these things, they, they check out, you know, it's hard to grasp these, these concepts. And then people would rather just be like, Oh no, I don't even want to look at it. I was talking to a, like a, a financial guy recently. You know what I mean? Like uh, I got involved in this like entrepreneur group. They reached out to me because I got my little handyman business going on and I was talking to him and he's uh, and I was like, man, don't you think like, what about this? Like, like the economy is like crashing. Like we're, we're like, we're heading towards like, we're going off a cliff right now. Like, like what, what are you seeing in the financial world? And he's just like, oh, I just try not to think about it. I just don't even want to think about it. You know what I mean? I'm like, oh, well, okay. I mean, that's one way to look at it. But, you know, I think all of us probably watching this show right now are the type of personalities where it's like, we can't look away. You know, we can't, we have to dive in. We have to understand. And we have to uh, reach that point of being sick to our stomachs and then being, prompted into doing something about it, right? <clears throat> the solution aspect of it, which is something I try to focus on the show. And I know Rich, Richard, you're all about that too. So, you know, it's great to understand the problem and then like come up with a solution to it. So. I also want to congratulate you for flipping the switch and turning your mic on. Cause I wasn't going to say anything. Yeah. I knew it was okay. coming from another source, but yeah. then when I heard it changed, I was like, Oh, he's, he's on that. Good. You're up yeah. in the production without well, even LD, a mention. LD, uh, LD held my hand through that process. So thank oh, you. Nice. Shout out to Sid for, for catching that one. Okay, thank you, Sid. Thank right, yeah, see, Sid will say things I won't say because I'm too polite, but Sid doesn't care. He's from Montreal. He'll tell you how it is. That's it. Like, that mic's not working. You better tell him to turn it on. All right, good job. And then um, you mentioned the the emotional attachment that people have to their accidental theory of history. Mm-hmm. And you're just saying, look, it's not accidental. Like You could go back and see them planning and setting these things up if you want to see the facts. They're there. They publish them. They're all over the place. But Mainstream media is going to give you the accidental theory of history because that's how they make their money, keeping you in fear. So you don't have a contextual understanding. Our job is you've watched enough of this show at some point. You got it. You're good. You don't have to watch it anymore unless you want to. But if you think you're going to watch mainstream media and be informed after a week of watching it, no, after a month, after you'll be confused. They will reverse on their own. It's totally discombobulated. I think it's cruel and unusual and it shouldn't be funded, but it's everywhere. It's in the airports everywhere, man. They got to show it to you. That's like the, the they live programming. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Obey, absolutely. consume, <laughs> believe. I like that. The accidental theory of history. I don't think I've heard that. That's perfect characterization. Yeah. Show title for next week. LD. There we there go. go. There you go. I like that. Yeah. We'll yeah. See. They live in digital Babylon, but they have the accidental theory of history and maybe that's how they live in a digital Babylon. There might mm-hmm. be a mm-hmm. connection there somehow. Mm-hmm. All right, so let's go to these clips of Ryan. Let's play them back to back, and then we'll come back and admire his brilliance. There you go. Now, talking about the 
CDC and the voting schedule for children or the, the childhood immunization schedule. I want to read an article that the Defender just put out. This was yesterday. Child abuse on a massive scale. CDC advisors recommend adding COVID vaccines to childhood schedule. Now it says the C and there's, this is important nuance to be had here. It says the Senate, the CDC and the vaccine advisory committee today, yesterday voted unanimously, as you know, to recommend adding COVID vaccines for children as young as six months old to the new child and adolescent immunization schedule, which will be rolled out in February, 2023. Now, just to be clear, like for instance, the title we had yesterday that the CDC votes to add this to the schedule. That's still a, a, a true statement because that's what they did. They voted to do that. Now, the nuance in there is that they are recommending this for that schedule and the states then have the choice to do so. But And the reality, as we will quickly see, is that it will translate to almost all of them doing it. I even argue many of the Republican areas will do it, too, because we're not talking about I mean, look, the, the state is making choices. But you know who's also making choices? And there's already been precedent set by this throughout the entire pandemic or the illusion of it. Colleges. High schools. Right. Making the choice themselves to mandate masks, let's say. Right. Or injections to go to the school. That's not just the governor. The, re the point is that's been allowed by the CDC. And this has already been upheld in court where they say, well, the CDC recommends it. Therefore, it's justified for them to mandate it. That's exactly what courts have found. And people have already made this point. Right. So you, you're going to see this in places that you might not expect. Maybe in Florida, when a local school decides to say, you know what, you have to have it to hear because the CDC says you should. And the CDC is going to stand back and say, we didn't make them do that. We just recommended it. You see how that works? Plausible deniability, apparently. No one's responsible. You have the choice. You're informed consent as we hide everything from you, right? The point is that this is added. They voted for it. There are many states as Del Bigtree, or is a, was it Del Bigtree? The clip that I played, I forget who it was, but made it clear that look, all these states, oh no, it was Tucker. All these schools in, or rather states already have it set that when this happens, they add it to the mandated schedule because they recommended it. That's not everybody, but that is already happening. So this game they're playing about the differentiation is important to be accurate. But then again, the real point is not about whether it gets added, but as RFK Jr. has pointed out, that once they do this, as they already did, essentially we've lost already to a large degree because that then creates a situation where they are immune from liability. Either it's an adult or anybody for that matter. And that is very concerning. They're never going to market a vaccine, allow people access to a vaccine, an approved vaccine, without getting liability protection. Now, the, the emergency use authorization vaccines have liability protection under the PrEP Act and the CARES Act. So as long as you take an emergency use, you can't sue them. Once they get approved, now you can sue them, unless... They can get it recommended for children. Recommended. Now, here's the point, guys, is that that's all. That's why these ones sitting on the shelf, and I, I argue, hasn't haven't been used. They claim they're approved, but they've never been used in the United States. Humanity, no spike facts are not being used. That's probably why I would argue, because the idea is that now now that they've got them recommended, and once this begins to be initiated in 2023, February 2023. Well, guess what? How much you want to bet almost magically community and spike facts start getting used in the place of biotech, Pfizer and Moderna. Whether or not it's even the difference, it's just about the narrative, guys. That's where we are. Now, this article does has some good 
different nuance here. All COVID-19 vaccines being administered in the U.S. to people under 18 are emergency use authorized products. The FDA did grant approval to Pfizer's community for 12 and older. However, the community injection is not available in the United States, which means all I argue, I, I question whether it's anywhere for that matter, but which means all children who get the Pfizer vaccine are getting an emergency use authorized product, which, as you just heard, means they, they're they're immune indemnity. It says when asked if a that was confusing, they have immunity from prosecution. I meant when asked if a emergency use authorization product could be added to the schedule. This is interesting to me. I didn't think this was even possible, and I don't think it has ever happened before this. A member of the CDC's advisory committee said that the U.S. the Health and Human Services Office confirmed for the CDC that apparently they can add emergency use authorization products to a mandated schedule or rather a recommendation schedule that then they mandate by the states. How is that even possible? Remember in the beginning, we were talking about the idea of emergency authorization and the mandates, and that was a big sticking point for the conversation. And now it's just like, oh, go ahead. So what does approval even matter at this point? Isn't that the reality? They're, they're just, I said this in the very beginning. Approval is quietly being pushed aside. We're just going to emergency authorize things and emergency mandate things and emergency life forever. When asked if a emergency use authorization product could be added, they said, yes, it could. The HHS did. Commenting on the statement, Dr. Merrill Nass said, quote, and that was that. No legal justification, no moral ethical justification, and definitely no medical or scientific justification. NAS said she isn't aware of any emergency use authorization product ever being added to the schedule until today. Now, talking about COVID-19 or whatever it is we're talking about, this was published on October 13th on a preprint. It says the infection fatality rate of COVID-19 among non or the title is age stratified infection fatality rate, fatality rate of COVID-19 in the non-elderly informed from pre-vaccination national prevalence studies. The infection fatality rate of COVID-19 among non-elderly people in the absence of vaccination or prior infection, which is not really relevant in the context, so just put that's out, so that's off the table. We're not talking about either of those things, not, not natural immunity or vaccination, right? So the point is the infection fatality rate for people non-elderly. It's important to estimate accurately since 94% of the global population is younger than 70 and 86% is younger than 60. So when they apply the risk that's wildly slanted towards the elderly, and even that out across everybody, that's why we're being one of the many ways we're being deceived. 94% of the population is under 70. The global population. The point is the infection fatality rate. In this case, first, we're talking about, where was it? Uh, so it says for 29 countries, publicly available age ratified COVID-19 death data and age ratified information were available. And it says the infection fatality rate across the board at a 0.035% average. 0.035% infection fatality rate. I believe the case fatality rate, correct me if I'm wrong, regardless whether it's infection or I think it was the case fatality rate for flu was 0.1 to 0.2, right? We're talking 0.035% infection fatality rate, which is more severe for the zero to 59 year old population. That's current data. Taking multiple countries, studies around the world, and the reality is that you have a less chance of dying than the flu for most everybody. And a 0.095% for the zero to 69 group. So add another 10 years to the 69 instead of 59, and it goes to 0.095. Almost the flu, but less. 
the me and that's including the elderly in that case but says the the median the average infection fatality rate for 19 and younger was 0.0003%. Yeah, that's that's similar to the Oxford calculator. So it shows you that there's the overlap with even their mainstream arguments. The point is that if you are under 19 years old, you are dramatically you don't need this. Period. There's no way around it. You cannot pretend that children need this. It's especially if you get down to below five, below six month years old. How about just a year old? Because they're still they're talking about six months and up. It is impossible to argue this is a benefit. If we see one in 3,000, one to 5,000 risk of just myocarditis, ignoring strokes and blood clots and heart attacks and everything else, it's obvious that this is a criminal act. Now, here is the real, here's the truth about how the, the foreign policy perspective here. Now, it doesn't, let's just put it this way. It doesn't matter whether you believe that what's happening in Ukraine is literally everything that they're telling you. Every bad thing they've argued which would mean that there's war crimes being committed and Russia should be held accountable. Sure, fine. Let's just pretend that's the case for the sake of conversation. Everything that she talks about here has to be also taken into consideration. So if you're going to pretend that that's the case, then why hasn't any of that happened in the endless amount of situations that the U.S. government's been involved in? Whether you thought they were trying to do good or not and tripped the shoelaces and blew everything up, right? Doesn't really matter, does it? Because it ended up the way it did. So why does one matter and one not? Yet again, Claire Daly coming out with an outstandingly important speech. State sponsor of terrorism is a term of U.S. law. It doesn't exist in EU law. But a Zelensky advisor called for it in the Parliament magazine. And here we are again reporting for duty. And all it will do is make peace harder to achieve. Exactly, of course, what the extremists want. No peace, no off-ramps, all bridges burning, and Ukraine a permanent abattoir in a suicidal holy crusade against Russia. So, if you want to start naming state sponsors of terrorism, let's do it. European sponsorship of Israeli terrorism in Palestine. Western sponsorship of Saudi terror in Yemen. ISIS, the product of French, American, British, Turkish and Gulf sponsorship in Syria and Iraq. Decades of right-wing US-backed terrorism against the Cuban revolution. The Contras in Nicaragua, death squads in Guatemala, in El Salvador. Remember Vietnam, Laos, Cambodia, horror after horror, terror after terror, there's nothing constructive about the pot calling the kettle black. Would you ever cop on, start championing peace and enter the war which is patently in the interests of EU, Ukrainian and Russian citizens? Powerful. I didn't even see that clip before. Thank there you, you Scott, for clipping that out of Ryan's show. I'm also glad Ryan wasn't here when we had to play his clips because I thought that might be like too cringeworthy for him to sit through. <laughs> but I did want to play the clips that you had excised because we had had that discussion and he was able to join us kind of spontaneously. So I'm glad that all worked out. So what are we talking about here? We're talking about this uh, this place called Pfizer, right? Just an example. And they uh, you you interact with Pfizer as a damaged consumer of their product through courts. And they got this thing they called EUA emergency use authorization, and they're uh, protected. It's like a little prophylactic around them that protects them from the public, right? But there's all this. Where Look, look, there's all this. If we were playing football right now, I'd say, yeah, there's somebody blocking right here. But there's all these other avenues, right? So now let's say one of these is FOIA, 
And this is this position's covered by Dell Big Tree. Let's call this position lobbyists, right? Maybe someone needs a lobby not only against the gene therapies in general being given to people without informed consent, but maybe against like some sort of Nuremberg code type thing. And then maybe you come in at this angle and you don't go at Pfizer directly, but you say, I don't know about this corporate person thing. And maybe we should add a few words to the corporate law from on high that affects all corporations and say, you're going to be responsible for your actions and you can't take actions that are detrimental to the the public's interest or, or health. I think actually Let's do this now that we're getting spontaneous in this show. Uh, Justin, in the control room, can you look up an article? I got and you. He's, he's, I will, he's occupied. Oh, is, Go ahead. Is he occupied? All right. So I'm going to give you uh, the 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 uh, audible. Here we go. Uh, his name is Hanson. He worked for Skadden Arbs. Let me just pull this up in the history blueprint here because I have an article here. I'm going to have to reconnect that screen. Let's see. Hinkley is his name. Oh, even more interesting. His name's Hinkley. Let me hook this mm. back up so you guys don't have a black screen of mine. There you go. There you go. All right. So there's this guy from Skadden Arps. Now, Skadden Arps is a corporate type attorney place back. Oh, it still exists today. It's one of the biggest law firms in the world. And uh, once upon a time, I uh, I adjudicated with them in court. So I'm familiar with that company, not real fans of it, but this guy once worked there, right? So just because I had a bad experience with his employer doesn't mean I shouldn't consider the words of this guy, Robert Hinckley. So in 2002, he came up with a solution to corporate personhood. Let's see if I can click and get that uh, change around for you, right? So um, this is the original post. It was called How Corporate Law Inhibits Social Responsibility. So it's written by a lawyer at one of the biggest law firms in the world. And he saw the same problem we're looking at still today. And he came up with a solution and it was like 24 words or something uh, that you add to corporate code and it could bring all this injustice to an end. And I think it might be one of the quickest way to actually get something done because you're not going to sue Pfizer. You're not going to lobby against Pfizer unless you get a a judgment from God that gives you $2.78 trillion. You're not going to do anything effective against Pfizer, but you could be effective, effective in lobbying and getting a large group of people to see that corporate law is inhibiting social responsibility. They are playing that card to the hilt and taking it's grand theft world under corporate personhood right now. You could trace almost any of these problems back, not to an actual flesh and blood person, but to the words on paper that give these corporations so much power over the flesh and blood people who run our government. So I'm just pointing it out. And if uh, LD is able to find it, yeah. Let's see. I got okay, it good. You got it on um, screen. Would you yeah, be so yeah. kind as to do some reading for me? Yeah. Um, got it here. Posted to codeforcorporatecitizenship.com. Just shared the link out in the chats from Robert Hinckley, February 21st, 2021. How oh, corporate- nice. He's still at it. Maybe we can get him on for an interview because I'm a fan of his work for 20 years. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, hopefully this is it. Uh, I didn't see that date. I yeah, the one I one the one I'm referencing that he wrote I think happened in uh, 2002. And let me click back over here. Right, right. Click, click, click right there. And it looked like yeah, I think this. you got on the, oh, the free yeah, the so, free library. 
All right, cool. Because I could go to the Wayback Machine and I, fi- I could find this article. But the first part is knowing it exists. And the second part is where was it in the past? And the third part is you use some tools on the internet to find things so you're not helpless to their censorship. Do you have uh, such, a, such a version in front of you, it looks like? Yeah, this is uh, March 1st, 2002, uh, as archived on freelibrary.com. How Corporate Law Inhibits Social Responsibility, a Corporate Attorney Proposes a Code for Corporate Citizenship in State Law. Let me uh, blow that up a little bit. The text, so, I mean. we don't have to do it federal at first. We could lobby state by state. And if we got one state to pass it, then we could just run that template on other states. Right? Isn't it time we have like an NGO or something? Some sort of think tank like Dell has? You know, I don't want Dell to be doing all this great work with his uh, ICANDecide.org just be out there in the field by himself. Maybe we need to do something. And then maybe we can inspire someone with more resources like Timcast to take some social responsibility in this situation as well. Mm. Let's see. Let's dig into this because this sounds juicy and this is unplanned. This is just a little synchronicity of having an unstructured show. And I'm interested because I'm sure uh, Scott probably didn't read this back in 2002. So I'll do this. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So the first thing I found was just a repost of it. So Uh, After 23 years as a corporate securities attorney advising large corporations on securities offerings and mergers and acquisitions, I left my position as partner at Skadden, Arps, Slate, Meager, and Flom because I was disturbed by the game. I realized that the many social ills created by corporations stem directly from corporate law. It dawned on me that the law in its current form actually inhibits executives and corporations from being socially responsible. So in June 2000, I quit my job and decided to devote the next phase of my life to making people aware of this problem. My goal is to build consensus to change the law so it encourages good corporate citizenship rather than inhibiting it. The provision in the law I'm talking about is the one that says the purpose of the corporation is simply to make money for shareholders. Mm-hmm. Every, every jurisdiction where corporations operate has its own law of corporate governance. But remarkably, the corporate design contained in hundreds of corporate laws throughout the world is nearly identical. That design creates a governing body to manage the corporation, usually a board of directors, and dictates the duties of those directors. In short, the law creates corporate purpose. That purpose is to operate in the interests of shareholders. In Maine, where I live, this duty of directors is in Section 716 of the Business Corporation Act, which reads... The directors and officers of a corporation shall shall exercise their powers and discharge their duties with a view to the interests of the corporation and of the shareholders. Although the wording of this provision differs, differs from jurisdiction to jurisdiction, its legal effect does not. This provision provision is the motive behind all corporate actions everywhere in the world. Distilled to its essence, it says that the people who run corporations have a legal duty to shareholders and that duty is to make money. Failing this duty can leave directors and officers open to being sued by shareholders. Section 716 dedicates the corporation to the pursuit of its own self-interest and equates corporate self-interest with shareholder self-interest. So basically they they wrote the code that a corporation runs on at a publicly traded level where you have shareholders that you don't know. They wrote it, uh, the coding is written for psychopaths. So they made... Uh, an entity that doesn't have a physical body, so it can't be incarcerated, so it doesn't know the fear of incarceration. It doesn't have a soul, so it doesn't fear losing its soul. 
and they programmed it to be a psychopath is what I, you know, I'm, he- I'm hearing from uh, the good lawyer. No mention is made of responsibility to the public interest. Section 716 and its counterpart counterparts explain two things. First, they explain why corporations find social issues like human rights irrelevant because they fall outside the corporation's legal mandate. Second, these provisions explain why executives behave differently. Uh, and why they- those executives <laughs> are playing, why those executives are behaving differently. So like I discovered this article while I was a whistleblower going through a court case against a multi-billion dollar company with a multi-billion dollar law firm. And then I discover it's like in the, it's in the coding of the corporate charter in the state rules and regulations that they have to act like this. They have to burn the whistleblower because otherwise it's definitely going to hurt their shareholder profits. It's going to hurt the shareholder perspective. The stock's going to go down. It involved multiple companies, other. So there is a lot going on there. They can't let that happen. So as a whistleblower, you should know it's like the corporation can't like all the stuff that HR tells you, they can't protect you. They won't protect you. And that's why it's dangerous to be a whistleblower in the first place, because you're told there's a safety net or three safety nets and none of those things exist. And it's an early warning system so they can give you a burn notice and get you out of there. And it's funny. I see there's a, there's a line coming off of your blueprint there to like Vince Foster. It's like, they will kill you. They will straight up kill you in the interest of the corporation. Like, don't you think for a split second, they won't. Well, I wasn't sure. I think Vince Foster had a, I don't know. I I don't (laughs) know what that connection was, but yeah, he, that was an example of how corporate law was inhibiting his social responsibilities for sure. Sorry about the interruption. Do you want to continue uh, or? good with no, that. no please do please do because i inter- inter- interrupted that was ernie you. i guess ernie wanted to see what was going on in here ah <laughs> uh, see shouts to ernie good all right so second these provisions explain why executives behave differently than they might as individual citizens because the law says their only obligation in business is to make money the design has the unfortunate side effect of largely eliminating personal responsibility because corporate law generally regulates corporations, but not executives. It leads executives to become inattentive to justice. They demand their subordinates make the numbers and pay little attention to how they do so. Directors and officers know their jobs, salaries, bonuses, and stock options depend on delivering profits for shareholders. Companies believe their duty to the public interest consists of complying with the law. Obeying the law is simply a cost. Since it interferes with making money, it must be minimized using devices like lobbying, legal hair splitting, and jurisdiction shopping. Directors and officers give little thought to the fact that these activities may damage the public interest. Lower level employees know their livelihoods depend upon satisfying superiors' demands to make money. They have no incentive to offer ideas that would advance the public interest unless they increase profits. Projects that would serve the public interest but at a financial cost to the corporation are considered naive. Corporate law thus casts ethical and social concerns as irrelevant or as stumbling blocks to the corporation's fundamental mandate. That's the effect the law has inside the corporation. Outside the corporation, the effect is more devastating. It is the law that leads corporations to actively disregard harm to all interests other than those of shareholders. When toxic chemicals are spilled, forests destroyed, employees left in poverty, or communities devastated through plant shutdowns, corporations view these unimportant these excuse me 
They view these as unimportant side effects outside their area of concern. But when the company's stock price dips, that's a disaster. The reason is that in our legal framework, a low stock price leaves a company vulnerable to take over or means the CEO's job could be at risk. In the end, the natural result is that corporate bottom line goes up and the state of the public good goes down. This is called privatizing the gain and externalizing the cost. This system design helps explain why the war against corporate abuse is being lost, despite decades of effort by thousands of organizations. Until now, tactics used to confront corporations, tactics used to confront corporations have focused on where and how much companies should be allowed to damage the public interest, rather mm-hmm. than eliminating the reason they do it. When public interest groups protest a new power plant, mercury poisoning, or a new big box store, the groups don't examine the corporation's motives. They only seek to limit where damage is created, not in our backyard, and how much damage is created. A little less, please. But the where and how much approach is reactive, not proactive. Even when corporations are defeated in particular battles, they go on the next day in other ways and other places to pursue their own private interests at the expense of the public. I believe the battle against corporate abuse should be conducted in a more holistic way. We must inquire why corporations behave as they do and look for a way to change these underlying motives. Once we have arrived at a viable systemic solution, we should then dictate the terms of engagement to corporations not let them dictate terms to us. We must remember that corporations were invented to serve mankind. Mankind was not invented to serve corporations. Corporations. Right. So now skip down to like, he's laid out the problem. He's got 24 or 21 words that solve the problem. And then I want to give you a background on the SCAD NARPS, his employer that taught him all these things. Uh, Okay. Starting with, I propose perhaps. Yeah. Yeah. I propose that corporate law be changed in a similar manner to make individuals responsible for seeing that the pursuit of profit does not damage the public interest. To pave the way for such a change, we must challenge the myth that making profits and protecting the public interest are mutually exclusive goals. The same was once said about profits and product quality before Japanese manufacturers taught us otherwise. If we force companies to respect the public interest while they make money, business people will figure out how to do both. The specific change I suggest is simple. Add 26 words to corporate law and thus create what I call the code for corporate citizenship. In Maine, this would mean amending section 716 to add the following clause. Directors and officers would still have a duty to make money for shareholders, but not at the expense of the environment, human rights, the public safety, the communities in which the corporation operates, or the dignity of its employees. This simple amendment would affect a dramatic change in the underlying mechanism that drives corporate malfeasance. It would make individuals responsible for the damage companies cause to the public interest and would be enforced much the same way as securities laws are now. Negligent failure to abide by the code would result in the corporation, its directors, and its officers being liable for the full amount of the damage they cause. In addition to civil liability, the Attorney General would have the right to criminally prosecute intentional acts, injunctive relief, which stops specific behaviors while the legal process proceeds, would also be available. Compliance would be in the self-interest of both individuals and the company. 
No one wants to see personal assets subject to a lawsuit. Such a prospect would surely temper corporate managers' willingness to make money at the expense of the public interest. Similarly, investors tend to shy away from companies with contingent liabilities, so companies that severely or repeatedly violate the code for corporate citizenship might see their stock price fall or their access to capital dry up. Many would say such a code never could be enacted, but they're mistaken. I take heart from a 2000 Business Week Harris poll that asked Americans which of the following two propositions they support more strongly. Corporations should have only one purpose to make the most profit for their shareholders and pursuit of that goal will be best for America in the long run. Or, corporations should have more than one purpose. They also owe something to their workers and the communities in which they operate and they should sometimes sacrifice some profit for the sake of making things better for their workers and communities. An overwhelming 95% of Americans chose the second proposition. Clearly, this finding tells us that our fate is not sealed. When 95% of the public supports a proposition, enacting that proposition into law should not be impossible. If business people resist the notion of legal change, we can remind them that corporations exist only because laws allow them to exist. Without these laws, owners would be fully responsible for debts incurred and damages caused by their businesses. Just like Alex Jones. (laughs) Whoa. It could be the just like Alex Jones bill. (laughs) I bet we could get 95% of people behind this. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe that's a strategy. All right. So this is interesting. This guy, uh, Hinckley, not to be confused with the other Hinckleys, Mm -hmm. Robert Hinckley, he worked at one of the most powerful law firms in the world. If anyone had the ability to change corporate law from on high, it's that firm, Skadden Arps, Slate, Marr, and Flom. But why didn't they? Why did he have to leave to take that idea to the world? Well, let's uh, let's dig into that. We're right here on the screen. We got uh, the good old Skadden Arps law firm in 1948 to present. And they got a lot of interesting customers. They've helped out in a lot of interesting events. A fascinating company. Not going to say anything derogatory about one of the biggest law firms in the world, but I will show you this book, The House of Morgan by Ron Chernow. Now, this is a history of J.P. Morgan and his son, Jack Jr. It's the American banking dynasty and the rise of modern finance. <clears throat> when I'm going through my trial against EMC Corporation and uh, they're being defended by Skadden Arps, Slate, Marr, and Flom, I had been corresponding with Slate, Marr, and Flom's uh, people for a long time. I'm reading this book during my trial. I get to page 599, like uh, on the first, I've done testimony for eight hours the first day i get home i'm reading a book i'm preparing for the second day in court and i read this at this juncture morgan stanley made another unorthodox decision like morgan guarantee the firm had long relied on the wasp white glove law firm of davis polk and wardell which had looked on takeover work as vulgar and had avoided it with morgan stanley partners terrified of lawsuits ensuing from the takeover work they're doing uh mergers and acquisitions or murders and executions you could look at it either way pat bateman has a certain perspective that might be respected there uh they now wanted a tough seasoned specialist greenhill insisted on hiring the experienced joe flome of skadden arps slate mar and flome whom he had met through bill sword you know and it goes on so now i realize that this this Law firm that I'm up against isn't just any old law firm. They were created 
for this specific type of dirty corporate work. Right. And then I looked into them. I was like, what else have they done? Oh, they just, you know, the government, when they get in, when they get in trouble for BCCI or Iran Contra things that are in Whitney Webb's two volume books, they went to Skadden Arps, Mar and Flom. Uh, Skadden Arps might've represented Larry Silverstein at some point. They got a lot of fingers and a lot of different pies. You might say in a guy, Richie way. So, that, you know, just learning about one of the pieces of grammar that plays into these situations can lead you off into a whole bunch of things that you used to think were conspiracy theories, but might just reflect the actual factual reality that we're involved in. Because Ron Chernow, he doesn't write conspiracy. This is not a conspiracy theory book. No, none of these are. None of these are fluff. These are establishment books telling you what's going on. But don't read books. That was that was our clip last week. Don't read books. It's not worth it. Don't don't waste your time with that. No, yeah. absolutely not. What you reading for? Yeah. You don't have to think about it, oh. dude. Thank you, Ethan. <laughs> yes, thanks, Ethan. What thanks, you reading uh, for? Well, both of them are appreciative. You know, I I tweeted today actually on that Bill Hicks uh, sound clip. There, here's a little more synchronicity for you. I tweeted today that uh, all of a sudden, just like that, everyone stopped thinking Alex Jones was Bill Hicks, like all at once. Like all that conspiracy, just nope. That's definitely Alex Jones. That's not Bill Hicks. Yep, yep, yep. Can't get two point seven five trillion out of Bill Hicks, you know? No, because he's he's dead now. So you have to be careful. Exactly. Exactly. One of the lessons. Yeah. But remember, it's just a ride, and when Pfizer's on your ride, you get free jabs. Yep. Well, he's dead, so uh, you know. In general, you always have to be careful. Bill Gates (laughs) is always late to the party. He's like, he's like second, like it's, he gets all his jokes. Pony express to him. Gates does. Maybe yeah. it's for like a security thing That's or so maybe crazy. he just like has a thing for horses. I don't know, but those yeah. Epstein tapes will hit the internet someday, some way. It's not just Hunter Biden's laptop that you're going to be able to have spreadsheets of what was uh, going on. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, all speaking of which, someday. do we have that story that um, there, I think it was a, a daily mail publication and the story was uh, some enterprising not Skadden Arps law firm went through Hunter Biden's laptop and came up with like 416 federal crimes that are like the, the evidence. He, he basically made a rose. That's yeah. the key. Rosetta Stone to Hunter Biden's laptop is the article title. And basically it's a, it's a treasure map to all the treasure trails that Hunter left in his laptop. Yeah, Gosh, I hadn't heard about that. That's good. There we go. Crazy. Now we're checking out. We're doing it live. Daily okay. Mail, 17th of May, 2022. Exclusive former Trump aide poses, uh, posts online a searchable database containing a huge trove of more than 120,000 emails from Hunter Biden's abandoned laptop, calling them a modern-day Rosetta Stone of white and blue-collar crime. Um. Garrett, I'm sure nothing's going Garrett to happen Ziegler, that. 26, who worked under Peter Navarro in Trump's Office of Trade and Manufacturing. Had an ordered, accident? Yeah. Well, we don't know. Uh, uh, he didn't kill himself. Is anybody watching what happened to that guy? <laughs> well, there he is. Uh, there he yeah, was. Maybe, that, that article six months ago. Right. Uh, we'll have to look up. There's any What's way I'm seeing now. Garrett Ziegler. No. No, Garrett, Garrett Ziegler. Yeah. Don't listen to me. All right, so um, that aspect continues to unfold. We'll see if there's, uh, you know, if when prosecution happens on that. They've been talking for the past couple of weeks like they're going to indict, uh, indict Hunter, but it's not going to be for anything that would be the egregious stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, you saw like the dude threw a gun in the dumpster across in the school. Like 
nothing happened. So nothing wrong with that. It's just a troubled kid, son of the president. <laughs> he needs help. He needs help. He does. Yeah, yeah. He call yeah, he calls uh Peter quite often for help, it sounds like from the exactly. voicemails. <laughs> yep. That's so crazy, man. Uh I mean, I, yeah, I don't even know. I don't even know like what what even to think about this. Like it's just um how many times we just have to pound our head against the wall, like just just pointing out the hypocrisy. It's like it's just insane. It's just uh but my head is just like oh huh, uh, yeah, I don't know. That's Sorry. about that's the <laughs> I'm, I'm no, that's that's the analysis of what's on his laptop. That's a that's a sound yeah. <laughs> but and yet it exists. It's like I, I it's more real than real. Yeah. It's real enough that I don't need to see it because mm-hmm. like it's it's going on and they know what's going on. They knew they covered it up. They knew exactly what they're doing and it's probably going to happen again, 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 mm-hmm. again, because people don't wake up or maybe, maybe 95%, like Ryan said, maybe there's 95% just standing there like, well, the 5% please shut up. Maybe, I don't know. We're going to see in the coming weeks. I bet there's a lot of. A lot of chaos happening with the election and everything coming up. There's going to be more bunk. Oh, Russia did it stories, you know? Oh, yeah. They, they could have a nice false flag over there, you know, something like uh, you could have a third party just like shoot one of those things down and blame the other side. And it's like a whole Gulf of Tonkin for NATO. Yeah, They're not that creative, you know? So what do they, what do they have in their bag of tricks? They got like three things that they do. They perform coups, <laughs> false flags, <laughs> and uh, undermine regimes with color revolutions. So like that's a slow burn. The coup would be the quick burn. Um, yeah, that's gonna continue to stink like a big pile of shit. That whole story. All right, so let's get fact up a little bit more because this uh, this Pfizer thing that's popping off and juxtapose that to the lab with the eighty percent kill rate, and it's like the the distrust of the dollar sign science. It's it's crashing like 1987 stock market. Mm-hmm. Will people's belief in such things crash fast enough to have realistic change in the next couple months or next year? I don't know. Cause Klaus Schwab has like, he's like juggernaut. I thought, is that another bond villain? Uh, he's like, you know, he got all this momentum and that great reset plan. People embrace it. Cause they don't know any better. They're like, yeah, eatsy bugs, eatsy bugs is good. All those schools in Australia. Like, I would think it would be hard to get a thousand schools to start feeding bugs to the kids because bugs contain certain things that aren't good for insides of human beings. And there's no way to cook or bake that stuff out of the bugs. So, like, they're slowly poisoning people in some way, shape, or form with all of that propaganda. And when in human history have people eaten bugs when they don't have steaks around? Oh, okay. So it's not that people preferred to eat bugs. It's because they don't have other food in many cases around the world. Now, delicacies, I understand. Chocolate-covered grasshoppers, have at it. Crunchy, mm, tasty. But to say, hey, little Johnny, instead of having some wholesome, real, not mutated by science food, we're going to give you some mutated by science food. Brought to you by Bill Gates. Well, the thing is, is the humans are designed to eat the things that eat the bugs, right? So there's yes. it's like there's like a, a cycle to this thing, right? Like like they're like a food chain to this thing, like a, a hierarchy. Chain. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And they want to put us back down with the mold and the bacteria. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Eat the trays of mold. I saw Bill Gates and Anderson Cooper doing the gray the gray trays of mold here yeah. while they eat the steak. Because like these people who want these things, first off, this whole does do human beings cause global warming? 
or does cor- corporate personhood? Because if we talk, if we take the top polluters on the planet, nation states, corporate people, they're doing all that. How about we shut that down? How about granny can still have uh, steak and eggs and meat and gas to drive to go pick up her lottery tickets? Why do we have to take away everyone's everything in the name of science when we're not the ones who messed it up? We're not the ones doing it. And we're not the psychopaths trying to run humanity into the ground for the sake of a good marketing campaign on their great reset. Yeah, well, not only corporate por- personhood too, but just unnecessary wars all over the world too. Like the military is also like that's the biggest driver of quote unquote, you know, whatever their carbon, their whatever you want to call it, carbon footprint. You know, like hey, well, how about we take, how about we put an end to some of these things if we want to start talking about climate change? Like you throwing mashed potatoes on a painting and gluing your hand to the wall. Like how about instead of that, we like end these wars or something? I don't know. That'd be cool. Yeah, I mean, I think people's priorities are on a spectrum. <laughs> yeah. They're on a spectrum. <laughs> They're on a spectrum for sure. They're on a spectrum. <laughs> All right, let's take a gander at the show card because there's hot, hot stories. They're really yeah. spicy, but I want to cover those like in the last third of the show. Okay. Um, maybe now is when we should shift gears into the apotheosis of Alex Jones. It's my favorite. Mm. You know, the, oh, the yeah. rising to godlike status. They're making him like superhuman with this process. And he didn't ask for it, but they're giving it to him and he's on that ride. And I think he's going to take them someplace they're not planning on because they've jumped the shark. I mean, clearly a two point. So when people listen to the podcast last week, it was like $960 million. So we called it a billion, right? Cool. It's a cool billion. And we knew the judge could stack on some other fees. So we were thinking we're going to come into this week's show. It's going to be like two and a half billion, something like that. Something it's equally ludicrous, but no, the, the smart people, they said, let's take last week's judgment. And let's multiply it by 3,000. And then let's float that because it's going to get everyone talking about it. And everyone's going to be under a false perception. The false perception that Jones owes that money. The false perception that those families get that money. All this unreality is being created by everybody who's not censored that covers that story. And then there's the real story. There are caps. There are appeals. Jones doesn't have the money in the first place. You can't get blood from a stone. Most they can do is garnish his wages and take some stuff, but he's filed for bankruptcy. So they're not telling you the realistic picture. Now, the other thing that not telling you the realistic picture does is it missets your expectations for the future. So while they say $2.78 trillion and Jones is going to be destroyed, it's like that scene in Independence Day when they thought they blew up the alien base and then the smoke clears and they're celebrating. Yay. And smoke clears and it's still there and they don't know what the fuck to do. That's going to be Alex Jones. I mean, just a couple pick, just a couple years ago, they put him on the cover of the style section for the Washington post. I posted it today when I made that tweet. So he used to be someone not alienated from the establishment. And I would say that's about the same time that Megyn Kelly came in. And Hillary Clinton had already come in and dropped his name and gave him a great soundbite for marketing. Mm-hmm. But Megan Kelly came in and she dropped that neutron bomb on him. And she's like, you don't know what's going to hit you. Yeah. Yep. And yeah, $2.78 trillion later, that was some expensive interview. And he did there. Yeah. It's crazy, man. And, you know, I think what we're doing, what we're seeing is just like this, this crucifixion, right? He's just getting crucified right now. And so, as we know, there's going to be a downtime after that, and he's going to come back stronger than ever. Like, I see this as a pure victory. They're just completely revealing the absurdity of uh, just their position. You know, I, I think it's just, it's just, this is, this is going to backfire on them ultimately. I'm 
when you're foreshadowing the the taboo topic, spicy stuff we're going to cover later, because yay, formerly Yeezus, he's looking. He's like, Alex Jones being crucified. I'm going to get crucified first. Yeah. And so he's like racing Alex to the cross. <laughs> Yeah, to be exactly. like, I'm going to get glow. You know, he, they're trying to see who can get nailed up by that globalist first. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting. And um, that Alex Jones aspect of the, the news that's come out. So like I was a little incredulous because I was like, there's no way they said $2.78 trillion. Like you might as well just say a gazillion, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Uh, 2.3 trillion is how much the Department of Defense reported was missing the day before 9-11. Ooh. That was like the biggest theft in history. Like that, it's gone. Mm-hmm. If it was bad news, they'd tell you on a Friday. They told you on a Monday. How did they know the news cycle was going to be taken over by something that makes you forget all Monday's news? Now, $2.78 trillion, that's more than the GDP of like France, and it's somewhere by Canada. It's like right in between there, meaning millions of people don't make that much money. Millions of people don't make that much money, but you're going to expect it from this one guy, or you're going to mm-hmm. set the, you're going to play the public like fools, get them to think that he has to pay that money because the people telling it from top down, no, he doesn't have the money. They just want to crush his social persona. It's like they make a, a wicker man, a straw man argument of Alex Jones, and then they burn it down in their little ritual to gain the power from the people who believe in that shit. Mm-hmm. wicker man you guys don't see the nick cage version go back and watch the one from the 70s with christopher lee christopher lee. One. ask, yeah, ask christopher jay lee. to do the christopher lee impression uh, he could do he could do impressions from the 70s version and the nick cage version <laughs> the, yeah exactly <laughs> hilarious. Hilarious. well Next uh which wicker man you had a few okay. in the playlist uh we had a jason berman's video and then um you know, there's 10 All right, casts. so the Burmese one goes long and he covers other yeah. topics, but I do want to play like the first 10 minutes of that. But prior to that Burmese video, because I texted Burmese yesterday, I'm like, are you going to cover this 2.78 trillion? And he's on the road, but he did. And he did a solid part. So we're going to play that. But before that, InfoWars, Owen said it on an open broadcast. I didn't find that to be credible. But Tim reported the Bloomberg article. And I think Bloomberg giving credence and credibility to the $2.78 trillion number is the most hilarious part of it. Uh, Cause Bloomberg himself, Michael Bloomberg, he's anti-gun, but he, he became a billionaire because he made a, a certain type of financial software that most of the people on wall street, their companies had to pay him thousands of dollars a month to have terminal access to Bloomberg it infrastructure. And so he's an interesting character in this whole thing as well but let's uh let's stay on topic let's go to the coverage of the bloomberg article from tim at timcast and uh try to laugh along with it follow the bouncing ball 2.78 trillion dollars okay let's see if this is uh in reality or clown world all right here's a story from bloomberg sandy hook families seek 2.75 trillion dollars from alex jones jury already awarded families 965 million in damages judge to decide damages under state deceptive trade law oh this is fascinating so basically they're seeking what just just about three thousand times what they were awarded from the jury 2.75 trillion let's put that into context here is a list of countries by gdp 
You can see here U.S. dollars in the trillions. France, 2.77. Canada, 2.2. So Alex Jones's lawsuit falls somewhere in between Canada and France in terms of gross domestic product. That's how stupid we have become as a people. I'm ashamed because, look, I'm worried the aliens are watching us. And boy, is this embarrassing if they are. You know, there's, there was a story we talked about the other day that claimed Putin had already tried to file, fire a nuke, but that sabotage or technical issues cause it not to fire. And I'm like, well, the only, the only, uh, you know, the only solution to that, uh, the only, the only answer as to why that's happening is aliens. You know, as soon as he pressed the button, the aliens deactivated. Well, yeah. that's the conspiracy theory, right? That aliens stopped us from firing nukes. I'm just saying the whole world, everything that humanity is, we are becoming a clown show. That's how stupid this is. So. I think we can take this back. You know, we can end this easily. Going back to the late 1700s, Congress shall make no law abridging freedom of speech. Mm -hmm. Now, back in those days, that only applied to Congress, right? But after the Civil War, we passed this thing called the 14th Amendment, says the states now shall make no law abridging the freedom of speech. So all of the privileges and immunities of free speech that were guaranteed in the Constitution applied to people like Alex Jones. There's modern jurisprudence as well that backs this up. The, the Supreme Court case that you're going to want to look to, to reference this is Brandenburg versus Ohio. This was back in the 1960s, which says that if there's a matter of public interest or an event of public interest, if you have an opinion about that event, that is free speech. So this Connecticut judge has essentially invalidated, uh, you know, jurisprudence, which has been, you know, repeatedly upheld since the 1960s. This Brandenburg case has been tried and tested and has been settled, uh, settled case law. So Alex Jones, I think, goes to the Supreme Court and wins. I don't think it gets tossed out on appeal. I think it goes to the Supreme Court, and I think that they look at the Brandenburg case, and then they throw this out entirely. Let me read this from the story. It says, the family said they're entitled to that amount, $2.75 because Jones broke a state law barring the sale of products using false statements. They reached the sum by multiplying the state law's $5,000 per violation fine by the 550 million social media exposures Jones's audience received on his Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter accounts in the three years following the Sandy Hook incident. Literally makes no sense. The judge made a huge mistake. Because- but but, but in, this, yeah. in this regard, Alex Jones did not do, com- uh, maybe I'm wrong, okay? But I'm pretty sure he didn't do commercials where he held up his product and was like, I just want to talk about, you know, a tragic event. Buy my product. And also that event was not real. Like, I'm pretty sure his commercials were entirely separate statements. Mm-hmm. It would be like if, you know, we, we have Biotrust sponsors the show as if they would be liable because I make a claim about Joe Biden on the show and that's selling the product. That's nonsense. The law is supposed to be, if I said something like, you know, this water keeps tigers away, $100, Ian, you want to buy it? Well, I yeah, don't see but... any tigers, do you? That's <laughs> no, clearly, no. right? That's what they're trying to go for. Opinions are always protected free speech. And that's Alex Jones' opinion that that happened. And so as long as it was a clearly stated opinion about a public event, he's protected. So he's never going to have to pay this money. I mean, obviously, you know, you guys were talking about it getting thrown out on appeal. But I think that this goes through the legislative process, goes to the Supreme Court. They cite Brandenburg, and then it gets tossed out. But, you know, the left is celebrating this now as if they're going to go after all of these other people like you. Kanye. You and me and Kanye and others and stuff. I don't think that happens. Not no. with the Supreme Court the way that it sits right now. Yep. When he made a statement of, and named one of the parents and said that they were lying, that is crosses the line is no longer opinion. Is that true? No. No. So uh, here's the crazy thing. 
If I said something like Ian Crossland is a conservative commentator who actively assists fascists, and I've seen him do it, that's an opinion. If I said I've watched Ian Crossland walk up to a group of fascists and provide aid and support to them, that's an opinion. Because what people need to understand is that I've talked with lawyers so many times about defamation and stuff like this. People seem to think that claiming someone did something is a statement of fact when it's not. But what about if I you said Ian Crossland said he was 43 years old and he is lying? So if you so the, the statement of fact is that you said you were 43 years old. Did you? Yes. Okay. Whether you're lying or not is my opinion. Whether you said you were 43 is fact. So if I said, for instance, Ian, a conservative commentator, Ian Crossland said that if young folks, if we get rid of no fault divorce, young folks would be more careful about who they marry. Did you really say that? Because I made a statement of fact and a quote like Jezebel. So this is a, for those that are familiar, this is literally what Jezebel did to Ian. This is a false statement of fact outright, and it is actionable. The next question is damages. Were you damaged by it? How much does it cost? Well, we had one user tell us the other day they were going to give us a thousand bucks a month for 84 years, but then they found out Ian was conservative, so they're not going to. So we'll have to look into Sue that. for 2.75 trillion. That's right. 2.75 yeah. trillion. All the marks of people <laughs> that have watched the show ever and thought of me in their head now yes. multiplied by, come on. I mean, so, so the issue with this is that uh, Alex Jones never had a trial. Yeah. That's, that's, that's what happened. If he did, they would have been like, it's, a, it's, a, it's an opinion. Albeit you might think it's a really stupid one, but it is. The judge granted um, discovery, which makes no sense. I mean, she should have immediately ruled it as a free speech issue. But, you know, she's obviously stepped into this on on a political side. A lot of people think, and I agree, Alex should not have said stuff like this. It's it's clearly ridiculous, Mm -hmm. but he's allowed to. You know, uh, Ethan Klein got suspended from from YouTube the other day for the comments he made about Ben Shapiro getting gassed. We said it on the show that night. He should not get suspended. That was before he did. Mm-hmm. And then I said it again. He got suspended. He shouldn't be. He should be allowed to say that. Someone super chatted already that like I'm criticizing Kanye West for saying, you know, well, I don't know if we're supposed to say it on the show because someone said the R yeah, word or whatever. Yeah, yeah. But my, my, I'm like, you know, Kanye, I, I said Kanye shouldn't. I didn't say he should be banned from doing it. Right. But like, what about the defamation case? Now, in your opinion, what should somebody not be able to say? Like when they can prove damages by what someone said when they're not a public figure, right? Well, so I, I, I understand the public figure thing and it's, it's, it's tough, right? If, if we're looking at someone who is a politician or a celebrity and they're active in public life and we have an argument with them, I understand why we have the Times, Times v. Sullivan precedent that there's a higher standard for public figures. For people who aren't public figures, who aren't involved in this stuff, I understand why that standard isn't there. So it, it is difficult. My, my, my view of this is like what really should have happened is that they sue Alex Jones and said, you've made false statements about this. Alex Jones pays in the thousands and, and has to issue an apology and a retraction. I think one big solution for a lot of these things is a retraction and apology, but the courts don't ever enforce that. But well, he's in chapter thing 11 is, right now. Alex yeah. already did issue a lot of apologies. No, but, I know. But YouTube deleted all those videos and mm-hmm. there's no record of it. Right. There's not a lot of records that he could comply with. And this is one of the reasons why, of course, they just threw out the court case and he didn't have his day in court. They just decided he was guilty, said he wasn't complying. Maybe he was, maybe he wasn't. We don't know the full story of exactly what was happening behind the scenes here. But uh, I don't know. Maybe these families confused Alex Jones with the Federal Reserve and think he could just print money out of thin air. And it's, it's just a ridiculous notion to ask for trillions of dollars. It shows you how frivolous this is and how it's politically exactly. motivated rather than motivated on the actual merits of this case. Yeah, I think 
I, I think there's a strong possibility it goes to the Supreme Court. They might just say they don't want to hear it, but I think they probably would because this is kind of ridiculous. So my, here's my understanding. I was, uh, we, we went down to Austin, I think it was a year ago. And this was when Jones was, right around the time he was held in default, or, or they declared a default judgment because he didn't turn over all the documents. Alex, I was talking to him and he said, we've given them every single thing we have. There's nothing else we can give them. And he was like frantically and adamant being like, Tim, listen, I, I gave him literally everything. I don't know what else to do. <laughs> and they just kept saying he didn't. Yeah. So like, what do you do when they just claim you didn't give them the documents and you did? Well, he's in well, chapter 11, which means that in Texas, he's still going to be able to operate. He's got like less than yeah. $3 million in assets. They don't have to liquidate. He can still keep his employees. He can still operationally. But that what they've promised is all the future profits from info which there never will be that. right right yeah, let me let me explain something to to uh, anybody who just doesn't understand how businesses work profits are a choice that's it it's a choice so they may try and say okay we're going to we're going to find out where you are right now and we're going to say here's a cap as to how much you can use for, for operational costs but that probably won't fly because it makes no sense because costs vary so for alex let's say he makes 3 million dollars this year I, I was probably way more a while ago. Let's maybe make, let's, let's just pick a number. Let's say 10 million. Okay, fine. They say, okay, you made $10 million. Up, 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 up. That is revenue, not profit. Alex can then take, let's say it costs him $3 million to run the business. He can then spend $7 million on advertisements all over the country, and that is an operational cost. He can just choose to dump it into things. He can buy more machines. He can build a bigger warehouse. He can build a bigger studio and just keep spending the money. They will never see a penny. Yeah, this looks right. This was a political judgment. It's not uh, a legal precedent that's set. It's going to get overturned. You know, Alex Jones will continue to be able to operate in Texas. So I, honestly, I think that probably everybody benefits from this in the end, because when it does go to the Supreme Court and they do uphold the Brandenburg precedent, people like you and I are going to be benefiting from it. We're going to get the Alex Jones precedent. And yeah. then we're going to be like, did you see that court case between, you know, Ethan Klein and Ben Shapiro? Well, well, under the Jones, uh, Alex Jones precedent, they're going to have to. They're going to hate that so much. <laughs> <laughs> they're like, we got to keep bringing up Listen. the man's name that we banned everywhere on social media. So, <laughs> in, in Jones v. So um, this is what happened in Mississippi with the abortion ban. They it, it was, what, 11 weeks or something. Then the left sued to stop it. And it resulted in Roe v. Wade getting overturned. They could have just said, hey, let's not launch any lawsuits until we get control of the Supreme Court to keep this level. But they decided we're going to go we're going to go at this and, and try and fight it. Mm -hmm. Makes it to the Supreme Court. Supreme Court says, nope, Roe v. Wade gone. Yeah, see, this is why I don't take the black pill, man. I am so on the white pill train because uh, over the long course of history, liberty has advanced. If you look at things on a long enough timeline, sure, have we lost some short-term victories? Sure, but the libertarians have slowly made gotten the big wins. Roe v. Wade was a big one. That was enormous. That happened last the first time I was on the show last time. And, yeah. and the anarchists and the people who want to be left alone, we would see things a little bit differently, but, but you do make a very good point because especially when it comes to states' rights, especially when it comes to gun rights, uh, we have seen it grow in, in, in a way that the federal government has been having a hard time trying to, of course, stop. You look at people where you look at states where people could conceal carry, they're, they're becoming more and more abundant by the day. That's a huge major victory. And I, I think when we look at, you know, the decentralization, decentralization of power, there's a lot of optimism, there's a lot of hope, but also at the same time, I, I think we're seeing the system panic 
and kind of get angry and lash out. And I think this is one of the ways that they're lashing out in these kind of particular court cases. But at the end of the day, we're talking about Alex Jones, someone that, of course, is banned on social media. And if anything, this is only going to make him more notable. This mm-hmm. is only going to right. make more people know about He's, him they, because more people are talking about him now. So he was a famous guy, but they've turned him into an iconic historical figure. Literally. that That's the craziest thing about it. A martyr. Yeah. Uh, but, but I mean, just I mean, more than that. Alex Jones, for a while, was just a personality. He was a guy who talked, and he, and he had fans. If they left him alone, he would have ended up in the in the history historical record as a guy who said stuff online. Now they've turned him into an extremely consequential political and legal figure with mm-hmm. everything they've gone after. Now, in, throughout history, there's going to be precedent historical records talking about the conflict, the crisis, the politics, all of that stuff. Just simply put, he used to be influential. Now he's consequential. That's that's Ooh, that's is that a song lyric. The, the left you didn't write that down. Yeah, the there left didn't read their Nietzsche. They stared too long into the abyss. They fought. Bra- <laughs> they fought dragons, and then they became the enemy. They became exactly wow, what they were true. fighting against. Yeah. You know who else is you know red pilling a lot of people? And another big victory for free speech and freedom is Corey DeAngelis's oh, yeah. crusade mm-hmm. for school choice in and he's Arizona. Winning. Yes, he's winning. Glenn Youngkin in Virginia, the governor's race. I mean, what a blessing that has been. But I honestly think that the school choice issue and the freedom of choice in education is the freedom issue of our time. Mm-hmm. The pandemic red pilled a lot of people, but there's nothing like telling parents that they shouldn't have anything to do with their kids' education That's to get crazy. people to show up to their town. That on top of a, a new record number of homeschoolers also throughout the last mm-hmm. few years has been Good growing boy. very significantly, especially after COVID. I want to get on the soundboard. We need uh, Silverstein saying, let's pull it. And then I'll play that from my end when we want to pull clips, just have them kind of implode on themselves in their own footprint. That'll be good. Um, so <laughs> control room, would you look up? I want to define a term for the audience. Uh, the term is called the Streisand effect. And I want to see if like uh, it might be correlating to the situation we see here with uh, the apotheosis of Alex Jones. Let's see. I think you it's might be onto something there. Phrase. I might be. I would like to think Jones is brilliant enough to do this on his own, but he's not. He wouldn't. He can't. They're doing this to him, and it's even more ironic, don't you think? Well, we can go to. Oh, oops, not that one. Streisand effect. The Streisand effect, thanks to dictionary.com, pop culture dictionary. The Streisand effect is a name for the phenomenon in, in which attempts to hide since in which attempts to hide, censor, or prevent access to something have the opposite result, the unintended consequence of drawing far more attention to that thing. Um, It is named for singer Barbara Streisand due to her involvement in a situation that's considered a prime example of the phenomenon. I believe she had a uh, a waterfront, yeah, there's a picture, beachfront property and... um, yeah, she posted something on social media. It blew up. People called her out for her hip, uh, being a hypocrisy. Hypocr- yeah, let's say that hypocrisy. Babs wanted everyone in the world to look at her new beachfront property. And so she came up with the Streisand effect. That would be brilliant, but that's not what happened. Right. Nature has a sense of humor, and I think it's brought to us by the Streisand effect. Also, from what we heard in that story, you know, their, their justification for 2.75 trillion is because he had 500 million impressions on his social media. 
And I'm like, well, how many impressions for fake news does CNN and MSNBC and those channels have? And are their sponsors brought to you by Pfizer responsible for the, the false things conveyed, especially in the past two years, let alone the past 20 years where millions of people have died because of that misinformation. Can we have an equal scale of balancing, please? And then it'll start to get entertaining. Yeah, it's a rhetorical wild. question. The audience is thinking about it. All right. So I think as far as that story goes, that's the gist. We've done it service we've done justice to the top it's not a real judgment it's not a real number it was a kangaroo trial he never got tried by a jury of his peers even at the damages they were down to six jurors so when you see the meme in benny wills's meme show of the alex jones jury and it's all dr evils there's 12 of them lisa said there should only be six in that meme and she's right because she's sharpshooting those memes all right so um they mentioned the ethan klein story in that story we just covered. Oh, yes. Let's go back to Tim Pool for his coverage of the Ethan Klein story. And then we're going to go above and beyond the pool. You know, he's he's got the deep end of the pool. We're going to go to the high end. We're going to go high dive on that. And we're actually going to look at what Ethan Klein said and juxtapose it later to what Kanye said. Yay. Sorry. Yay. 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 All right. Yay. And we're trying to get it. We're trying to try to not get a two point side. Look, if you change your name, <laughs> if you if you change your name such that people cheer for you every time you come in a room and they're like, yay, that has to make you feel good. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's why he's such a positive outlook in his music. Yeah, I've never listened to his music. I'm just making that up. <laughs> Given time for LD to find that clip. Oh, no, I got it. Oh, yeah. you got it. Right Good on. Go. Yay. Let's go. I celebrate none of hey. his catalog. YouTuber and podcaster Ethan Klein has been suspended after he said he hopes Ben Shapiro gets gassed first if there's another Holocaust. It's a shocking, crude and crass comment, but uh, I'll just say it outright. You know, we defended uh, uh, Ethan Klein, his right to free speech on Timcast IRL when the story came out. I mean, look, I normally don't comment on commentators. Many of you might not even know who this guy is. But there's a big thing happening pertaining to Ben Shapiro and Jordan Peterson, which makes this story particularly relevant and important in the culture war. But I, I digress. You might not know who he is. He's uh, he, he used to be a lot bigger. Uh, you know, he had a big YouTube channel. He had millions of subs, stopped producing on it, started doing a podcast. His channel seems to be kind of on the decline. And so I think what we're seeing here is the death throes, the death rattle. That is, this is the dude. Uh, this dude's from another era. And I think the gist of this story is he's a guy who's defended cancel culture. He's a guy who said cancel culture was a good thing. He's a guy who then makes a very, very crude joke, as he calls it. I mean, I I don't view it that way, but, you know, and now he's suspended. His response is to blame Ben Shapiro and claim white supremacists like Ben Shapiro or something. There's there's a story here that I think gets to the heart of the the shallowness is that that's probably not a good word for it. is that even a word? The um, limited function of what these people actually advocate for. And I think it really breaks down the culture war really well. That is to say, Ethan Klein is an edgy boy comedian from back in the day, 10 years ago, longer. He's making YouTube videos that were silly, that were gags. And now all of a sudden he's making podcasts where he's hanging out with Hassan Piker and they're talking about political issues and why? I mean, this guy doesn't have anything to do with politics. He doesn't know anything about politics. Why is he in it? Politics became pop culture. 
So let me break down for you the story so far. And then I want to, this, this is a really great, um, again, I want to stress this point. I, I normally don't care to talk about commentators themselves, but this story is a perfect example of the modern culture war and why we're seeing this level of shock content and why we're seeing the fake political positions of the fake left. Look, Jacobin Magazine. I know a lot of you guys, we, you know, we, we're not fans of socialism, but I have a subscription to Jacobin. Why? Well, that's the real left. And I, and I mean it. And I disagree with them on a lot of political issues. But you know what? They'll tell you the truth. Not, look, I'm not going to say they're perfect, but the right's not perfect either. But I got Jacobin Magazine. I can open it up and they're like, the Democrats are lying to you about inflation. They're like, free speech must be defended. They're saying things you know, like, like war is bad. Joe Biden sucks. I appreciate that stuff. I want to hear those opinions. Ethan Klein is the fake left. I'm not saying this to be disrespectful or start disrespectful or start a beef or anything, but Hassan and Ethan are shock jock content. Seriously, I encourage you to watch his show for real. I, I would imagine that if you're a fan of, of Timcast IRL or of these videos, you'd probably get through a few minutes before being like, dude, I'm sorry, I can't watch that. And I'll explain in a minute. But let's 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 start here and talk about what this phenomenon is from the Jerusalem Post. YouTuber Ethan Klein slammed Ben Shapiro because the pundit's Daily Wire outlet employs political commentator Candace Owens, who the YouTuber said had taught West his anti-Semitic Semitic rhetoric. So basically, this is the story right here. He said if there's another Holocaust and people start rounding up the Jews again, that he hopes Ben Shapiro gets gassed first or last, whatever that's supposed to mean. In fact, when he started saying it, the interesting thing is his crew cuts to a like a breakaway because this has happened to Ethan Klein before. He said things. He once called for a terror attack on a Republican convention. I think it was a Republican convention. I think it was NRA, maybe. He called for a terror attack, overtly called for it. They, they, they cut away, come back, and he goes, okay, sorry, guys, I got a little carried away there. Ethan Klein doesn't know anything about guns. Ethan Klein doesn't know anything about policy. There's a reason he's doing this, and it's because he's desperate for relevance. I am not saying that for, to make a dig against Ethan. I'll actually, I'll actually show you. I have, I have the evidence right? Or I should say, I have evidence which leads me to believe this is the case. Here is the uh, tweet from Ethan Klein. He says, a few white supremacists successfully lobbied YouTube to suspend me, a Jewish dual citizen of Israel in the USA for anti-Semitism. Ben Shapiro and friends can virtue signal all they want, but ultimately they are the ones platforming dangerous anti-Semites. All I did was point it out. Let me stop right there before reading. Actually, no, no, no. Let Let me read this. He says, Ben Shapiro, who was, uh, who was happy to perform a purity test on me and declare me a bad Jew for criticizing Israel, hosts Candace, I'm not reading this quote, Owens on his website, The Daily Wire, he is constantly excusing, enabling, and platforming real anti-Semitism. He goes on to say, the joke that I was suspended for simply points out that Ben, who is desperate to be accepted by his Christian nationalist friends as white, will only ever be seen by them as a useful idiot and sadly for him a joke. Okay, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go, th- he's got a lot, lot more tweets, but first, let's start here. Ben Shapiro, according to the Anti-Defamation League, was the number one target for white supremacist, anti-Semite, neo-Nazi types. Ethan Klein is arguing that white supremacists got him banned because of what he said about gassing Ben Shapiro. I got to pause right there. Anybody who knows anything about politics knows that that statement makes literally no sense. Ethan, buddy, white supremacists like your joke. That's why we didn't. But apparently they don't understand this. You see, this is what you need to understand about the modern political space. Someone like me, you know, uh, you, you see Ethan Klein coming out here saying he's a Jewish dual citizen and all that. Sure, and I, I think that matters. Good for him. And then uh, I will, of course, point out that I'm, in fact, mixed race second generation. 
Um, so let me tell you, Ethan, you and I, we agree on this. White supremacists, bad. Don't like them. Um, really bad. Yeah, we would like that, that stuff to stop. But bro, your joke played to them and they like that. Just look at what the ADL has to say about it. This is an important point to refute. And then I also got to point out this right here where he says, Ben, uh, who is desperate to be accepted by Christian nationalist friends, will only ever be seen uh, by them as a Jew. I'm sorry, Ben Shapiro is the principal talent, probably one of the most prominent conservative voices in the country, as is Dennis Prager, and they're both Jewish. (laughs) So, uh, no, I mean, this, this literally makes no sense. The Daily Wire has their top personality, most famous and biggest moneymaker is a Jewish guy. You will not be able to claim that Christian nationalists are looking down on him. They support him. And Ben Shapiro talks about Judaism all the time. If anything, he's helping spread his ideas and understanding to people who maybe don't know. He says, the people reporting me, accepting Ben, are tiki torch carrying white Christian nationalists. They do not give an F about anti-Semitism or Jewish people. They revel in the fact that YouTube and other institutions are so quick to act on bad faith and malicious outrage. Then why do those people, the white supremacists, target Ben Shapiro? That's what the Anti-Defamation League said. Don't believe them? Fun, whatever. Ethan says they are the cur- currently the greatest beneficiaries of cancel culture, identity politics, and moral outrage. It's incredible that they have become the party of free speech while decrying and lobbying for my deplatforming. They both contemn and defend cancel culture in the same breath. Now, you see, this is why I say... You know, Ethan is not political. He doesn't know what's going on. He doesn't know anything about this. Ben Shapiro defended you. I mean, he criticized your policies. He said you shouldn't have been banned. Timcast IRL, we talked about this and we said you should not be suspended for this. I, I specifically said, he's not calling for violence or anything. He's just making some, saying, saying something awful. He should be allowed to say awful things. So who are you referring to, Ethan? Ah, he's making it up. That's what they do. He's making it up. This is performative outrage. It genuinely, because I, I can break down how none of this makes sense. It's performative outrage because Ethan Klein is not political. He's only in politics now because politics became pop culture with Trump. Because of this, people who have no business in politics all of a sudden now are in the political arena and don't understand it. Let me let me let me put it this way: When Ethan Klein was making FUPA videos, you know, fatty upper pubic area videos, and and, and you know they they were good. It was good comedy. He was making all of these funny, silly, uh, rambunctious videos. I was covering politics. I was actively working in nonprofits, fundraising, activism, policy. My whole life, I've worked some of the biggest nonprofits. I wasn't making edgy comedy videos. I was covering major protests. Once politics started becoming pop culture, it meant that channels like mine started becoming more and more prominent. Comedians like Joe Rogan, who used to just tell jokes about cats, all of a sudden now he's talking politics. Politics became pop culture. Ethan Klein seeing that he needs to shift with with the times, enters the political fray, but doesn't know anything about it. And here you are. He goes on to mention that he's filed several lawsuits to to defend the First Amendment, and he has. And this was this was back in the day. He mentions that someone was trying to come after him for for copyright when he was uh, engaging in fair use. He won and good for him. He says, once again, I humbly request that all naysayers, haters, detractors can, you know, yeah, 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 suck his tiny wiener or whatever. He says, our current lawsuits with Ryan Kavanaugh seeks to accomplish the same. I will not back down to be silenced by bad faith provocateurs. I make no apology. As Ben Shapiro says, facts don't care about your feelings, if only he meant it. Now, here's the question. Ethan Klein made a bad comment about Ben Shapiro. Ben Shapiro doesn't know who Ethan Klein is. 
He's now engaging in a spat with Ben Shapiro. Like I said, it seems the point here is specifically for audience, for clicks, for uh, entertainment. Ben Shapiro responds. I don't believe that Ethan Klein should be suspended from YouTube for his awful garbage, but I'll shed no tears for a person who has routinely engaged in cancellation of others. World's smallest violin. Here is a tweet Ben Shapiro posts. Ethan Klein said, years ago, I interviewed Jordan Peterson before I was very familiar with his politics. He was an interesting guest who I enjoyed sitting with, but especially now I can see he's a dangerous gateway to alt-right transphobia and COVID misinfo. I removed both interviews today. Why? A mob got angry with Ethan, and so he removed Jordan Peterson. Here we can move forward and see Jordan Peterson's response. Also, I should warn you that those who engage in cancel culture generally live to regret it. I'm not going to come after you except politely in this Twitter stream, but the chickens will definitely come home to roost, as they always do. Ethan said, they are currently the greatest beneficiaries of cancel culture, identity politics, and moral outrage. It's incredible they have become the party of free speech. We read this. Let me show you several times this has come back to haunt Ethan Klein. So uh, following this, these Twitter thread uh, um, with Jordan Peterson responding, there was another story where Ethan said, today we have no sponsors because I'm an existential threat to gay rights and all progress. So saith uh, Ethan Klein. Apparently he had uh, inadvertently mocked, uh, made, made light of a gay stereotype. And for this, he lost his sponsors. Cancel culture came for him. Okay, here's Zero Hedge. YouTuber who said cancel culture was a good thing gets canceled. I believe this was that story, but take a look at this Twitter thread. Ethan Klein responds to Jordan Peterson saying, this is my problem, Jordan. You asked for specific reasons. I provided them. Instead of acknowledging my response, you retract further into your bubble of flatterers and devotees talking of how you schooled me on cancel culture. You didn't school me, Jordan. Your room is as messy as your mind. Actually, Ethan, he did. But I mean, I don't think Jordan came out and said, oh, smack down, I smack you down. Nothing like that. That's not Jordan Peterson. Ethan Klein says, and Jordan, regarding cancel culture, the only thing that has ever guided me is my own moral compass. Everything else is just noise. The mob is free to cancel me as it will, and they have plenty of times. And actually, canceling, as you call it, sometimes is a good experience, as painful as it is. The times when I've received the most flack on things, I've said are the times I've, uh, the times I've received the most flack on things, I've said are the times I've learned the most about myself and the world and how to become, how to be more mindful and caring of others. Man, I butchered that. He said, canceling is sometimes a good experience. Ethan, you made a joke, as you say, that Ben Shapiro should be gassed first. Okay, maybe you should understand why people are upset with you for that. Now, why is it when you get canceled over your sponsors, you say you're an existential threat. But when when, when you make comments about Jewish people, you think it's white supremacists because he's lying. He is. Let me show you. This is the H3 podcast. I got a lot of subscribers. I got way more subscribers than we do on their podcast. Granted, I suppose if you were to take active production, I have more subscribers between my three channels, but there's probably overlap. So more unique subscribers probably to H3 podcast. So I decided to take a look at their latest show. And for the first five or 10 minutes, I started to understand what his show was. And normally I'm not uh, so crude and crass as say someone like H3. But now I'm going to be. Um, I watched uh, a, a, a bit, a couple of his, his clips, and I really started to figure something out. Yo, I'm sorry, H3 podcast listeners. Not all of you, but this show really is quite idiocracy. 
In this latest episode, it's him arguing with his hosts, and it's some of the lowest common denominator content I've ever seen. That's just me. I know a lot of people like it, but I view it as lowbrow. That's just it. I am not saying you, you can, you're not allowed to like lowbrow content. I mean, some people like Big Bang Theory. I personally don't. When you watch Timcast IRL, we immediately start with, boom, introduction. Here's what's happening in the news. Here's the story. Here's what we think. Check out our website, promo pitch. Here's our guest. Let's talk politics. I generally avoid talking about other commentators or doing drama bait stuff. It's why, and I'll say it, it's why we won't have people like Sam Cedar on the show. We invited him on the show in good faith. He turned it into drama. I just don't talk about it. I'm bringing it up now because it's relevant to, to the context here. But there's a reason why. <clears throat> so in uh, Ghostbusters, the whole thing was that don't cross the streams. But the whole Ethan Klein story saga of Ethan's decline is not something that we're into for schadenfreude. It's because it happened the same week that Kanye West had a whole bunch of the diff- different clips. So the Ethan Klein clip, we it, Tim didn't play it. We do have the clip and we can play it. Um, that's a band censored clip. And then all the Kanye stuff has also been scrubbed from the internet. And it's a, uh, what one talking head on YouTube anomaly said was the, the most interesting thing that's happened in the past 10 years of podcasting was that four hour interview. But now you can't even go see, what was what are people so upset about? So oh, we've done can. our best I've to amalgamate some of those clips. But let's uh, let's first hear in Ethan's own words what he had to say because maybe he, it was a joke because he's a comedian, right? Shock jock. Maybe he's joking, and you can pick that up from his inflection. Maybe he laughs or something like that. Um, I, I don't know. Let, let's hear the clip so we can actually judge for ourselves because I don't like hearing about these things but not actually hearing what the person had to say because it's censored. I think we can do better than that. I was just going to say, if there's another Holocaust and people start rounding up the Jews, this, I just say, if they start rounding up the Jews again, I hope Ben gets gassed first. So did they try to pause and take him off and he was, he asked to be back on screen to finish the sentence? Unclear. I'm I'm not sure because we got that clip, uh, you know. All right. So, uh, like, let's play the clip again so I can hear it again, but and make sure it starts at the beginning so we're not confusing anybody playing stuff out of context. Yeah. I was just going to say if there's another Holocaust and people start rounding up the Jews, this, I just say if they start rounding up the Jews again, I hope Ben gets gassed first. Okay. So, I'm not familiar with his show to an extent, but. If you look at the person in front of him to the right, if that's his producer, it seems like that person said, oh, shit, and put the screen up. And then he was making eye contact with him, like, what are, we, what are you doing? Put me back on screen. And then he continued to have conversation or dialogue with that person. So I'm just trying to understand the production dynamic that we just saw, because he did get on the screen to, to finish saying that. So first off, the the term Holocaust means a burnt offering. It's 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 a word with a lot of power-packed emotional history and it shouldn't be used lightly and it shouldn't be in my terms nobody's looking for a second holocaust nobody wants that to happen nobody wants ben to go first or last but i'm not everybody and apparently what they're saying is there are some people who feel the opposite way okay now in the story with kanye he also said some things 
and probably used some generalities and not specifics. And uh, there's a there's a conflict, right? But there's similar topics being talk, talked about in both cases. And both of them can go back to the Nazis. What Ethan Klein's referring to happened in Nazi Germany. And according to the story, the allies and the Russians went in and crushed the, the Germans and all that stuff ended, never happened again. And humanity learned their lessons, just like they did from Nuremberg. There will never be human experimentation on unwitting subjects against their will ever again. And here we live in a, a world of truth, justice, and the American way, and everything's just fine and dandy. But you also got Kanye making these statements, and then people... Uh, bringing up, uh, you know, Hitler and white supremacy and all these other things in association with those topics. And part of it is, I think they, somebody doesn't want you to hear what's being said. So they kind of drown it out with some noise all over the place. Not sure how that works, but I'm interested in the dynamic of if what he's saying is so wrong and so dangerous, why shouldn't we all know and hear it and recognize that and ostracize him from our, our awareness of our worldview? Right. But it seems, again, like a Streisand effect. More people are interested in what he said because it's getting censored and they don't have a clear idea of what happened. And I think that's another thing. And it seems to be a pattern in world history, especially American history, that because of national security secrecy in some area, a bunch of relevant information gets censored from public view. And then without that chunk of information, People familiar with the context say, what must go here? What fits here? What should be here? And they come up with theories. And then because they are doing that thinking, that analysis, that notice of something that's supposed to be there is missing. And what is it? And how do we replace it? They give you derogatory terms like conspiracy theorist and uh, such other mind fart terms that are excuses for intellectual bankruptcy and, uh, uh, and a reason to carry their ignorance forward into the future because they can't be checked with the facts of reality. So there's a lot in uh, there's a lot of propaganda steeped in this whole milieu. And you got these two characters, right? Ethan Klein, very uh, popular YouTuber, Kanye, allegedly some sort of musician. I've never, yeah, I've never studied his, uh, his catalog. So, but he's a, a public figure and an entrepreneur who has done, and he's outspoken on any number of topics, right? Didn't he just think he was the Messiah a couple years ago? Or is that just me? Just George Soros thought that. And now one Messiah character is calling another Messiah character out because Kanye called out Soros. In fairness, that might have been when he was all up on some meds that I don't think he's on anymore. Well, when Soros said it, he wasn't up on some meds. He had just crushed the London stock market and owned the British pound. Yeah. So that's a different kind of drug. That's different. He's high on power. Soros was. Anyway, this isn't about Soros, though. Yay might bring him up. In the next couple clips. So there's some things to consider. And I would like to, before we get into all the yay, yay clips and the, the things that go with that story, I want to step back because I think any of these stories, whether it's Ethan Klein or the Kanye West story, they can get people emotionally riled up, right? And our job here on the show is to say, we recognize that exists. Let's step back a little bit. Let's get some more context on this story. Let's see what's actually going on. And then you could see without this knowledge of what's going on, how these two characters in the play, Kanye and Ethan Klein, both with not ideal sets of information to work from are colliding, but they could be on the same side. They might have a lot more in common than people think. Or Kanye was working with Candace Owens uh, at the Daily Wire 
So for them to come out with, uh, I believe it was white lives matter t-shirts that he talks about in some of the clips, right? That was like a big provocative thing that they did. That's all sponsored by uh, Ben Shapiro and the other folks at the daily wire, including I think Prager, right? Has a piece of it. So there's interesting dynamics going on. They are attracting a lot of heat, a lot of censorship, a lot of hyperbolization, a lot of people shortcutting to thinking and jumping to conclusions. And I think the best thing we can do in the fog of war is maybe take a position on top of the hill and get a better lay of the land what's going on. So as our intermission piece tonight, if LD has it unlocked, do we have it, LD? We do. All right. Scott, I broke out a special treat for you tonight. And it's a piece of my footage that I filmed a couple years ago. I don't think you've seen it yet. And uh, it's part of a film project that's still ongoing, but it's on the back burner because I do this podcast every week. So this is an interview with a co-author of this book right here. And it is called Dope Inc. Mm. It's got a little syringe on the front, Mm -hmm. but it's a syringe that carries opium. That's a different type of epidemic pandemic that's going on. So Britain's opium war against the world and uh, co-author Jeff Steinberg, uh, our interview with him in Washington, D.C. a couple years ago is going to help to illustrate the bigger picture of what's going on in any of these circumstances and not saying what Kanye said was right or what it's not trying to prove them right or wrong. It's just providing a larger arena in which you can see these two flawed and tragic characters making their commentary and almost as if if they knew some of what's in this interview that follows, they wouldn't be speaking the way they're speaking about these topics. So without further ado, here I, I is- want to say something real quick. Yeah, I want to say yeah, something yeah. real quick, if that's all right. Yeah, all right. Please, that's all right. Please, so, please. So, so as far as the Ethan Klein thing goes, like yeah. I really want to hear what Peter Strzok's opinion is on it, because I don't think he would have been offended by this. I think the thing that would have offended him would have been if Ethan Klein would have said, if they ever storm the Capitol again, I hope Ben Shapiro goes into Nancy Pelosi's office first. Now, that would have gotten him riled up. That would have gotten him riled up. There well played. Well played. And this is a comedy show. For those of you exactly. watching at home, this is a comedy exactly. show. Comedy shows don't have to be funny to be covered under freedom of speech. So Correct. there you have it. Ethan Klein apparently doesn't have to be funny either to be a professional comedian. So mm-hmm. there are two cases. Take those and uh, chew on them. All right. So now the clip coming up, Jeff Steinberg. This is filmed in a hotel room in D.C. that we had rented uh, and done several interviews in that room. So we interviewed Bill Still uh, in the same place, different setting. So some of you might have seen other interviews from the same setting, but I don't think you've seen this particular interview because I don't think we played it yet in this podcast. People haven't seen it. So this is Jeff Steinberg. He's co-author of Dope Inc. And you're going to hear about where Soros got his money. And I'm a little incredulous, but I've learned a lot since then. I found the documents, everybody. We can look at the documents afterwards, but let's go to uh, this tasty, this juicy intermission clip, a little flashback to uh, some of my work in the past that has yet to see the present or the future. Here's a gift tonight for you in Grand Theft World. And um, as I say, I'm more than happy to, uh, you know, continue this. What's your deadlines and his, stuff? His, you would be best to go to his studio. Yeah. And do a real. Where is it? Up in, in Connecticut. In Connecticut. Yeah. yeah, sure. You know, that would be ideal mm-hmm. because he is, uh, you've seen what he's done. Yeah, sure. Yes. 
with William Binney and uh, John uh, Gatto right. uh, and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. he is an unbelievable researcher. Right. And I've learned a lot from him. And mm-hmm. and, and, and I really, how, how did you get into what you're doing? Been doing it since the early 1970s. <laughs> it's a lot of accumulated. What was the first thing that kind of like said to you, things aren't right, I've got to investigate that? Um. LaRouche came to give a lecture at Rutgers. I was going to graduate school. I'd gone undergraduate there. And um, he just basically said, um, the end of the Bretton Woods system, now everything is going to be vectored in the direction of the uh, Wall Street, London gamblers. Um, Productive investments are going to be eroded. And um, it's not going to be called fascism, but under a liberal guise, uh, that's the direction we're going to be heading. And we've got to do something about it. So that's what started. Yeah, exactly. And I, you know, I, I was impressed by that and did a lot of reading and, you know, thought about it and sort of came in on the ground floor of... It, it all leads to the same place if you start reading the same books. Yeah. You know, and you go through the history. If they, if they get rid of the books, they get rid of the history. We're, we're going to... I know. History. I think that there's a. I'm ready. Uh, I'm rolling still. So okay. Well, so got a camera overheating back here. Uh, okay. I turn this card out. I got this. I got that. You want me to put that on the tripod there? Jeff, can I get you to sign my book before? Of course. Yes. No. Rich, uh, all right. I, I stopped it from recording. I couldn't shut it off. Should I shut it off and then? Rich, you just want another CF card? I can get you one. I got a CF card. Okay, pop it on. I'll put it in. Instead of worrying about that, we got four cameras, five cameras. One, two, three. John's trying to give me the direction. Six. That's just the six cameras. We got 45 minutes. I love how he wants to rush me now. He's like, oh, yeah, hurry up. Dude, I had no idea his time was short. I thought we discussed that. Yeah, I don't think we told John. Yeah. I thought you said until... I thought John had no questions. Are you kidding me? This guy's a plethora of knowledge. What am I going to let him walk out of here without getting the... I'll come up to Connecticut. Yeah, yeah. Seriously. Yeah, I was just saying I'll, be, I'll be happy to. I appreciate the offer. I am going to take you up on that. Good. <laughs> Good. 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 I'll be there to film it if you want, Rich. Yeah, yes, you will. Yeah, you will, yeah. I mean, right, I, I get, get a, Just give me a slate and... Uh, next uh, time I know I'm going to New York... I'll just uh, give you a heads up and, uh, you know, plan to spend an extra day and come up to Connecticut. That would be great. Yeah. All right. For the sake of beauty, we're going to take those glasses off of reflection yeah. only. Not mm-hmm. that you don't look good in glasses. Okay. Slate, one, two, three. And here's your white balance. Are you? This is like, okay. Yeah, this is like a two-minute drill. <laughs> yeah. At the end of the football game. All right. Let me get that. Very nice noise. Um, I guess we're going to just jump into this international banking family known as the Rothschilds. Mm-hmm. Uh, could you explain uh, who they are and why we're not taught about them in America? Well, I think you've got to start from the standpoint that the Rothschilds are part of a structure. And the structure has a name. It's the British Empire, and it's gone through 
various changes and permutations, but never lost its fundamental empire character. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, the Rothschilds uh, were adopted as part of that British empire system. You could go back uh, prior to the British empire and look at Venice as a sort of a case study. And remember that many of the leading Jewish banking families started out, for example, the Warburg family started out being bankers for the Venetians. And at that time, their name was Del Banco. And they were dispatched up to Northern Europe during the point where the sort of center of gravity of European economy and politics was shifting north into the Netherlands and eventually into England. And so the Warburgs were sent up to Germany to a town called Warburg. They adopted the town name. The Rothschilds were up in similar in, in parts of Northern Europe. And so they came to be part of that emerging, evolving empire system. You could say that we went from a Venice-based empire that was dominant in Europe to one that relocated up into the Netherlands for a period of time and then eventually migrated to where the center of it uh, came to be, London and the British monarchy. And of course, the Dutch and the British uh, from the time of the Glorious Revolution have been intermarried and are effectively one extended apparatus. And so the Rothschilds effectively deployed in Germany, in Britain, in France, in Switzerland, and became a very efficient instrument for the financial power of a system that they themselves did not absolutely control, but became an indispensable part of. So I think if you very often people look at a family, the Rothschilds, mm. the Warburgs, and say, well, there's a Jewish banking network that runs the world. Well, they, they wouldn't be anywhere without the fact that they had a structure of monarchy and empire that preceded them, that sponsored them, and could throw them overboard at any time if it seemed in, in their interest to do so. You know, Robert Maxwell, Edmond Safra. These were sort of like 20th century examples of what the Rothschilds were in the 18th and 19th centuries. And, you know, look what happened to them. They got a little bit too independent and big for their britches. And, you know, suddenly they're both dead under, you know, very mysterious circumstances. George Soros is the same kind of character who's picked up because they have no morality, because they're ambitious and they're bright. Mm -hmm. So it's the system of empire. And the last remaining empire, the current empire that's the dominant force on the planet, still remains the British Empire, but with the caveat that many aspects of American policy are controlled by that system. You know, you could talk about the Council on Foreign Relations, which was the New York City branch library of Chatham House, the Royal Institute for International Affairs. And you know, I think Churchill put it at the end of World War II, uh, with British brains and American muscle, we can run the world. And that, you know, that's been the concept. So you have a system 
of empire as a concept of how an oligarchy can dominate the affairs of the planet, or at least major regions of the planet. And you've had modifications over time. The techniques have been, you know, developed and modified, but the system of empire is still the largest existing enemy of the human race, and we've still not overcome that problem. So the Rothschilds, to this day, remain one of the cornerstone capabilities of this European imperial system. And the fact that they operate financially in France, in Switzerland, in Germany, in Britain, makes them ideal as a sort of an instrument. Remember, George Schultz brought Arnold Schwarzenegger over to meet one of the reigning Rothschilds to sort of vet him as they were preparing to install him in as governor of California. And, you know, he sort of passed the smell test that, you know, he would do what he was told. So they're part of something that's bigger than them. So they're part of a, a system, a system that's migrated through Venice uh, the Venetians had the, like the Medici's and the banking system, and there's uh, the Venetian hierarchy. Uh, and then you have these uh, royal families in Europe, and they partner with the banking system to create bigger and bigger empires. And even though it might seem like they're competing against each other, the German Empire, the Russian Empire, the British Empire, they're all interrelated. They're all uh, being funded by the same central banking ideas, these international bankers. Uh, let's talk about the East India Company's penchant for opium and uh, maybe something like uh, David Sassoon, the opium magnate from Iraq back in the day. And he's uh, they were known as the Rothschilds of Iraq. Right. Um, this use of opium, this illicit drug trade and how it ties into the banking and uh, transforms over years to even this day. I'm sorry. Yeah, what do you got? Excuse me, Rich. Yeah. Uh, I think you nudged the camera a little bit. I was cutting off his shoulder a little, so I just pushed it back. Awesome, dude. Thank you. Well, look, the within this system of empire, there's always a sort of a internal tension. And so let's just take the history of the British Empire. Uh, you've had commercial interests associated with the city of London, with the big trading companies. And then you've had the monarchy per se. And there have been long periods of time where, you know, quite frankly, through too many generations of inbreeding, you had idiots on the, you know, British throne. But then there have been other periods where you've had, you know, occasions where the monarchy has reasserted and has been the dominant force. Well, beginning at the Basically, at the t time of Shakespeare, when the initial royal charter was given to the uh, British East India Company, um, that group of merchants, a lot of it, you know, sort of modeled on already the existing Dutch East India Company, um, set up a uh, massive military shipping operation that extended all the way to the Far East. If you want to know why the Gulf Emirates are so slavishly loyal to the British, you have to go back to the 1700s when the uh, trade going eastward towards China uh, by ship needed a stopover point midway for resupplying and things like that. And so the British worked out agreements with tribes in all of the countries that now make up the GCC, the Gulf Cooperation Council, 
those treaties in many cases go back to the 18th century where uh, one particular tribe was backed up militarily by the East India Company, was installed in power, and they immediately signed treaties that ceded over all of their foreign defense and financial policies directly to the East India Company. So, you know, long before there was oil, the British had a deep hook into the whole Persian Gulf region because it was the way station on the way to India and then eventually further on the way to China. So at a certain point, uh, the British had enormous interests in two things. Number one, uh, in accessing uh, critical goods that they wanted to obtain from China. And number two, uh, they wanted to exert control over a country that already back then was geographically and population-wise many orders of magnitude bigger than the British. So the development of the opium trade in India, the production of opium in India to be marketed in China became a part of the double-edged strategy of the East India Company towards China. On the one hand, opium was the product that they wanted to trade for silk and, you know, tea and other things like that. And that were very high value added goods to bring back to Europe. And number two, the addiction became part of the social controls. Remember, the Chinese referred to that entire epic of the British East India Company as the, you know, the, the, the lost century where China was down, whereas it had historical periods in the past where they were a great power. So opium was both a weapon of social control, as well as a trading commodity. And when there were objections to the spread of drug addiction in China, at that time, the East India Company had a better military force than the British crowned it. And so they used that military force during two opium wars. And, you know, when you got to the latter phase of the 19th century, uh, you had Queen Victoria's son, Prince Edward Albert, who uh, emerged as a sort of a, you know, oligarchical genius, if you will, who had a much better grasp of how to play the different factions in Europe and globally, and who was also very concerned about the growing economic power of the United States and the fact that the U.S. was in Europe, was in Asia and was adopting a very different approach, building railroads, giving economic advice on how to create national banking. And so Prince Edward Albert decided that it was time for the monarchy to take a dominant position over the company. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, what you saw in the final decades of the 19th century was the reemergence for the first time in a long time of a powerful monarchy that basically put the city under the control of the crown. You know, these are interesting internal histories within an overall system of empire. This is the internal give and take side of things, but it doesn't change the fundamental character and the underlying policies of the British Empire. At the end of the 19th century, they also came to realize uh, that empire was sort of losing its luster, and they developed the concept of using the Commonwealth uh, 
the British Commonwealth as the alternative to empire. And they invented the idea of phony independence. So they created basically satrapal states that were controlled by those people that were dominant, were educated, were controlled in various ways by these oligarchical institutions. And the people who stood in the way were very often executed, just simply, you know, butchered and killed. You know, the history of assassinations of nationalist leaders around the world, uh, you know, is really another element of the story of empire. We published a pamphlet a number of years ago that was just called Why the British Assassinate American Presidents. And if you go back to, you know, the Lincoln assassination, Garfield, McKinley, Kennedy, you know, the attempts that either didn't succeed or others like Hamilton, who was killed in the duel with Aaron Burr, who was a an employee agent, a lawyer for the British East India Company. You get an idea of, of you know, how these things work. They were developing more sophisticated methods of social control. Um, in the 20th century, beginning in the 1920s, they really began using mass psychology as another instrument for imperial control. The Tavistock Institute mm -hmm. became the sort of flagship, and they set up satellite operations all around the world. The Frankfurt School in Germany, uh, the Wharton, you know, school has a whole branch of Tavistock, University of Michigan, ISR. Mm -hmm. They, they, you know, sort of honed down the skills and the applications of new emerging technologies to maintain imperial control, but the basic principles have really remained the same over time. So you've got, yes, you've got leading families that are key instruments of it, but it's, it's the system itself. It's the concept of empire and who emerges as the most effective practitioners of that, who will tend, you know, to sort of dominate the scene. You shut off, John. Don't worry about that. Um, Rudyard Kipling, Cecil Rhodes, Freemasons. So we've got the system of empire that's facilitated mm -hmm. by banking, that's kind of upheld by opium production. And um, the British Freemasonry was used basically as a, a way of soft colonization and setting up the new territories. Right. And so you've got Cecil Rhodes who says, look, I see what's going on. Uh, I'm funded by the Rothschilds. I got the De Beers gold mines, diamond mines in South Africa. Uh, and he has his last will and testament where he says, I want to leave my fortune to create a secret society for the purpose of bringing America back into the British Empire. Yep. Oh, and by the way, let's create Road Scholar so we can turn these cowboys in America into British gentlemen. Mm -hmm. um, so how does uh, you know the ideology of Freemason couple up with Cecil Rhodes? And what does it mean to America? Because, again, this is something that we're not taught about. Well, you know, they, they went a number of steps further in that period immediately after the creation of the Rhodes Trust and the scholarship program and all of that. Um, Teddy Roosevelt was an inflection point mm -hmm. because um, Roosevelt had a number of people around him. Brooks Adams wrote a very famous book in like 1900 about this idea of a kind of remarriage of the Anglo-American forces as a kind of a unified uh, operation. Um, the 
Encyclopedia Britannica was a very, very important sort of intelligence and propaganda element for spreading this idea of the, you know, British view of the world. And the Encyclopedia Britannica was ultimately moved to the University of Chicago as they were building that up as a major sort of hub of British Fabian penetration into the United States. Um, you know, masonry, you're right, it's a, it's a form of seduction to, you know, bring people in to a system that ultimately preaches loyalty to this concept of empire, in particular British empire. Of course, there were there were rival Masonic lodges that people like Franklin set up at the time of the American Revolution to sort of mimic the form, but with a completely different concept. In order to make a revolution against a powerful oligarchy, we need to have our own secrets and be able to organize our own sort of protected plans and conspiracies against empire. So, you know, the Masonic thing gets complicated as you sort of burrow down into the details of the history. But I think the idea of creating institutions to promote the love of the British and the British system of empire in the United States, uh, the Rhodes Program is obviously one of them. Uh, the creation of the Council on Foreign Relations uh, is uh, another one. The University of Chicago was particularly, you know, created as a major center for the promotion of this kind of British ideology and for recruiting and training people. Obviously, many other universities as well, but Chicago is a kind of a, a flagship, and that's why the Encyclopedia Britannica wound up uh, being based out of the University of Chicago as part of this multifaceted project of reintegrating the United States. Remember, in the 19th century, the British on two occasions tried to reconquer the United States by war. The War of 1812, which was a close call because Jefferson was so hateful of any system of empire that he allowed our defenses to be basically drawn down to the point that we were, we were vulnerable. And we got over that. And the 1820s was a period of substantial economic expansion of the United States to where it became a lot more difficult mm -hmm. to destroy us and take us back over again. The Civil War was the ultimate British game to basically split the United States, to promote the slavery and cotton economy of the South. And the irony is uh, that if you, if you know the history of that period, one of the factors that was indispensable in preserving the Union in Lincoln's victory is that Lincoln had cultivated a very close relationship with the Russian Tsar Alexander II. And there was a, an obvious danger that Britain and France would come into the war on the side of the Confederacy or try to step in as neutral mediators and say, well, face it, the North and the South, they'll never get along. So accept separation and we'll broker a good deal. Um, the Russians sent their entire Navy to New York and San Francisco and the commanders of those fleets had secret orders that if the British entered the war on the side of the Confederacy, the entire Russian Navy would go under Lincoln's command. So 
the Civil War was really a, a global war in the same way the American Revolution was. And it was the last opportunity that the British had to militarily defeat the United States. And the greenback policy, the mobilization of the economy of the United States uh, from the po point of the Civil War onward uh, reached a level where the British couldn't even pretend that they had the military resources to defeat the United States in a war. And so they opted for the next best thing, co-optation, manipulation. And so, you know, that's been always the other side of the imperial strategy. If you can't defeat an adversary militarily, figure out ways to subvert them and take them over. And so the Rhodes Program, all of the, you know, different um, Anglo-American fronts that were established. Um, the Remember, during the time of the Civil War, um, the top Rothschild representative for the Western Hemisphere was August Belmont, mm -hmm. who came to the United States and for about 25 years was the chairman of the Democratic Party. So they were already, even at the time of the Civil War, looking for ways to establish points of subversion, soft underbelly, co-optation. And then, you know, you have other organizations that seem to have very little political identity, but like the English speaking union mm -hmm. and things like that, that really encourage, you know, some kind of idea that there's a common cultural heritage as if, you know, somehow or other accepting empire was a precondition for the United States to be part of this Anglo-American arrangement. Rich, I'm sorry. Uh, Put again. Flashing red again. Should I shut it down? Uh, end the file. Like, turn off recording. Yep. And then turn off the camera and just and let it cool. Um, let's just, what time's your hard stop? Um, like 20 after. It's 10 up now. Okay. Another half hour. Let's talk about Dope Inc. Okay. This book that was written in the 80s. 70s. 70s. Yeah. Wow. 1978, 79. How did you guys, who all wrote it? Like, it wasn't just you. You no, were a co-author. No, no, yeah. There's a tremendous amount of research in here. Yeah. I had it on my shelf for several years. I didn't read it. I was like, ah, oh, dope ink, whatever. Yeah. And then I did all this other research, found out about, you know, Quigley's Tragedy and Hope, the Anglo-American yeah. Establishment, the Pilgrim yeah. Society, HSBC, the yeah. Opium, the EIC, yeah. East India Company. And then I read this book and I yeah. was like, Wow, someone else, someone else gets it. Yeah, and I'm not saying everything in there is completely, uh, you know. No, accurate. I would rewrite things right. too. Yeah, yeah right, right, right. As you go along, but yeah. there's a serious point to this book that yes. escapes 99.999 percent of people in this country. Yeah, how would you explain it to folks at home? Well, let's go back to why the book was written. Um, you know, this is the uh, the Jimmy Carter Trilateral Commission presidency. Um, there was a major push for across the board drug legalization at the time. Um, we knew that we were at the beginnings of a new opium war in the sense of the transfer from Southeast Asia into the Afghan, Pakistan, mm -hmm. Iran area. Operation Cyclone, and you got people like Zbigniew Brzezinski, yes. who along with Kissinger were mentored by Rhodes Scholars like exactly. William Yendo Elliott. Yep, exactly. And so, you know, LaRouche basically said to a bunch of us, he said, um, this is a fundamental issue of national security. If we allow an opium war, 
to devastate the population of the United States. We were already aware of some of the control mechanisms over the counterculture. For example, you know, the, the organization came out of the SDS movement in the 1960s. And we had a bunch of people at Columbia University. And they were closely aware of the process by which the Weather Underground came into being. And they happened to be close enough into some of those people that they knew that the whole operation was bankrolled by the Ford Foundation through Herbert Marcuse's nephew. Mm -hmm. And so it kind of offered an understanding of how things work that's very different than the way most people would assume things work. So we had a kind of a natural tendency methodologically to want to take a look at these things top down and to look behind the scenes, behind the curtain and figure out how this stuff works. So, you know, myself and about a dozen other people, we got a really broad mandate to just simply, let's just take this slice of it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Let's just take the hypothesis that there is now an opium war directed at the United States. So let's go back to the historical record. What was the original opium war? Who did it? How was it organized? You know, and again, what comes out is a top-down structure. After the East India Company per se was sort of downgraded, a bunch of institutions were given royal charters. Hong Kong and Shanghai Banking Corporation, today's HSBC, um, you know, uh, Jardine and Matheson, Standard and Chartered, you know, our, uh, uh, the SNO, uh, what, what is it, the steamship line, all, all of those sure. Br- British entities were created for the purpose of having a permanent structure for carrying out opium wars. And so we did the historical research. We went through the archives. We found the letters of Lord Elgin, who was one of the British ambassadors in China, in the settlements area, talking about social control as a core concept behind the opium wars. We had some people at that time who were uh, working on this project with us who happened to come from families that were part of this whole apparatus. We had one guy whose father was probably the MI6 station chief uh, in New York City and who was in this whole circle of the New York Times, the banks on Wall Street, the intelligence services, the whole Anglophile apparatus. And we had several former CIA guys who had been on the ground in Southeast Asia and had been tasked to actually follow how the opium trade was working in the Golden Triangle. One of our sources actually coined the term the Golden Triangle and literally drew the map of the mountain areas where all the opium was being grown. When that map got back to Washington, Kissinger, who was secretly negotiating with Mao at the time, ordered the entire section of the triangle that went into Chinese territory to be removed from the map as a way of covering it up. So we we were in a kind of a privileged position to get certain firsthand information, uh, an enormous amount of historical research. At that time, uh, we were given a copy of the Permindex papers Mm -hmm. and sort of folded that in as another indication, sort of post-World War II, how NATO had an embedded structure of a kind of assassination bureau and how that worked in tandem 
with the British, with the intelligence agencies that worked on these various projects. So, you know, we, we literally spent a year and, it, you know, it was a luxury to have a team of, you know, more than a dozen people uh, reaching out, talking to people who were, you know, whistleblowers in our own government, going to some of the countries that were victims of these opium wars, looking at the historical archives, the British archives, the U.S. archives. And so our, our idea was we have an over, overall concept that this global oligarchy now centered for the last several hundred years in the British Empire, the British monarchy, uh, that apparatus, they're sort of calling the shots. They've got partners all over the world, including on Wall Street and in Washington, but they're the kind of superstructure under which it all operates. And let's just put a spotlight on the dope issue within that context. And so there were, I think, two things that we concluded because we were able to look beyond the cobwebs and see it from a top-down standpoint. Mm -hmm. Number one, that it was a global business enterprise like the largest multinational corporations. Uh, because if you study the price structures, the purity all over the United States, all over the world, there was clearly centralized price fixing going on. And number two, that the amount of cash could not possibly be laundered through gambling casinos and other mechanisms through suitcases. And that therefore, because we were looking at an, an oligarchy that controlled these dominant Anglo-American financial institutions, you know, we basically said these institutions uh, are laundering the money. It's not bottom up, it's top down. And it happened at exactly that moment that um, the uh, Hong Kong and Shanghai Bank was moving to buy the Marine Midland Bank in Buffalo, New York, in order to establish their first beachhead in the United States. And we went to the New York State Commission Commissioner of Banking, a woman named Muriel Siebert, and we said to her, you can't let this bank be uh, allowed to buy up Marine Midland. This is the dope bank. Did you ever hear of the opium wars? Did you ever hear of, you know, the role that HSBC Hongshang played in all of the laundering of the drug money? And to her credit, she looked into it and she said, you're right. And she denied uh, Hong Kong and Shanghai Bank the right to buy Marine Midland. Marine Midland went to the Fed and overnight was recharted as a federal bank rather than a state bank. But we forced a hearing at the Federal Reserve over whether or not Hong Kong and Shanghai should be given access to the U.S. banking system. And we argued that there's never been any evidence that they ever got out of the dope money laundering business. And their argument was that they stopped it at the end of World War II. I mean, they conceded that they continued to be the one of the clearinghouse banks for the global opium trade up through the end of World War II. Still goes on right now. And then, you know, bingo, uh, Senator Levin produces this report from the Senate Select, you know, the Permanent Investigation Subcommittee yeah. uh, in 2013 and says 
This is the dope bank for Mexican and Colombian cocaine cartels. And, you know, that 300-page report basically made the point that we had been making going back to the original doping, going back to protesting HSBC getting a beachhead in the United States. And that Senate report, if you carefully read it, makes it clear they had to have access to U.S. soil for their banking operations because the dollar is the reserve currency for the global opium trade. So if they couldn't launder money through banking in the United States, from Mexico, from Pakistan, you name it, uh, they couldn't function the way they wanted to. So, you know, the other thing that we said is that there is a link between drugs and terrorism. And I think the concept of narco-terrorism really was not on anybody's mind. You know, there was this sort of blur of counterculture, you know, yeah, the weather underground, the bottom mine who Afghan, they were druggies, but there wasn't this idea of a commercial link between these terrorist entities and the drug trade. And of course, when the book came out in 79, it was just the beginnings of a glimmer of that. And then by the mid-1980s, you've got the FARC, you've got Sendero Luminoso, mm -hmm. you've got the Afghan Mujahideen. They're all big-time, wealthy, dope-trading organizations, and they're carrying out terrorism. And again, our point was, this is just not something that happens in the gutter. This was a marriage that was engineered top-down because these capabilities are part of the system of empire. So Brzezinski cuts the deal with Mujahideen and Osama bin Laden because he's a drug kingpin. A lot of the hijackers, when you look at what, what was Mohammed Atta doing in America prior to 9-11, yeah. it looks like these guys were smuggling drugs. Yeah, I'll tell you something that's not public. But um, one of the uh, leading Saudi intelligence guys who handled the money for the original hijackers in San Diego, his name is Osama Baznan. If you look at the FBI files, go to the National Archive and look at the 9-11 Commission documents, uh, the FBI says, oh, yeah, yeah, we were onto this guy in 1993 because he hosted an event for the Blind Shake, a fundraising event. Uh, and But no, the files of the FBI go back to 1987 when he was busted in West Covina, California at, for cocaine, not using but distributing. And the case was dropped because there was a call from the Saudi embassy in Washington and they invoked his diplomatic immunity. That's 1988, way before 9-11. This guy's already on the FBI's radar screen, but for drugs. Right. Well, I, I can't. Uh, so let's, let me, let me break, because there's so many thoughts that went through my head while you're explaining that. Uh, James Comey, who's the FBI director, sat on the board of directors for HSBC. HSBC donated $81 million to the Clinton campaign. Right. HSBC is the world's largest money laundering bank. I interviewed uh, HSBC whistleblower John Cruz a couple months ago. Good. He said the United States fined HSBC a couple billion dollars. They paid the fine, but nobody knows where that money went. Um, Loretta Lynch, Eric Holder, all these attorney generals are involved in protecting that. Uh, you see Comey investigating Hillary Clinton and her, her treasonous activities with national security. And he's not disclosing that, hey, he's a board, on a board of directors that paid the money to the Clinton Foundation. Right. It's like pay-to-play pay type yes, of scandal. Yes, exactly, yeah. And um, so it seems that 
Our national security is deeply entangled with the cocaine and opium trade. This goes back not only to Iran-Contra, but through the whole special relationship after World War II. Right. So it was my hypothesis that when we got in bed with the British, so close, our allies, you know, 1776, 1812, 1814, we're fighting these guys. But after World War I, they're our best friend. And so we start merging intelligence. You've got Operation Gladio, where American and British interests start uh, funding these communist, uh, anti-communist stay-behind groups. But they're actually smuggling drugs, doing sure. terrorism and, and these yeah. sort of activities. And Clark Clifford, who creates the National Security Act, is involved in BCCI, which is a world at that time the world's biggest money laundering bank. Right. So, what, in your opinion, or what uh, factually can you state about the relationship between national security and the international drug trade? The, the basic idea is the system is to be protected at all costs, and in that system. The overworld and the underworld are indistinguishable, except the overworld is on top and the underworld is the apparatus that's used. They're the disposables, if you will. And, you know, going back to the very early period, what was J. Edgar Hoover? You know, was, was he a friend of the mafia? Was he the top American law enforcement officer? Was he, you know, I mean, the lines of distinction get very blurred because the existence of the FBI is to protect the status quo system. And that status quo system includes this top-down use of drugs as a mechanism of social control, as a source of revenue. Uh, EIR interviewed the former head of the United Nations Office of Drugs and Crime, um, Mr. Costa, who said at the time of the blowout, in September of 2008, the only money that flowed through the interbank system was drug money because the drug money had to be deposited somewhere. It couldn't just be sitting out there in the ether. And so it is such a top-down, integrated part of this criminal, oligarchical financial system that the very agencies that are supposed to be sworn to uphold the Constitution, are actually there to protect the Wall Street, London structures. So, you know, what was the famous holder letter? Well, these two big-to-fail banks are so big that if we were to even put one of their executives in jail, it might trigger an avalanche. And so, therefore, um, these, book, these banks and these bankers are too big to jail. And so they've got a free stay out of jail card, which is nothing less than an incentive to keep doing it and doing it on a bigger and better scale. The fines that they're levied are now factored into their business plans as a cost of doing business. $5 billion a year is going to be the slap in the wrist fine that we pay. It's a license to, fee. Yeah, exactly right. Exactly. Or it's a poll tax. You know, I mean, it's, it's, it's now just simply factored in as part of the overhead. And so you've got a system through these deferred prosecution agreements uh, where it's guaranteed to protect this. But I think that we're really at a point where they're getting to the end of the line. They've reached the point 
where they're going to such absurd extremes to protect themselves that they're making the kind of mistakes that can lead to their ultimate demise. And so you, you've got a very sloppy and unruly process underway right now. But if you, you know, sort of look beyond the sex crimes, you know, the majority of people who turned out to vote in the primaries voted for anti-establishment candidates. The choices were not that great, but the intent behind it. So you've got an indication of a mood in the population. The mobilization that got the JASTA bill through, despite Saudi lobbying money, the White House opposition, these are, you know, small indicators. And you've got a total fear of the implications of reinstating Glass-Steagall, because mm -hmm. that is the end of the line for the whole gambling empire and the laundering of drug money and other criminal money into the system. Because if the gambling side of the banking operations are no longer covered and protected under FDIC insurance, then it's not going to be a two-year, five-year unwinding process. The minute it's clear there's no more bailout for the gambling debts, you're going to have the biggest margin call in history and the whole thing's going to blow up. So, you know, they're on shaky ground now. And the fact that both political parties had to include Glass-Steagall in their party platforms is an indication, not that they're in favor of it, but that they didn't dare leave it out. So it's a, it's a you know, kind of very interesting moment to be alive in the sense that there are a lot of things that are happening that indicate that their own criminality and stupidity may be their downfall. In 2001, one of my largest clients, or my largest client, was Martian McLennan Companies, an mm -hmm. insurance and reinsurance broker. I didn't know a whole lot about this at the time. Uh, they were on the 97th uh, through like uh, 99th floors in the World Trade Center. I was there all the time. I had some office space there. Uh, hmm. After 9-11, L. Paul Bremer, who was the guy in charge of risk management for Martian McLennan, becomes the new governor of Iraq. Mm -hmm. During his tenure, billions of dollars go missing. Right. Later, I realized, what, did El, what else did L. Paul Bremer do? Oh, he's a partner at Kissinger Associates. Yeah, of course, he, exactly. So, he's managing well, partner at Right. The time. So what is Kissinger Associates, and what, is it, what does it represent the continuity of? The British invasion. Remember, Kissinger Associates, Lord Carrington, other leading you know, power figures within the British establishment. The, the, the British Isles are bankrupt. The British military is a glass-bottom boat, but the oligarchy still has pretensions. And so long as they have the United States as the vehicle through which they can carry out policies that can be done when you spend $598 billion a year on defense, which is 54% of the entire discretionary budget of the United States, you know, if you've got the ability to reach in through people like Kissinger, remember the famous speech that Kissinger gave uh, at Chatham House on the um, 200th anniversary of the creation of the British Foreign Office. You know, he said, I did my diplomacy based on British memos and British texts. And very often I had to work to make sure that the spelling was changed on words like defense and things like that. But, 
you know, he made it clear, you know, I considered myself to be an agent of this system of British empire. And, you know, you've got people like William Yandel Elliott up at Harvard who groomed Kissinger, Brzezinski, uh, Trudeau, a whole bunch of people. They, they created a structure over time. At one point, H.G. Uh, Wells said that if we can dominate American universities with British ideology, then we will control the United States within three generations. Mm -hmm. And he said that four or five generations ago. So, yeah. you know, I think that's, that's the, the case. Kissinger was an example of someone who was raised and recruited and trained in this British system and probably in his own mind, he sees no discrepancy between, quote, being an American patriot and representing these British interests. Right. Because in his mind, it's all already more fully together. Uh, I read a really interesting book by Robin Winks called Cloak and Gown. Yeah, sure. That Up talks Yale. about yeah, yeah, that talks about how Angleton. Yeah. yeah, the whole British intelligence merging with American intelligence taking exactly. over the university structure, sure. grooming from within. Yeah. Uh, I just found like again, it's a, a fascinating process that I continue to learn about every day. It's much more interesting than any of the bread and circus that people are being fed out there. It, exactly. I have no interest in playing fantasy football or baseball, any well, of that good. stuff, <laughs> right? I, I just try to pour my attention into this. So I'd like to invite you next time you come up to Connecticut. I will. We'll do an extended interview. I'm going to let okay. you out of here because I don't want you to be late. Yeah. It's very important I, it's to be in integrity with your schedule. Yes. And I'm going to give you a copy of my questions so you can kind of see where I was Fabulous. looking to go. And uh, Good. Okay, great. I thank you so much and for let's coming do it. by. Let's do it soonest. Yes, definitely. I really like to. Oops. Oh, that's all right. Sorry, sorry. That's okay. No problem. <laughs> yeah, we got his mic. Okay. Great. Yeah, that's why we keep the film on it, Johnny. Okay, good. So I think it's uh, probably could go a, long, a little bit longer, huh? Yeah, I mean, um, I've done interviews. Uh, I usually, if I do five hours, it's over two days, so we'll get you a hotel room. Great. But I did have a great interview with John Taylor Gatto, who was a New York City, Excellent. New York State great. School Teacher of the Year. Oh, yeah. And he just lay, lays out how the dumbing down of America has gone on. Yeah, this and is a really he, good outline. Yeah, I mean, he gets you got to talk about the Dulles Brothers and Anderson. Absolutely, absolutely. Because, you know, there were other people... Inside, That's what I talked to John Loftus about. He, you know, I showed you that ten minute clip. I did a yeah. five hour interview with him, and Good. he just pours it all out. He's like, "Here's how they got the drop on the Dulleses, and they became, you know, yep. tools of the internationalist." Exactly. Um, That's good. And then, where did you end up parking? Uh, I had to do it in the garage. Oh, oh you did? Yeah. yeah I, I drove around the block, and it was nothing. Go ahead, LD. You pulled up. If you're back from feeding the chickens, that is. <clears throat> all right. So, um, if we rewind mentally back to the beginning of that clip he mentions maxwell and safra and soros and all the things we just heard about for four hours over the past two weeks from whitney webb so there's a large bit of synergy there and basically what whitney's books are doing is saying you see all this stuff in dope bank yeah that happened and a whole lot of sex blackmail on top of that that people didn't know about and it's been going on since back in the days of roy Cohn running the blue suite parties over at the Plaza hotel, allegedly, you know, and that's uh, the good man. Trump's mentor, Roy Cohn was. So if he's not on those tapes at the Epstein mansion, it's because his mentor probably tipped him off to how the blackmail network and how people like Roy Cohn, again, according to Whitney's book said, uh, Roy Cohn could get the drop on anyone in the city. 
he would know their predilections and he would, you know, basically set up uh, how they say honeypots or some sort of uh, technical Winnie the Pooh term for such things. But uh, blackmail pressure of that sort to get people to comply is right up there next to if you don't follow that, they go to assassination historically Machiavellian wise speaking. So Scott, real quick, before we break into the yay, yay story, what did you think uh, about the, uh, the last hour of Jeff Steinberg uh, expounding upon and adding much needed nuance to these claims of how the world works? I mean, that was just a fascinating interview and I I love your, your deep dive interviews, man. Like it's uh, you know, it's inspiring really. And just seeing the camera set up and everything like that's something that I just geek out on really. But uh, in terms of the contents of it, man, like uh, there's so much there to unpack. I was like trying to take notes there, but it's just like, like, like you were saying earlier in uh, uh, the Q and a this morning, it's like, you know, these are the types of things you have to sit down. If you don't understand something, it's really important to take that piece of information and go to like Wikipedia and look up this person, look up that person and take a note or at least kind of educate yourselves on the components of the pieces of the puzzle, you know? And so that's where I'm at with it. You know, it's a lot. I know you've got your little, your your stack of books, not little, but your stack, your go-to stack of books. I know dope Inc is always one of them. And that's definitely on my uh, to-do list for sure. Um, But just, you know, you always hear the same characters, always hear the same people always popping up. And it's just, uh, it's funny how that works. It's really funny how that works. Um, And then, and very early on him talking about, you know, Empire is the biggest enemy of humanity, you know, and just like the Rothschild family all the way up until today still plays an instrumental part of that, you know, and so it's like kind of. Yeah, empires need bankers. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And then, you know, just, uh, you know, as a part of the Kanye Kanye discussion, it's like, you know, we're not allowed to talk about that. You know what I mean? Like if you start like pointing out Rothschild, like, uh, you know, dominance in in, in the world, you know, that makes me a bad guy. And I'm not allowed to question those sorts of things, you know, so I don't know. Yeah, that's why I don't I don't claim dominance. I just claim they participate, and I don't I have uh, as quickly said I'm not averse to what you know. I just think it should be known their role in history is substantial, and I just find it curious. Now I got something here in History Blueprint. Here's Steinberg's interview. Now uh, here's a couple other things that he's done. If you thought that cat was interesting, and he is, he's not only a co-author of this book here, Dope Inc. by the Executive Intelligence Review back in the seventies, but there's a video probably still available called Britain's Invisible Empire. And it, look, it's still on YouTube. Look at that. It's not censored. So you can learn about that there. There was also an interview with Jeff Steinberg background on Benghazi, which was fascinating because that was a, a topic. Uh, that I think Hillary Clinton had something to do with that back in the day. Steinberg on uh, the recent reprint of Doping and then his uh, presentation on the JFK assassination. Because what you, what you heard, you heard a, maybe a, like a soundbite of him saying that uh, Great Britain the, the British Empire had been involved in the assassination or assassination attempts of many presidents. And there there might be something to that claim. I know I was incredulous too, but then I got into the history and I was like, oh, maybe America did have an external enemy pulling some strings over here. And because they speak the same language, nobody really noticed it. Right. So anyway, that's uh, more to be learned in all these areas. So I'm trying to think I had uh, I had a note on the yay yay situation and what order I wanted to bring those clips in. Oh, here we go. Here we go. All right. So there's the the clips that he actually made public appearances. Uh, Kanye West was on Tucker Carlson. He did another video on a drinking buddies podcast or something. And then he did another video in front of a storage container type of gray corrugated steel background. 
And then recently I just put one in the production chat when I was upstairs in the office and that had something to do with, he said some stupid stuff in LA now, which I guess mm-hmm. is a, a big deal. So uh, I've also got a couple good commentaries that breaks it down and kind of weighs it. And also uh, Shapiro's comments on yay and how that plays into what Klein was saying. And the whole dynamic of the last two hours is going to come all together swirling. And uh, I, I think it's a fascinating time to be alive in American history to have to cover someone called Yay. <laughs> you remember Yay. how Bill O'Reilly yeah. felt when he couldn't play us out? What? What? Like, I feel the same way having to say Yay. Yay. Yeah. All right. So, um, LD, in the show card, we got some clips. We do. I would prefer let's if we can play them in chronological order. So like, yeah, he said this on Tuesday. Then he said some more stuff. You know, it kind of stacks up over the week, and then they're trying to sweep it away and, and ban it. And then pe- the clip people are trying to put it other places, and then it becomes confusing when and where things were published. And then how do you think it is sixty years from now? People trying to figure out this history. So we got to help them out. Those people in the future, those nice folks in the future, not yet members of the show. That's who they are. Mm-hmm. Um. And then um, the Drinking Brothers uh, Buddies podcast, was that the first clip that surfaced? I be- Well, you know, that storage container background one, that might be a bit older. Somebody mentioned okay. that to me. I'm not sure. Um, I can dig that up. but I, Oh, you're I the guy from a- Idiocracy now? <laughs> not dig- sure. Yeah, oh, okay. yeah. Um, it's funny not how, sure. how he's the smartest guy around. He is, yeah. Um, I've got the rumble clip of you know somebody posted that interview the the drinking champs drink champs uh, because that has been removed from their own website. I found it on BitChute too. I was watching on BitChute. And how it's long is there. that clip? Because he also did that like extended interview with Tucker, and Tucker was releasing like eight or nine minute clips at a time. But I also, I'm pretty sure that Tucker did not air some of the more incendiary words that Yay Yay had said. And so the drinks those were re. Yeah, go ahead. yeah. The drink chat, uh, drink champs. Yeah, they. Uh, that's like two hours long, but the first twenty minutes is is pretty interesting. Uh, you okay. Know, Sharing a little yeah. bit with that. All the stuff that was getting like clipped out and shared is really in like the first twenty minutes. Or All right, cool. Right. So as a historical minutes. artifact, we don't want to we don't want to encapsulate the entire two hours. We'll point to where it exists today, and people in the future can find it. But I would like to enter into the record twenty minutes of let's just let the thing that played play, and then we can start to break it open, analyze it, get some other opinions on it know what to better think about it in a thoughtful response as opposed to everyone's emotionally charged rants all week which are never helpful to historians the emotional charge stuff we want the facts so let's get the facts and let's we do that by going to the source evidence this individual human being said some words now we're gonna hear him say those words in a way that's not banned or censored let it roll bitch shoot spooling up Rumble loading. Rumble loading. That's what that is. Isn't Rumble, Rumble publicly traded? They, have, they should have faster servers than the decentralized open source people. Aren't they owned by Disney? Aren't they owned by Disney? Hear yay, hear yay. 
I think this goes on for a minute. Disclaimer. What it oh, could be, hoping this would assume me. This is your boy NAO NAA. What up is DJ EFN. And this is motherfucking military crazy war radio. Drink champs, yappy hour, award winning. Uh-huh. Motherfucking <laughs> make some noise. <laughs> now, last time we had this brother on here, our numbers went through the roof. I mean, we were whew. And let's just just for, for people that don't know, the man is a genius. Musical genius, lyrical genius, uh, fashion icon. He can wear a rubber shirt, and you're gonna wear it. <laughs> Cause that's how influential he is. <laughs> right now, last time he came here, he said, "Cancel me." He pointed to himself. He said, "Cancel me." They did not cancel. They could not cancel. Right now, it's a little turmoil. We're going to get to it. We're going to ask the questions. We're going to do whatever. I asked him if anything is off the record. He said, absolutely nothing. But we're going to give praises and love to the one, the only, Mr. Yay! Make some noise! <laughs> now, Yay, I want to start. I want to start because, you know, um, the, the, the very famous interview was you and Sway, right? And then... Um, you saying that you wanted to be like Ralph or you wanted to be up there with that caliber. And now it's like you are Ralph. You are that caliber. And then so I guess what I'm trying to say is, so that's where we get confused. With Did the, Sway uh, have the answers? No, yeah, yeah, I think you already admitted Sway had the answers. <laughs> yeah. But I guess that's where we get confused with the Adidas uh, part of it is because like... Didn't like, like that's that's how you became a billionaire, right? Through through the Yeezy. So like, what what was the discrepancy with with Adidas? You know, I just didn't have the relationships with the factories mm. at that time, and I was managing a lot of ideas. Like I was a you know a, a new dad. Mm-hmm. I was newly married. Mm-hmm. I had a bunch of team, like a big team of designers with me, and we we hadn't established who we were. We were still fighting to get our respect mm-hmm. in fashion, so there's a lot of fights at the same time, so we had to go and basically like intern almost up under these companies. Because you intern. interned for Louis Vuitton at one time, yeah. right? Okay. Louis Vuitton, mm-hmm. Fendi, mm-hmm. Uh, and we interned in a way at Adidas. Mm-hmm. I Like the licensing deal was my intern to become, mm-hmm. you know, more in that uh, Bernard Arnault, Bezos, right. Right. Elon territory. Mm-hmm. And just understanding how to, you know, how money works. Mm-hmm. Like, this is first generation. Mm-hmm. Like, you can say, like, look at, like, Jay with the Duce. Right. This is first generation right. of wealth. Right. And learning those infrastructures, right? Yeah, the infrastructure is how to do a factory. Even right now, like, when I left Gap, I moved, uh, we made this T-shirt, like, all the tremendous stuff we're doing right now, which is a flip on Supreme, where... Mm-hmm. Uh, the guy that used to work for me, mm-hmm. uh, Tremaine, mm-hmm. is now at Supreme. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, uh, we can go further into that uh, a little okay, bit later. later. But no for the problem. main point is, so I took it over to Dove Charney at L.A. Apparel. Mm-hmm. And he used to, he founded Los Angeles Apparel. So then uh, we made the White Lives Matter tease. Mm-hmm. And then when I put up the, the tweet, the DEF CON tweet, now nah, he, ain't, he ain't releasing the tea. Because he's Jewish. Mm. And I'm like, see, this is my exact point that I'm Mm. making. Mm. Like, Jewish people have owned the black voice. Mm. Whether it's through us wearing a Ralph Lauren 
shirt or it's all of us being signed to a record label or having a Jewish manager or being signed to a Jewish basketball team or mm-hmm. doing a movie on a Jewish platform like Disney. Mm-hmm. And we understand it's like I, I, I respect what the Jew, Jewish people have done and how they brought their people together. Mm-hmm. You know, they came into money uh, through the lawyers mm-hmm. when uh, after Wall Street, when um, when all of the. Um, like the Catholics, they wouldn't they wouldn't divorce people. Right. So the right. Jewish lawyers came and they were willing to divorce people. That's when they first came into their money. So like say with me and Jay, with our our culture, with the with the darker Jews. First just, of all, because you got to happens when anybody starts talking deep. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. With the yeah. dark with the darker Jews, the twelve lost tribes of, mm-hmm. of Israel, who we mm-hmm. are, because we Jewish also. We right. we from Africa also. We're the blood yeah. of Christ. So. We're not just black. We are Jew, just like the Jewish people. And now we're coming into money. But the main thing is, I got to drink the Ducey over the Hennessy mm-hmm. as the first step to us coming together, like how the Jewish people came together. Mm. But we couldn't even talk about... I remember Ben Horowitz called me after 444 and said, I don't know about Jay giving up business, Jewish business secrets. Mm, and these he secrets... Said, we, we talk about um, building up uh, uh, the, the properties and stuff like that. Yeah, on these secrets can't... They not finna be a secret no more. Like, if somebody mm. tells me something, it's like, yo, I want to tell you this, but it's a secret. I'm like, I'm not your personal hard drive. <laughs> like, if you want to be a secret, <laughs> don't tell me. <laughs> I'm not here to keep nobody's secrets because right. it's only the truth that's going to set us free. And what they do is the Jewish community especially in the music industry, they'll take, in the entertainment period, they'll take one of us, the brightest of us, right, that can really feed a whole village, and they'll take us and milk us till we die, and then Stevie Wonder's son got to get a job, mm. right? But Cameron Azoff got a job at Apple. He, I right. mean, he, he's already set up right. because of the way Azoff is connected, and we have to make our own connections. That's what I saw what I loved about it, I preach. I love mm. Dove just as a human being. As and this is the guy from Adidas? Dove is from oh. American Apparel. Okay. But I'm talking about put out my White Lives Matter tee. The White Lives mm. Matter tee, don't say nothing. It don't say DEFCON and nothing on it, right? Mm. I'm like, put it out. And he's telling me, like, yo, I want you to visit the Holocaust Museum. And I was like, yo, I want you to visit Planned Parenthood. That's our Holocaust Museum. Mm. Mm. I'm like, yo, I put my life on this mm. at this point. Because they've been fucking with me too long. They put, they put the crazy narrative out there. My Jewish trainer, Harley Pashenak, who's Lizzo's trainer, right. uh, put it out when I went to the hospital, put it in the press. Oh, I wow. got a bunch of friends that went to the hospital. It didn't go to the press. They did that just like they did in the documentary on the third episode to okay. say, we love Ye like the rest of y'all. We know he a genius like the rest of y'all, but sometimes you got to turn the camera off on them. So they'll go and get a dude that's supposed to be my friend that's been taping me the whole time and buy this nigga out for $30 million. I thought you co-signed that. I ain't co-signing, but oh. you you get used to that. Paparazzi taking a picture of you, you ain't getting no money off it. Right. You just get used to getting screwed by the mm. Jewish media. Mm. And I'm saying, y'all done poked the bear too fucking long. When I wore the White Lives Matter tee, they, I had four SoFi Stadium shows. They canceled my shows. I said it's up. And let me tell you one thing. It's like if a black man is caught with something in the car or something, everybody in the car going to go to jail with him, right? 
But if a black man can play basketball or rap, only he gets the record deal. So meaning like if one black man does something bad, all the other blacks get caught with him. If one black man does something good, nobody else gets nothing with him. It's a reverse for the Jewish people, right? right. If, if a Jewish person could repeatedly fucks me on a deal, it's right. just them. It's just the businessman. It's not the people. It's not nobody else. Right. But if a Jewish person does good, all of their people eat with them. That's one of the flips. I got to tell you something. Where is a black guy that has a Jewish person signed to him? Point it out. Tell me that. Mm. Where is a black person that's signed to a Jewish person? All of them. Basically 90 basically 90 percent uh, of them. So what I'm saying is, y'all done poked the bear too many times. Y'all should have learned with Drake. Y'all should have learned with Puff. Y'all should have learned with Hove. Y'all dealing with a different kind of animal here. You know, everybody wants to say I'm 730. Well, I'm going to use that to my advantage. I told y'all I was the leader. I told y'all I'm going to free my people mm -hmm. in the name of God. And I will put my life at risk because if I wasn't in a glass prison, just like Larry Hoover's in a real prison, right. then I would have had to say so when my kids go to school. I go into my kids' school, I see Hanukkah books, then I see Kwanzaa. Christmas is Christ's mass. Where's Jesus in the school where all the celebrities are paying you for their kids to go? Cell? I'm sorry. What did you, did you like, like a, like, hey, I'm talking about. Right, but ain't nobody listening here, to me right, type right, shit. You know right. what I'm saying? I'm in like a glass box of like right. celebrity with a bunch of handlers around me and shit right. and people colluding behind my back and being like, is he ramped up? What right. we going to say now? What I told y'all, because I talked to Larry Jackson last night and he was like, yo. From iTunes. Yeah, but now he's got his own deal. He said, he started telling me how Clive Davis changed his life. Mm. And I talked to him for six minutes. He said, well, usually we talk back and forth. I said, Larry, this is my life, though. Mm -hmm. I'm letting you know so you can let everybody know what it is. Mm -hmm. What it is at this point. You mm -hmm. know what I'm saying? It's like, I'm not afraid. Mm -hmm. I'm not afraid of y'all no more. Right. And we don't have to be afraid. I understand that they got us so paid off every which way they cutting down. And my whole point just off the tweet, the fact that, what does that even mean, what I said? And the fact that I got taken off proves my point. Jamie Lee Curtis went on TV and said, I hope they take his children away from him. Wow. I hope they take his children away from him. Everybody, they put out Triple X, Tupac. That's what Larry was saying. Right. My response was, well, I guess I'm next then. Right. Because it's no backing down at this point. I talked to Cube because Cube been labeled an anti-Semite. First of all, we are Semite. We right. Jew. So I can't be anti-Semite. Right. First of all, I need my four stadiums back. The 78 media outlets that call me abuser... When I was trying to get that heroin addict away from my kids that was tattooing my kids' names on them, Skeet, right, right. Pete Davidson, right. they popping up. You know what I'm saying? It's like they, uh, Trevor Noah, not even from America, right. he just looked black, right? right? Uh, gonna tell, gonna say, yo, Kim, it's gonna get dangerous. So they putting all that, he crazy, he's so OJ. Right. My, Nori just want the family back together. Right. I just want the family back together. Right. Kim is a Christian. On TMZ, I just saw yesterday, they said, Pete Davidson and Kim have sex by the fireplace to honor their grandmother. It's Jewish Zionists that's about that life. 
that's telling this Christian woman that has four black children to put that out as a message in the media. So when I drive by and I see the Hulu ads and I say the J.P. Chase Morgan ads, I'm going to let y'all know right now, the devil is a defeated foe. You can't poison me. And by the way, y'all done already fuck with me so much. Y'all already black mirrored me. You already made everybody think I'm crazy. You already took my family away. You already separated all my friends. I don't got no celebrity friends. Because when I was on TV, on Instagram saying, I don't know where my child is. And the Kardashians kidnapped my daughter in public. And I didn't have the address of my child. None of these niggas that want to say something Travis now. Travis gave you the address, though. Travis gave me the address. Right. But as far as Meek Mills, no. Puff Daddy, whoever, none of these niggas. All you fake hard niggas, fuck you. Wait, Come, wait, no, no, wait. hold on, hold on. Okay. All you fake hard niggas, fuck you. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. I don't give a fuck who, because you can't shoot nobody anyway. And the reason why you got talks because you did a deal, you fucking fed. You know what I'm saying? That's why you got to come at me because part of the deal for you to be a do all that rah, 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 and get out of jail is that you promise that you're going to go pull my co-car. So y'all niggas shut the fuck up about me. Now let me say it calm. You niggas shut the fuck up about... You shut the fuck up about Michael. Right, right. I'm Michael now. Right, Every right. Michael you can think of, right. but mostly Godfather Michael now. No, no, no. I'm Michael now. I'm Michael now. I am the richest... Right. They say you're the richest black man in American in, history. In history. In American in history. Can we make some noise for that? God damn it. Yeah. Come on, so I want y'all to I want y'all to run up on me. No. I want I want y'all to come kill me. No. I want you to smack me. No. I want you to do all the shit you rap about. No. All, hold on, no. all the shit you rap about. I want all the shit you rap about. I want you to come do it now. Come down to this joint right now. Please. Please. Or otherwise, shut the fuck up unless you was there when the Kardashians kidnapped my kids. You understand? Now go and get y'all some motherfucking business while we go and get free. Because I'm Moses out here. You know what I'm saying? I, I watched the George Floyd documentary that Candace Owens put up. One of the things that his two roommates said was they want a tall guy like me. They want a tall guy like me. And the day when he died, he said a prayer for, you know, eight minutes. Mm -hmm. He said a prayer for eight minutes. They hit him with the fentanyl. If you look, the, the guy's knee wasn't even on his neck like that. When he said, mama, mama his, is his girlfriend. They said he screamed for his mama. Mama was his girlfriend. It's in the documentary. But something that hit me that fucked me up when I was watching the documentary and it said they want a tall guy like me. When I looked at that image of him, this tall black dude with the bald head, he reminded me of somebody else. Who do you think he reminded me of? Virgil. He reminded me of Virgil. You know what I'm saying? I'm not finna cry in front of y'all because that's right. how they get me, right? Right. But I know that we lost him. And I know that this white company, Louis Vuitton, is now making statues of him, like right. as a martyr. And we don't know why exactly. We say it's cancer. But I yeah. mean, I mean, um, mm -hmm. all right, I want to be careful with this subject because. Wait a second, but tell me, mm -hmm. could you even really run this interview? Because Mav yeah. didn't run my interview. Right. You know what I'm saying? They blocked me out. The Jewish media blocked me out. This shit lit, right? I'm mm -hmm. lit, right? Mm -hmm. I'm lit. I'm lit. You know what I'm saying? J.P. Morgan, I put $140 million into J.P. Morgan, 
and they treated me like shit. So if JP Morgan Chase is treating me like that, how they treating the rest no, of y'all? That's outrageous, yeah. And this this murder was for Chase accounts. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. I am outraged. Mm-hmm. By the time people always they want to calm it down. Because no matter what, you didn't yeah. break no law. I didn't break a law. No matter I didn't what, break a the, law. The bank shouldn't be a judge or jury on right. anything that's but going on. But this is it's, right. it's like a social contract. Candace Owens has a word for it. I'm forgetting it. But it's basically like they told Candace Owens she couldn't hang out with me. You know, I'm here because I didn't have no outlet. I was on yeah. Tucker Carlson, right? right? And people, Trump supporters, they think it's so, you know, they think it's nice that a black guy supports Trump. But yeah. it's like, would they really support me once I when I when I do? Because they said legally I'm not allowed to say what's happening in 2024 mm-hmm. but all those people that love me when I run against when when I when I wore the hat right would they would they support me now I got to say something about the hat that's one of the things that really drove me to the edge some of the MAGA hat just the MAGA quick, hat right? imagine your own wife telling you all oh, the hat small dick energy meanwhile the Clintons got them trying to get people to get vaccinated I know somebody, I'm not going to say his name, where Kim and Chris got on the phone with them trying to get them to push the vaccination to black people. Meaning that's how in tuned and how aligned with the Clintons that the Kardashians were through Corey. Through Corey. Corey is a plant. Corey was, you know, Puff Daddy, Nanny, Manny. You got what I'm saying? Then he was with with Justin Bieber when Justin Bieber got in trouble. And then when... Bruce did a transition to Caitlyn. He popped up. Now he run around like he Kylie daddy. But he's there for the agenda and controlling the power of that family. Three of that, three, four of those people in that family have been raised Christian by Rob Kardashian. Mm. I know y'all want a question, but uh, no, you no, ask something right there. Man. <laughs> yeah, but I think you just got to yeah. let some of this yeah, out. Yeah, and yeah. Then we it's, it's, not, it's not even venting or inventing it's just, it's up, you know? They didn't, they didn't fuck with me too long. Right. Every time they say my name wrong, right. it's like they calling me Cassius. Mm. My name, Ali. Mm. Right. If mm. I change my name, you respect that I changed my right. name. It shows you the level of disrespect. Every time they say one of my outfits are bizarre. When the last time you read a headline and they called me a billionaire? For three years, Forbes wouldn't say I was a billionaire. It's mm. all to diminish me so y'all wouldn't listen to me. So mm. say when I did the Yay and Drake show, right? Mm. It's so funny. I look up and it say Yay, D-R-K, right there. But uh, I just, oh, I look, it's, it. It, it's just a similarity Are you to it. like me? I'm I'm yeah, absolutely. Jim and I dyslexic, left-handed, made to be right-handed so oh. I could fit in. Okay, uh, okay. <laughs> all right, that's all right. All right, all right. continue. All right, all right. I'm going to take another shot. I'm going to be honest. Okay. Yeah. This is a lot. This is a lot. Yeah. Only, 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 only the do say. Yeah, okay. Only the do say. This is, this is beautiful. Yo, mm-hmm. think about like Nike. Nike is as popular as Apple, but it's company number 321. Apple's number one. App, Nike's on defense. It's Whoa. not on offense. Whoa. Right? Because cause niggas love Nike. Right, so Nike is used for political influence because it's not about the money you make, it's about the position you have. Mm. So when they signed me to Gap, it wasn't to raise a stock price, it was to be able to be like, to tell the Fortune 500 companies that do deals with China, to tell them, hey, Gap has influence in the underserved communities. Right. That was what the deal was about. That's the girl part. <laughs> 
Not you. The same reason why I was in a Kardashian situation. So you would but, feel. But, but hold on, let yeah. me ask you something because as a person <laughs> that when we first seen the Gap deal, right? Yeah. Um, we understand that, that that rich motherfuckers ain't going in the gap, but you yeah. know what? They was going in the gap because of you. Mm-hmm. And it was going to, and they said powered by Balenciaga. But then you walk into the to the store, and then there's these clothes that's just on the floor. Is the that bag, is that degrading to somebody that's rich that want to come in there and support you? We or? should degrade the rich. Everybody is dirt. Everybody on the same level beneath God. Because we'll hop over. <laughs> that was all. <laughs> what? Yeah. That was good. <laughs> you know, we'll, we'll walk over a homeless person at, to get to the Gucci store. Mm, terrible. Ray Kurzweil said, a utopia is possible where we're led by the least noble and the greediest people. Mm. I brought the head designer of Balenciaga, the greatest designer on our planet today, to Demna. Demna is the yay wow. of, of clothing. Demna is the Drake Mm. Of clothing, mm. Drake. Drake is the greatest rapper ever. And you said, and, and in, I don't, war, I, don't, I don't apologize about it. You said in war he held fuck your baby's mother's mother. Yeah, that was hard. <laughs> that was that was hard. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I was like, what's going on? <laughs> what, 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 what does that mean? What does that mean? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's like, 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 we yeah. was confused. You know what it means. So. <laughs> God damn it. And I put like Corey know what it means. Corey, oh my god. So um <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me get another one. So let me bring out the yeah, be easy. Oh my god, I'm sorry, go ahead, continue. Libra, happy birthday. Oh shit. Okay. <laughs> Yay is out there. Let's go. Oh. <laughs> uh, uh, speaking of that, are you are you single or are you are you back in the market? You finger, you finger popping, you finger popping out there. What you doing? What you doing out there? Yeah, you know, I'm the type of person. I, 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 I go. I'm more grow from girlfriend to girlfriend. Like I mm. like, I like focus. You know, Ooh, I like to. You. Like I say, would it amuse you if I amused you? Mm. Like I like to make a girl my muse. Mm. I like to take them and you know take them overseas or mm. something like that. I like to get them. Birkins. I might even get a girl a house. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? I'm just on some like ridiculously rich shit. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I just yeah. do everything. That I do. <laughs> oh, shit. Oh, shit. The homeless gotta get the Gucci. And I'm like, oh, remember, we gotta go back to Gap. We gotta go back to Gap. Well, well. No, because we can't have them homeless. We can't have them homeless. No, no. All right, good. Pause it. All right, so let's think back over the last 20 minutes and let's think of something more surprising than the fact that Ye and Lizzo share a trainer in the past. <laughs> I wanted to clip that. The guy, the look in that guy's face was pure confusion. Sorry, dude. Lisa, Lisa's like, "Who's Lizzo?" And I'm like, "Ah, oh. I don't want to explain it, but I do know the answer." So, but uh, LD for the audience, can you uh, can you bring up Lizzo? <laughs> yes, <laughs> she's like the antithesis of what you think comes from someone sharing a trainer with Kanye West. That's why it's ironic and somewhat funny, but. Uh, while LD is looking for that, I'm sure he'll bring it up at the apropos time. Uh, there was a lot of topics touched on by yay during that, like, uh, 20 minutes of the first two hours of that podcast. 
a lot of it didn't make any sense. I don't know why people take what he has to say so seriously in some of these cases. Other points, he made some very good points about uh, peace, love, justice, these sort of things. He made some observations about the music industry and made some claims and threw out some statistics. If he's wrong, just show those statistics. Why do we have to censor him? Why do we have to destroy the whole podcast and deep six it on the internet and and hide this information from people? Because I don't know, Scott, like, what do you, what do you think about it? Are they making a mountain out of a molehill or are they trying to make him an example? What do you think? Ah, uh, yeah. Well, I mean, it's the same thing we were talking about earlier about the Streisand effect. I mean, now everyone's just coming and gravitating towards this and this content's going to get shared and, and talked about and discussed more than it probably would have if they would have just been like, okay, well, here's some facts to counter what he said and let's go about our day, you know? So I don't know whether that's intentional or not. I don't know, you know, but, uh, you know, I figure if I ever want to get something out into the world, I should just like, <clears throat> you know, say something to make sure it's censored. And then, uh, you know, everybody and everybody's show is going to be talking about it. Right. But, uh, I don't know, man. Like, uh, it's it's uh, it's a very interesting world that we're living in right now. <laughs> you know, uh, JFK it's like, told it's like, us he said, he said, "May you live in ex, ex, you know yeah. uh, extraordinary times or something like that." Yeah, think, one of the things I mean, one of the things that always is, is interesting about this in particular, it's like you know, like <clears throat> Kanye's rewarded for saying certain things, you know, but as soon as he steps outside of that, but the things that he's rewarded for talking about and. It's just like, you know, hip hop culture in general, like you're rewarded for talking about like murdering each other. Right. And like dealing drugs and exploiting women. Like these are all things that, yeah, as long as you're saying that and you're staying in that lane, totally fine. Here's a million. And they're like, it's Pavlov 101, Kanye. What don't you get about it? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Right. And then uh, even more ironically, a lot of people who didn't like what he had to say had the power to shut him off and censor him from the internet almost proving his point which i don't think it was a good point to make or a valid point to make or a, a point that included all the nuance you would need that's why steinberg just talked for an hour about the people running the world it's not just one group yeah. right it's there's a there's a large coterie of people who work together to subjugate the rest of us it's not just one group so for yay to say it's just one group maybe that's the case in the music industry or maybe a couple of other industries but the whole infrastructure is not necessarily as he's describing it and i think it's because he didn't uh, maybe get all the schooling. None of us got all the education that we could have, should have from that system. So I think he's also partially a victim from that system, partially a concerned father and a very confusing lifestyle choices that he's got going on. You know, when you got four kids and then Pete Davidson's hanging out with them. I mean, there's a guy who claims to be a comedian who's not funny. <laughs> yeah. Jeez. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I don't know, man. It's crazy. All right. All right LD, you got that Lizzo? Yeah, we got that Lizzo. This Full is Liz, Lizzo. Um, yeah, this is Lizzo playing uh, James. Uh, whose flute was it? Hang on. Is it a skin flute? I can't see what kind of flute no. that is. Uh, James no, Madison. That was right. Okay. James Madison, a historic crystal flute from the Library and of Congress. She's the little person and they, they project her on the big screen. Is that how that's working? Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. She's the big person they project on the big screen. Okay. Sorry. All right. So now she shared a trainer with Kanye, who Kanye said maybe spread some rumors about him and kind of started this whole thing. Cause that's how that podcast kind of started with that kind of banter. So now we know the grammar of who Lizzo is and why that's ironic that they share a trainer. And now in case we don't know what to think on this topic, We've got the fine guys at the Flagrant 2 podcast. Andrew Schultz had a little clip, well, like a three-hour clip, where they tried to roast Kanye. And basically, if the establishment mouth needed the mouthpiece, 
seems like Schultz was up for, he was up for the job that day. And so uh, if we could find that, it might not be in the show card. Um, it was from this past week and it's called the roast of Kanye West by Andrew Schultz. Yeah. And I listened to a good, I don't know, two thirds of that podcast to kind of get a gist of what, what were they thinking? What was their take on it? And I got to say, I was deeply disappointed from a variety of angles. And then I thought maybe that's just me, but then I heard the guy got ratioed from his angle and his take and the shots he was making on Kanye. And uh, I don't know, like listening to that whole clip in context, I don't think it's nearly as incendiary as the repetition of little tiny clips being played out of context by people who predetermined his guilt before they even looked at the evidence. Yeah, I've got the. It looks like it's the intro to that podcast. And just one one thing I want to yeah. comment. I I just thought it was interesting listening to him. He's a very successful guy, but there he was uh, interning with you know a different industry to get to to know the ropes. Um, you know, I thought that was, you know, that's what you're gonna do, I guess, if you're gonna get into a different game. But you know, I found that interesting. From a many interesting points, but I'm sure Schultz will give us some more food for the uh, the fodder here. Hang on, I got tabs in the background. I got it. One sec, one sec. Uh, Lizzo's still playing in the background. Yeah, let's turn Mm -hmm. that off. Okay, tell her to stand down. All right, here we go. Sit down. Thank you. Kanye West, you gopher-faced Deutschback. This week, Kanye went on a media blitzkrieg. He threw so many stones at the Jews, he's now an honorary general in the West Bank, which is soon to be the only bank that will accept him. Yeah, J.P. Morgan actually canceled his account, so the only transaction Kanye is going to have is when Caitlyn drops off the kids. (laughs) So what exactly did Ye say? Well, hungry, hungry Hitler went on drink champs with the most bloated cheeks I've ever seen on a human. The guy looks like a ninja turtle just had a root canal and proceeded to spout off more hate than a West Virginia water fountain. He claimed George Floyd was killed by fentanyl. Wrong. Kanye, we have video evidence of a throat getting crushed, and don't worry, Kim's not in it. He blamed the Jews for trying to silence him. Yay, the only Jew that's ever kept your mouth shut was the dentist that wired your jaw. And of course, he defended his new shirt by taking more shots at Black Lives Matter than Kyle Rittenhouse himself. Now... I hear some people saying Kanye did bring up some very strong points. Yes, these points. That's it. Kanye isn't the free thinker he claims to be. He hasn't had a unique idea his entire life. He just regurgitates the talking points of the latest pseudo-intellectual leech around him. The only original thoughts Kanye's ever had are Amber, Kim, and Julia. So, Hmm. is Kanye insane? I don't know. I don't think there's a mental illness that makes you a Nazi outside of Mel Gibson's ex-wife. That being said, selfishly, I hope he is. I'd rather believe this is the behavior of a guy battling bipolar disorder than accept I've been supporting a black skinhead for decades. So my message to you, Chipmunk Cheeks, is simple. Get better. Better friends, better therapists, better perspective on the world, and better meds. And good luck, because you're going to need it. What's up, everybody? Uh, Welcome to Flagrant. Fellas, fellas, um, let's give Kanye exactly what he wants. Uh, What did you guys think about uh, what he said? Yo, you actually said a lot of it in the, the, the rant, but I think he is clearly going through a manic episode. And I talked to a friend of ours, very funny comic named Matt Pavich, who has bipolarity, and he said some shit that was like, 
Really interesting and fascinating. You said, when I'm going through a manic episode, I love getting a rise out of people. Mm. I say all kinds of shit I don't mean. Nasty shit, hateful shit. Just because, and he's like, I don't even know if this is science or just a few of us or whatever, but I personally love getting a rise out of people. And I've been there when he's having episodes and he'll say crazy shit and I never knew why. And he's like, yo, I just love, for whatever reason, I love getting a rise out of people. So what's going to get more of a rise out of people than George Floyd didn't, uh, you know, whatever. And then whatever he said about George Floyd, whatever he said about the Jews, all that shit is like, I know people are going to go nuts. Yeah. What did you you just wish for? (laughs) What did you just wish for? Connie to get on his Protection for the Jews. (laughs) Protection for the Jews. That's very nice, actually. Uh, No, it was making noise. It was like flickering. (laughs) I didn't like the flickering. For the crackly uh, mental disorder. Yeah. Yeah. ADHD. He was making great points, but all I heard was... Come on, dude. He just wants to get a rise out of me. I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. No, can I tell you something, though, about, well, one with Matt Pavich. Like, my mom is, I think she's manic depressed, we assume. But, um, yeah, I think she is. She can't just accuse someone of that. Well, sorry, mom, if you're not, but you got some shit. Uh, one summer, she just, he started, is watching. she just started to fucking uh, try to save the uh, save the flowers in everybody's, uh, hot, near everybody's house. We're like, what are you doing? And she started, like, writing these notes and these manifestos. And she was just like, if we take all the garbage and put them in the garbage cans and then put the garbage cans outside without tops on, the deer will just eat the food out of the garbage can and they won't touch the flowers. And then she started writing all these things, posting the signs everywhere. And I'm like, oh, Jesus Christ. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, she didn't start hating fucking Jews or black people or anything like that. Right. But what she did start doing is going down a path without thinking of anything else yeah. that could discredit it. She started yeah. a deer, though. She hated the deer. Yeah. Hated the deer. And then who knows where that goes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that, 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 starts that, deer. Starts that, does, that yeah, is yeah. where it starts, dude. Deer is the Jew of animals. <laughs> okay, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> you know what I mean? Beautiful, <laughs> Dumb, gentle, okay. you know what I mean? Graceful. Uh, nice. yeah. yeah, I agree. Yeah. Take all your shit in the night. <laughs> what? Is that... Is that... Is that <laughs> is that what it is? Wake up, there's no flowers in your yard? Yeah, you're being manic. You're being manic. Oh, sorry, 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 sorry. Which yeah. apparently being manic is awesome. I was, uh, I was talking yeah. to her. Yeah, manic high apparently feels amazing. I was talking to her about the Teslas and shit and like doing ecstasy. She's like, oh, I've done every drug. Who's Be- her? Oh. This girl, she's a comic. But I was. How do you just say her? You said her. Yeah. About yeah. I'm, no, I'm like, yo. <laughs> You never seen your mom Yo, that's Tesla? Wow, there's a wild boy right here. Yo, absolutely. Can you impersonate your mom on a Tesla? Uh, <laughs> Andre, I almost love you. <laughs> I got close though. I'm close, Andre. I'm feeling all these feelings in my body, and I'm looking over at you, and you're still shit. But, but I almost love you. We did with the help of all these chemicals. Oh, <laughs> but apparently, when you get in a manic episode, that shit is better than any drug ever. Why yeah, did you say her? Like that's what, what's throwing. Did you us. have a whole conversation in your head before? That's exactly. What and then, okay, gotcha. Almost gotcha. exactly. Hanging out with this nigga too. Much. <laughs> 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 you see me doing that? Same I, hate, that shit. I hate that I did that. <laughs> my girl does the same <laughs> exact shit. Where like she'll have the first part of the conversation and be like, "So anyway, yo, don't you think that's absurd?" Yo, let me tell you. And something. I'm like, "Was I not listening? That's <laughs> were you not talking?" Maybe that comes from our wives. That should be rubbing off on me. I'll be watching a video and I'll start responding to the video to my wife <laughs> and then when she don't know exactly what right, the fuck point I'm talking here is about I'm just like forget it Kanye. they're more manic than Kanye scrub ahead like five minutes till they try to rip them apart again alright they make less sense so far yeah <laughs> 
So we're like, all right, well, I'm not as married to this. Oh, yeah, he picked the, the most pussy time to be provocative about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. if you really want to be provocative about Black Lives Matter, you do it immediately when the movement is moving. Dude, you don't in do August it, 2020. Exactly. You don't do it after something. They just basically came out as, you know, a, I don't know, I don't, what it, I don't want to say scam, but like they were basically stealing money from. Yeah, yeah. Mm. From the charity? Yeah. yeah. But you would have to learn that information to have that thought to put it out on the shirt. So well, I don't think maybe that's the thought, reason why he put it out. No, no, no. But I mean, like, prior, he might have thought the organization, organization was doing good. So Didn't he, he like, raise money for the organization? Yeah, he did. No, he no, did. I, I he think, said he was know. raising money for Breonna Taylor. He uh, was, that's the real Black Lives Matter. Yeah. So because he, he he wouldn't have raised money for Black Lives Matter if it was supporting George Floyd because he doesn't believe that George Floyd was killed by well, Derek Chauvin. Now, believes, after he watched Candace Owens' documentary. Uh, I see. Okay, okay, before he did. So, okay, so basically the, the three things. Go. Yeah, so it's the White Lives Matter tea and then saying that George Floyd wasn't killed by Derek Chauvin, but he was killed by fentanyl. Right. Yeah. Which I guess, like, like Charlemagne even pointed this out, is just like objectively Ridiculous. not true. Yeah. yeah, I mean, the coroner has even said it. Yeah. 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 And then the last thing is obviously the anti-Semitic stuff. Yeah, Which I think some people don't completely understand why what he's saying is objectively wrong. So let's break all this down because this is really, the really interesting thing about like the Kanye headlines and the podcast, et cetera, that he's been doing is that different groups of people are upset for different reasons, right? And they don't really understand why the other groups are upset, yeah. right? And I was asking people, I was down in Atlanta doing this movie and I'm at this bar and there's a couple dudes that are sitting next to me, like rich black dudes that are at this hotel, right? And they're from, one was from Chicago, the other one was from like the Atlanta area. And I was like, did you guys watch the Kanye thing? And they're like, yeah, you watch it. And I, and I was like, well, what are your thoughts about it? And I was like, he, they go, it was really fucked up. I mean, that White Lives Matter thing was fucked up. Like, yeah, I can't yeah. believe he did that shit. And the George Floyd, I fucking can't believe he did that shit. I'm like, what do you think about the stuff he was saying about the Jews? And they both were like, don't they own a lot of shit? <laughs> like, I swear, like, like the, the, and they didn't feel bad about it. They weren't uh, anti-Semitic in any way. They're like, but don't they own a lot of shit? I like, talked to a white guy, had the same reaction. So, and I think, I think the reason why this is, is because uh, a couple things. I'm glad, Dove, you're here to speak on this, right? Is uh, not, first of all, there's only 2% of the country is Jewish. Most people in America have never met a Jewish person. There's like 14 million Jews in the world. You think yeah. most? Most people in America, I guarantee you, have never met a Jewish person. In Texas, I didn't understand that's there were like crazy. last— You meet one, you feel like you met enough, but, <laughs> but that's why you feel that way. But, but most people in America have never met a Jewish person. So I think what's happening is this. They don't know about Jewish history, and they don't know about the Jewish paranoia that is baked into the culture that you grew up with. A lot of my Jewish friends grew up with. And right? I don't think they understand why the paranoia exists. Well, I think we're going to get into that, right? So, so Dove, maybe you speak growing up— about what was taught to you about the Holocaust and the Spanish Inquisition and the countless times in history where Jews were uh, removed from the country that they were hanging out. I didn't. I don't think that I had a different upbringing that everyone else saw. You ruined it. You ruined it already. You ruined it already. I don't want to fucking talk about it anymore. One time you get to complain and no one would bet mad. It's unbelievable. I don't think my life was any different than (laughs) anybody else's. It's unbelievable. Obviously, but not unbelievable how you could be lobbed up an easy dunk and then you could take it. And then you could semantic right now, Andrew. It's unbelievable. It's truly unbelievable. He had it on a on a silver platter. What do you want me to say? And it's like say what? your experience, and don't say it was just like ours. I had a lo- look, I had a lovely Jewish experience. Other people didn't. Okay, so I was all right. So then, what did he what say that, that was so wrong? Then what does no, that no, mean? No, 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 no. So if you had the same experience that everybody else, then what did he say that was so wrong about the Jews? Say you guys own all the banks, you own all the media. Like say that sounds like good thing. No, 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 no. Answer your question. No, answer your question because. 
because you're about to come around to what we were saying in the first place, but it's very important that you understand this. If you had no different upbringing, if you had no different upbringing than anybody else here, and there's no knowledge base that you have than anybody else here, what was wrong about what was said? Wow. Just tell me. I'm you said you had you. none. I'm asking you. No, the normal history of it's the Jewish amazing, education. Right? When you my family it. didn't teach it. The movies taught it to me. The Holocaust movies, the classes, <laughs> the history books. That's where we learned the crazy shit from the Inquisition. My family didn't go I top to bottom. And this different. Can I be honest with you? I'm, wrong I'm not saying it's wrong. No, really. So if you're saying that, so Kanye didn't say anything wrong. He did gave you, you guys a bunch of compliments. You guys own all the beds. You own all the it's crazy. It's very pro Semitic. No, no. yeah. It's not crazy. What was crazy is me offering you the opportunity yes. to explain yourself. But <laughs> let, terrible question. Andrew you, knows you what I'm doing. Please. I know what you're doing. Yes. It was let's, a very good question. No, listen, let, let, if let, you let, yell at Dove, don't let the hair fall on your face like that, okay? <laughs> because it was doing that a little. I was putting mad. Yeah, no. That's not today. Okay, okay. So, uh, Excuse me for speaking on behalf of, of Jews, but you failed. Uh, okay, so Jews are brought up uh, understanding not only the Holocaust, but what led to the Holocaust. Mm -hmm. And it's very important to understand what led to the Holocaust to understand why Jews have a very healthy paranoia about language and ideology that Kanye was saying on the podcast. Thank you, Dove's Proxy. Now, yeah. <laughs> the average American doesn't learn about what led to it. The average American doesn't know what Kristallnacht is. They don't know what uh, Hitler, what? That's what I'm going crazy at. Were you not in school? Did you guys not Bro, learn that? I'm saying my know. family particularly like, did not go through every single line <laughs> item of the so, so, it, it, It's like all the empathy. <laughs> literally everybody listening to the podcast right now, everyone listening to the podcast right now was on board. They heard the rant. They were like, Kanye's fucked up. And then Dove is just going... You, you're just evaporating. <laughs> 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 don't speak about me. Speak can about I, people. Can I just I'm the Jews. I'm fuming right now. <laughs> <laughs> don't be fuming. Jeez. Oh, let me just Come get on. on. What's wrong with you? So they don't know the, the history that led up to the Jews. A lot of Americans, I don't think they, they actually believe this, but the history is taught like this. It's like Jews are living in Germany, then 1942. Get them into the fucking gas chambers. There was a lot that led up to that point. There was the dehumanization of Jews, and it started with the language and ideology, the exact language and ideology that uh, Kanye was speaking on. Stop pointing at me, dog. Sorry, 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 sorry. <laughs> the exact Kanye language. About that. <laughs> this Kanye. So when Jews hear that, they understand what that turns into better than anybody else. The reality is most non-Jews in America probably are sitting down going, there is no way there could be a Holocaust in America. And you know what? There were Jews in Germany that thought the same fucking thing. Yes. And you get taught that and we don't. I know it because I have so many close friends that are Jews that have explained this to me except you. Other, <laughs> other ones. Okay. Now, the thing that Jews don't understand is that non-Jews don't learn about this. Like, you're yeah. so shocked. None of us learn about it. None of our parents tell us about it. We see Holocaust movies and we're just like, oh wow, that was a beautiful moment. America took out Hitler. That's fucking awful what happened. But we don't hear the, this is how a group of people were dehumanized and blamed for everything during a recession. We're right before a recession. This is like the worst time to be like, hey, those are the people with all the money. Those are the people with all the power. Those are the people with all the control while everyone in America is getting poor. This is like pre-World War II set up perfectly. So the, Jew, the Jews in America and around the world are hearing this like one of the most influential people in the world. 
right now is saying that we control the media and all the other, we control the banks and we control we the institutions. We own the black voice. We own the black voice and all the other things that we heard happened in Germany, I'm sure happened in fucking Spain, I'm sure happened in every other fucking place you guys were kicked out of. Um, <laughs> common theme. Uh, <laughs> listen, why they all land? So, 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 drink chance, right? Drink chance. That's right. So, 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 Americans, white people, black people that do not know Jews and do not know the history and, do, and are not raised within the culture that really focuses on this as part of it, there's many other aspects of the culture, are looking at this and they're comparing their stereotypes to Jewish stereotypes in a vacuum. Alex is walking down the street and Alex goes, you know what, I gotta wear glasses because I'm less threatening to white people if I wear glasses even though I can see fine. Mm -hmm. He's making adjustments in his life to deal with his stereotypes. And that none he of us know about. That none of the, exactly, and then he hears stereotypes about Jews which is like, oh, they think I own basketball teams, they think I own the media, they think I own banks. And he's like, well, give me some of them stereotypes, that shit's fire. Yes. So the average black person who does not have close Jewish friends is probably thinking that same thing and then seeing how Jews feel and then going, why are they so upset? They just saying shit that I wish was our stereotypes. Now Jews are hearing it going, here we go again. It's about to be the next fucking Holocaust. Mm -hmm. yeah. Why the hell is everybody not realizing this is how it happens? Because we're not taught how this turns into that. And we're not taught it's happened throughout history. We're only taught the Holocaust. And to your point, we are taught about Kristallnacht. We might read a book about the Holocaust and a concentration camp, but we do not get taught what really happened leading up to it. Fair. I wanted to meet in the middle somewhere where we're assuming like after a certain amount of time, like we're all in school. We all are actually absorbing. You're meeting more. I grew up in a town of Jewish people. I'm also Moroccan. A lot of the crazy, crazy shit, definitely more in the Ashkenazi upbringing, those- Because well, you know, they were right there. They were, they were there. So that is something that I can say, but we can also say that there should be a better uh, education on that. But the reason why, I'll give you a big reason why we actually push back on it. One, it's a tiny percentage that do have that power, but it's it just speaks on this thing about dual loyalty. Like you're assuming that we'll choose us before we'll choose like our best and closest friends and brothers and we'll just go straight to that first and that's just not that's just not true right so right i look i'm just trying to say it's like i understand the confusion around the kanye uh comments yeah. and why different groups are upset at different things yeah you know like kanye wearing a white lives matter shirt it's very hard for a white person to be upset at that because a white person is never going to think that his life doesn't matter mm -hmm. and so you have to remove the shirt meaning and go, oh, he's distracting from this other thing that's very important to bring attention to, mm -hmm. right? But you're not gonna get white people screaming, that's fucked up, because yeah. you look like a goofy. Yeah. It, nobody likes those white people who are like, white people suck. My life doesn't matter. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like, exactly. Yeah. That's why, he, like you said, it wasn't that much risk in wearing the shirt. He just wanted to be provocative and get the attention. Right. Yeah. Right. So I hope, hopefully we all have a good understanding now why Jews reacted in the way that they did and why it seems very reasonable given what their knowledge base is yeah. and why non-Jews reacted the way they did and why it seems reasonable to them. Yes. You know, to that point, because you explained this. Do, 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 no, do you know what sure. I'm saying? Like, but speaking on the Kanye part of like, people are just, the argument is, oh, is he crazy? Is he not crazy? But the bigger argument should be like, the mo one of the more influential people in culture right now yeah. is passing off this message. And we're which, arguing about, which is, is he crazy yeah. or not? Which is very like, important also. It's like, when imagine you're a Jewish guy or girl that has kids that are in school. And you know that they're watching these interviews and seeing these things on TikTok, right? And all of a sudden, in that school, there's not all Jews in the school. <laughs> there's yeah. only going to be a few of them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So now all of a sudden, they're getting bullied. Oh, does your dad own the banks? I bet you, God forbid, one of the kids... Dad works the fucking bank. Yeah. He only, he is is your dad the reason why my bank is getting foreclosed on? Mm -hmm. Is your or my house is getting foreclosed on? Like, are you the issues? Are yeah. you the reason? 
I see how there is that paranoia within the parents also, how that bullying can get Oh, I know down. a ton that were like, keep that Judaism down, especially in Europe. Folks oh, wow. are Jews, and now you're in that really tiny minority. It's like, yeah. keep it down, keep it down. Or like in a city that doesn't have a lot of Jews. Because like the history of like, when you, we just a little bit on some of that, of like why people say like, how do they control Hollywood? You know how they, the Hollywood industry started? During vaudeville, which was like, you know, I don't know, the late 1800s, 1900s, where it was like a music act and another acting. This was for poor people. Jews were poor people that did vaudeville and did uh, the garment industry. Two things that were paramount to starting Hollywood. They were immigrants that didn't speak English. So silent these were films. silent films. And this all pulled up. So the rich <laughs> white Americans <laughs> yeah, makes sense. Th thought that this was lower. Movie tickets were for big crowds, very cheap versus like limited things to go into a theater. So Jews started it that way. Actors changed their, and by the way, when they actually were making movies in, in Hollywood, when anti-Semitism was coming up, the Jews actually made the movies to make American culture like quintessentially American and kind of de-Jew it to make them look like they're assimilating into that world. Like look up most Christmas songs that you guys all love are written by Jews. The Hollywood movies that make America like look like media American, oh. proud to be American. So you guys do was run Hollywood. Jews, Jews yeah. were trying yeah. to like, gotcha. wait, are you <laughs> trying to say, hold on, you <laughs> yeah. run Christmas? It oh, sounds like you're saying you run Christmas. You guys run Christmas, run Christmas and Hollywood? That's good marketing. Now Jews Every running. time he speaks, he just, it's it's just digging <laughs> yeah, deeper like, and deeper. Like control. Nah, like, but like, Jews you Christmas like, like lit. Again, great. I'd Good rather you understand the history or say like the Jewish run media and he's bringing up like these things of like Google that owns all these YouTube was started by two Jews. What were they? They were <laughs> fucking math, mathematicians that created a program. Just, to me, it just sounds like you're it's saying right. Jews run Hollywood. It's unbelievable. And the media. No, 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 no. That's what it kind it's of sounds truly, like. Chill. Truly chill. remarkable. I wish this chill. was a silent film. Yo, yo, I would it's love one it. Thing. He started <laughs> out. Hold on. Like, he started, I don't get it. I have to say this. No, he you started out. Hold on. No, no. Can I say one thing? He started out going, yeah, it's ridiculous. We do not run things. You have to understand, like, when Jews started Hollywood, and then, listen, with the internet, like, when the two Jews, like, created Google, Hollywood, and then yeah. we created clothing with the garment industry. But there were poor like, Jews that then became rich fucking Jews. Fucking hell, bro. Running Hollywood and having a dual <laughs> agenda is a little so different. So you're saying movies are your soul wait, food. So wait, you're saying they run Hollywood, <laughs> but you're saying they don't have no, a they're, they're, That's anti-Semitic, though. No, this is... Ow, no, no, I only want to speak to you. Do you <laughs> He's doing it to poke at me. I'm not doing I'm a poke at you. They're, they're really just pointing out what you're saying. So, though. but you understand that, like, like control. <laughs> you don't want to hear it. Control, you don't want to hear it. Jewish-run media means that we have an agenda every single time we do something media. Versus, there's powerful people in media. There's powerful people in banks. Are they going to be bad? Are they going to be good? Yo, I'm sure you run, like the good things. Y'all don't run shit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to let you think you run shit. Yo, the flip is happening. Can we be honest? Y'all some little broke boys. Like, y'all ain't got no real pulse. Jews are not popular. Yo, bro. I know. It's just like, yo, for real, dude. Y'all yeah, yeah, yeah. No, don't really got it like you that. Speak for a living. I'm just saying, y'all don't really uh, got it like maybe that. Maybe crying like, all the time and shit. Yo, like, y'all don't really bro. got it like that. Like, if we really are going to be honest, yeah, y'all don't yeah. like, Steven Spielberg hasn't made a good movie in forever. Son, you son, know why? Because the Goyim was out there like, nah, fam. Yeah, yeah, son. You going to try to make a fucking West Side Story? Yeah. No. Uh-huh. Mm -mm. Okay? I'm I'm just saying, y'all Italians don't really, really run, shit. run shit if you think about it. You know, Italians uh, run Scorsese, shit. Scorsese, Beast, mm. Facts, Blacks run shit. Uh huh. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Jews, all right, what do y'all run, bro? Yeah. Y'all fucking, you can't even get a goddamn camera on a Saturday. <laughs>
Do you know what I mean? Can't even keep a fucking. Can't even keep a camera store open on saying yeah, and Jews run shit. I'm just saying. Explain the difference. The difference between what? Running. Controlling y'all got and just no being power, in. bro. Okay, I I'm tired of y'all thinking you got any power. <laughs> y'all got no power, bro. It's like the eat Hulk. bacon. No, <laughs> y'all can't even eat bacon. You can't, you can't even have shrimp. So like your How you got power? You can't even eat shrimp. Yeah, like you can't point. have shrimp. Where's your protein shrimp? at, Doug? Some beef. Come on. <laughs> yeah. hey, 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 we don't got power. You think we got power? You think we got power? Yeah. The Indian media, bro. That's yeah. it. The Indian <laughs> media is crazy. The richest man in the world is Indian. And hey, how upset shut the fuck are you up, with no, that? Shut the fuck <laughs> up, bro. Son, he's trying to be pro-Semitic right now. You're not letting him. Yeah, I'm being Y'all ain't shit. Y'all do not run Hollywood. <laughs> Y'all do not run Hollywood. No. You can barely get a movie made. Uh, see, now I feel better. Thank you, right? <laughs> see, now go. you see how fucked up it is what Kanye was saying? Yeah. yeah. Son, Come on, bro. We're done. I don't Come want on. to be your manager anymore. Son, Come on. My, we don't Come want to manage anything. Duff tried to turn Hollywood into soul food. <laughs> this is just the scraps we were given, and we had to make it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that sounds so like Kanye crazy. at the end. They were jealous. Yo, yes, that jealous. is the Y'all, truth, y'all do not run no banks. No. Don't run no banks. Name the banks. J.P. Morgan. Not Jewish. Exactly. Chase? That's Chase. not a Jewish name. Not Jewish. Goldman That's more Sachs. German if you think about hey, it. Hey, hey, hey. Disney, the biggest movie company in the world. Hated them Jews. Hated the Jews. Y'all don't even got Disney. Oh, Bob hey. Iger? <laughs> the big Jew who bought Star Wars, Pixar? Wait, no, wait, wait, he's wait, a wait. worker. That's a worker Jew. Mm. Worker Jew. <laughs> <laughs> Some would call him a field Jew. <laughs> 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 you know what? I want to go back. I'm just I saying. I want to let other people uh, up I'm top. just Feel saying. Feel Jew. Feel Jew. That's, 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 yeah, that's funny. That's funny. <laughs> All I'm saying is, yo, I'm just Marvel. 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 No. What you marveling at? The lack of Jews, me, Uh personally. Nothing there. Oh, remember, all your favorite superheroes are Jews, too. Let me explain you why. Name them. Name them. Tony Stark. Not Jewish. Robert Downey Jr. Nope. Stan Lee. Bob Kirby. Stan Look Lee is up. not a superhero. Asian. Who he wrote them. He created them. <laughs> but Come he's on. not a superhero. Stan Lee's a writer. Even Stan Lee was like, they ain't gonna believe no Jewish. Yeah. <laughs> Wish fulfillment. That's why they created it. Wish fulfillment. Also, how dare you say we don't know about Jewish history? That's fucked up. Even that is like frustrating. Yeah. Crystal knock, we know what that is. That's that lemonade. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Put it in the water, shake it up, and yeah. shit. They got the powder shit. Yeah. <laughs> we know everything. Okay. So listen, so let's let's dispel all these rumors right now. Owning sports franchises. <laughs> Definitely choose. Nah, son, they had one. They got him out of there. Donald Sterling. Donald Sterling. He was too Jewish. That was the problem. Done. Yeah. Done. No, no. Do you own some sports franchises? A couple. Pra- Robert <laughs> yeah. Kraft. Big deal. Jerry Jones? Not Jerry I mean, Duke. James Dolan, Knicks owner. I wish he was a big, fat fucking Jew. <laughs> <laughs> I wish he was. We got this dumb Irish guy here. He's got the team in the dumps. <laughs> right? <laughs> the fuck? You know? Who else? They got the Chinese guy who owns the, uh, the, 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 the Nets. Nets. Yeah. Who owns okay. the Justin Jones? Indian guy owns the Kings. Bitch. Indian no. guy owns the Kings. Giants, uh, Jews. Lakers. The Mara. Lakers. Sorry, he's doing a good Bus. job. Bus. Is that I Jewish? I don't think that the... I'm not sure, but no! I don't think so. No! It's not Jewish. We need more, more Jewish owners of sports teams. What was Kanye talking about? So we need more no, Jewish no, no, we have team have, owners. We got like yeah. Huh? We got a bunch. No, you don't. You got no pull. They're bro. just being kicked out right now for different forms of... <laughs> of, of racism. 
Listen, let's go. So y'all started it. <laughs> oh, damn. Look who wrote the article right here. Dan Moskowitz. Yep. Yeah. That's all he can afford to do, yeah. broke ass. Look, Jan, Jeff Bezos, all the money. Bernard Arnault, is he Jewish? No. Elon Musk, no chance. Elon Musk, not. Bill Gates, yes. Indian, Warren Buffett, Adani. not. Wait, is Bill Gates Jewish? Yeah. No. No. Why? You're being anti-Semitic no, by saying wow. he's Jewish. No, you got you guys at the top just to just to he's hang out. He's built like a fucking Jew, isn't he? When you see him walk into a room, <laughs> he heard he said, "We let you guys at the top." So, oh, that's crazy. Yep. Sergey Brin, yes, yes. Is Larry Page? Yes. Steve Ballmer, is he or no? No chance, dude. Mm, nah, nah, no way. Nah, nah, he nah got, he's not. Big There's old no Irish way. head. Like the guy Mukesh running I'm those. Mukesh, yeah. is he? Indian, dog. Indian. Yo, two Indians on the list. I'm tired. <laughs> I'm sick and tired of people throwing these tropes out here like Jews are successful at all. Nope. Like y'all nope. done anything in Hollywood. <laughs> Nothing. And Nothing. like you've done anything in sports. Yep. And what about rap? Have they? Do they really own all the labels? I don't even believe it. No, no. Jay-Z owns Jay -Z. this shit. Yeah. yeah. But you know also I mean? Kanye called Jews the greatest rapper of all time. Drake. That's true. Not. Yeah, we're taking him. We're taking Max Miller. We're taking Little Dicky. We're taking the BC Boys. We I mean, take him. Big, you can have big drop off. I know, yeah. You can have big drop off. All of them. Yeah, 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 you can have them all except Drake. You ain't getting Drake. Baby. I'm just saying that, that is. I think we're proving. We're proving right now. <laughs> that we're proving right that now. Was I, know, I, know, I know. I know. He, he almost said Doctor Seuss. <laughs> he was one name away from Doctor Seuss. Right? Like, I get guys thank you oh. all right so there's kind of a there's a curve that that show went on right like uh it starts with that roast and then they try to make some points and then it starts going like this and uh you're seeing the show go a little sideways there's a lot discussed during that clip and the attitudes were like schultz clearly didn't even watch kanye's anything he had predetermined conclusions because then he's finding out, oh, Kanye gave the Black Lives Matter. He gave them a couple million dollars. And then he came out and found later that the thing wasn't as he was told. And then he made some comments. Right. So he in his mind or at least for his audience, he cuts off the beginning of that and just goes to, oh, he said some stuff and he doesn't support. And but the, like Kanye had been on a whole journey in that timeline from supporting early on and then finding out maybe he was getting suckered and said some stuff later. Right. What were your thoughts on that clip, Scott? Um, it was. Uh, I was getting a little incredulous there. I was. Uh, it was kind of a. Yeah, it was a little. A uh, little much. A little much for what is it like one in the morning right now? But uh, that's all right. You know. Uh, I think one of the things to point out though is like if you look at the George Floyd toxicology report, like the one thing that stands out the most is that he actually died of COVID. I don't know if you guys know that. But oh, yeah, right yeah. There, See. It says that he died. He was, like, tested positive for COVID-19. So all the rest of it's out the window, right? But, no, I mean, he did have lethal amounts of fentanyl in his system. But I don't know. Anyway. Also, there was also, according to the coroner's report, uh, yeah. methamphetamine in the system. There's it's yeah. So there's a, there's a lot more there. And, like, Kanye's comment on that gets more people to actually check that out, maybe watch a documentary, these sort of things, right? And um, those comments that they made uh, throughout, I mean, there was – there was many different races just in that clip. Like someone could get just as upset about the clip we just watched mm -hmm. as the clip from two clips ago. Sure. Many different races covered in there. In fact, there was more like racial uh, stereotypes in that clip than there was like, uh, I haven't seen it that many racial stereotypes in one clip since that 1977 bad news bears movie. There's some words in there today. To get you canceled for sure. For sure. But, Coming back to the present, let's get back to 
this yay story because there's still a couple of clips of him in his own words that are uh continuing to to be censored now, but before they we get into, into this those, story. Yeah, we, we did have a response uh that kind of sums it up to response to those guys what you yes, just uh, said is one of the most insanely idiotic things i have ever heard at no point in your rambling incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it i award you no points and may god have mercy on your soul yeah no points flagrant for that ethan was going to get that but uh I think yeah, these we guys took the, the cake. We forget to issue that admonishment. And uh, these guys do. They, they, they made a bigger situation out of it than Ethan was even making out of it. So um, we do have these other couple yay clips. And I won't make fun of his name anymore because he basically called me out on that. But he did say happy birthday. Did you did you guys catch that? He, yay said happy birthday here in the podcast. And yay, happy hey. birthday. Whenever your birthday is, I'll mark it down, I guess. Happy and birthday, well, He was Rich. talking to you, Richard. Come on now. Happy yeah, yeah. So that's now what seems a good time yeah. to uh, yeah, share a little something. Oh, what you got? From everyone at GTW birthday. and all of us in the GTW chat. Happy birthday, Rich. And oh, thank you, uh, everybody. John Taylor Gatto raising a pint of Guinness to you. Yep, there you go. Ah, uh, how appropriate! I'll have to. Uh, I might have a picture. We might might have something of Gatto with Guinness. We used to take him Guinness after he had his stroke. We'd go to New York all the time, and uh, I'd give him haircuts, and he'd tell us stories, and uh, we would take him Guinness because we'd say, "Hey, John, can we bring you anything?" And he'd say, uh, "Bring me a pork chop in a bottle." And that's how Guinness used to be advertised back in the day. It was almost like a food substitute in their marketing. And uh, yeah, just one Guinness in a conversation with John and then uh, take the ride home and just appreciate uh, hanging out with somebody of such experience and articulation of his experience. Wonderful dude. All right. Uh, he passed away two years ago this coming week. I think he mm -hmm. passed on the 27th. So watch the ultimate history lesson and keep his memory alive while you guys are at it. While you're wondering about yay, figure out how to uh, make tomorrow into a, a freedom lifestyle instead of the slavery that's going on out there right now. All right, let's cut back to uh, the other clips we have uh, on yay as far as the source material. And then the first commentary on that that's going to the other side of the fence uh, is going to come from that first clip from Anomaly in the YouTube playlist. Got it. Um, yeah, I've got it's that the clip one of, of uh, Kanye in front of the, the warehouse, which yeah, I, I don't, I'm guessing I messed up the timeline, but uh, we could play that. He said it first. I, I'm not sure. Even Somebody, if it's in the past, it's good archive footage for juxtaposition. So we absolutely. have to find the and, source date of this clip for the timeline but what he's saying very much kind of fits in with what we just heard uh from the drinking buddies podcast all right uh, i think this game but i think anomaly posted this too so we'll, we'll talk about him here in a minute i know he comments on it but i don't know if he posted it and the anomaly clip i'm looking for is the one right before the ben versus yay clip you got it all, all right, right cool I got my songs. I could go off and just go to, you know, Hawaii and live a nice life. That means that God has called me to sacrifice all of that in order to bring the truth. That's what I'm saying. They don't cut my check. 
you listen to people that's getting their check cut by Jewish media. George Soros, come and meet with me directly. I told you, you ain't gonna send none of these people that you usually send. Charlemagne, we know all the names. I got my song. All right. Let me pull that other one up. Um... Yeah, come meet me too, George Soros. I got, I got something. For I you. thought, actually, I thought that clip was longer because he was like, they're going to have to. No, no, here. Check this okay. out. This is the one. Right. This is the one. Uh... For the Jewish people, what I'm doing is I'm me too in the Jewish culture. I'm saying y'all got to stand up and admit to what y'all been doing. And y'all just got away with it for so long that y'all don't even realize what y'all doing. And it's like, y'all can't fuck with me either because y'all behind that gated fence. Y'all soft. Y'all hands got soft. You ain't out here getting beat up every day like me. You ain't out here getting called crazy every day like me. You ain't out here getting your family snatched like me. You ain't out here half your culture getting aborted like me. You ain't out here getting outraged with false narratives like BLM like me. So for all the Jewish media, y'all want to sit down and have a conversation with me? Then let's have a conversation. But you ain't going to send Harley Pasternak, Puff Daddy, Meek Mills, Kim Kardashian, none of the usual suspects, and get me to stop talking. You're going to have to take my life. I don't care if you black mirror me. I don't care if you do some of the alternative, what the thing was, show me talking, saying somebody didn't say. I don't care if you have me fucking a goat on camera. I don't care what you do. You're going to have. (laughs) Yeah. And by the way, and if you take my life, there's going to be some college kid, some young yay, some young Pac that's going to even go harder. It's going to, y'all thought George Floyd was going to send it up. If you took my life right now, you're going to see something you never saw. So we might as well have a conversation because I love Let's you. I love, I love the media platform. And we love Jewish people. We love Jewish people. But I am very mad. Yeah. I have a problem. The conversation ain't over. It ain't okay, yay, clarify. It ain't nothing to be clarified mm-hmm. until we have a conversation. You got Jamie Lee Curtis on TV talking about, I hope they take his children away. Take his children away. So that names the names that he was about to name. He said, "I don't need to name the names." When he was in front of the uh, the gate there. Yeah, um, I think so. I I think that was from later in that interview that we played. The yeah, that's of. that's. But that ties back to what he was saying right there in front of the security gate. Right. Was there more to that clip? No, that was it. I saw a longer piece of that clip, so I, I okay. saw that video, and it's like eight minute form. Um. Okay. Was was that from Anomaly's channel? Perhaps it might um, be. So let's go to the Anomaly commentary because that was like the first uh, commentary that wasn't towing the status quo line. Okay. Because I was surprised at uh, Andrew Schultz that as a comedian they wouldn't take the time to actually kind of question it and flesh it out. Maybe that was their way of doing it. Maybe that all happened on purpose. But it seemed to me they had a setup, and this dude missed the punt. And then they were scrambling. <laughs> All right. Check out the anomaly clip. Or it's a it's full video. We'll uh we'll have to see. Remind me if I listened. Yeah, so before. uh he has a full video and I think the first uh clip was like uh first ten minutes 
And then uh, I might have a note on the next time code net somewhere here. Well, let's see. I'm scrubbing through it. He touches on that warehouse clip a couple times. Um, yeah, you know, it doesn't look like he plays a clip from, at least in this video, a clip from that podcast. So maybe it's another. No, I'm just looking for that warehouse video that you looks like he was commenting on in there. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's just the security gate. Now that I'm looking at it more closely. I found, (laughs) I could send you, I found another guy posted. posted There we go. I'm skipping over what he, when he played the Schultz again. Good. Uh, He also commented on Andrew Schultz. So yeah. Watch anomalies whole video for more. Sure. Yeah. We covered that. (laughs) Here we go. He embarrassed himself being a snowflake, safe space, crying victim. I don't know what he's doing, but we'll talk about that and play his clips and react to that in a second. But I do want to talk about this Daily Mail interview. All credit to Daily Mail. This is their video they posted on their website, so I'm just taking clips for fair use. Uh, I really want to respond because as people like Andrew Schultz and others are saying he's crazy, he's insane, he's hateful, he's horrible... I just want people to hear for themselves, and I'm obviously going to tell you my opinion, but I just hate book burning. I hate this idea that Donald Trump says something, the media says what he said, and then you're supposed to believe what the media says, even though you can't see it for yourself. They're doing the same thing to Kanye West. I don't care if you like him. I don't care if you like Trump. I don't care if you dislike Trump for different reasons than me, but you deserve as a U.S or non-US, maybe you're in, in, in a different country, you deserve to hear the person for yourself and have the intellectual capability to, to decide what it is. And, and that's what I want people to do. And that's why I keep covering this topic over and over, because I hate to see him get book burned for this uh, without actual discussion about what he really said. So here's him. I have a bunch of clips from the Daily Mail interview, and we'll discuss them every 20, 30 seconds. Let's watch. I love rappers, rappers are artists. But when media calls me a rapper, specifically to not bring up the fact that I'm worth $11 billion, that I'm the richest black man of all time, that I'm a billionaire, that I'm a tycoon, that I'm a visionary. And if I say that, if I say those three things, then they'll say I'm a narcissist, right? But they push you down so much that you gotta fight just to to say who you are. See, I used to defend Trump when he would talk about himself a lot. I understand people thought, well, he shouldn't say this, he shouldn't say that. But when the media is lying about you all the time, sometimes you want to declare who you are for historical reasons. I'm not that. I'm not crazy. I'm not racist. I'm this. I'm a billionaire. You know, it sounds very cocky to a lot of people. I mean, Kanye is very confident. So is Donald Trump. But when the media is trying to dehumanize you in front of the whole world and say you're crazy, insane, or terrible, sometimes you just state what you are. Like Donald Trump is a very successful man. Kanye West is a very successful music artist, designer, you know, creator. So he's like, you know, you bash me down and then I say who I am and then you you call me out for it. I do see the parallels between him and Trump who constantly had to assert what really happened at their rallies or events so other people couldn't just talk over them and define their narrative. Let's keep listening. You know, I, what I got from the documentary, from the from the Candace Owens documentary was, I felt like it was a setup. I felt that in the documentary, if you look at it, he told his roommates they want a tall guy like me. They want a tall guy like me. Well, who is they? I'm gonna pose it as a question, as opposed to, you know, 
giving you some kind of theory that I can't pinpoint. See, this is interesting because he's getting sued by George Floyd's baby mama, just like, I mean, Alex Jones got sued by the parents at Sandy Hook. And it sounds like Kanye is trying to push some sort of theory about George Floyd saying they came and said, you know, who are they? So he's asking questions about the George Floyd death. It's not the same as the Sandy Hook thing. I'm not saying it is, but it's the same. It seems like it's the same president that they're doing to Alex Jones. Well, these people are dead. You're questioning the narrative. Now we're going to shut you up and sue you for a billion dollars. Regardless of what you think about it, I'm starting to really see the Alex Jones parallels. He's questioning the death of George Floyd, or at least the media narrative of it. And now they're giving him the Alex Jones treatment. It's very interesting stuff. And before we play another clip, do you get why it's important to not just say he's anti-Semitic or he's a terrible person? And I mean, there's he's dropping more gems than most Republicans will ever drop in their life. And these same Republicans are trying to just cover up history and book burn them and act like it's all hateful. Don't look there. No, you should look there because, you know, for every one thing you might disagree with that, he says, there's going to be 20 things that you probably do agree with. And if you don't, I don't care. You still don't have the right to burn him out of existence and smear his name without at least allowing your audience to see what he really said. Now, this interview is longer than I have all the clips for, but I did take my favorite parts of it. Uh, here, let's keep going. Uh, and this idea of these, these martyrs that we have, is 14 kids is dying in Chicago every single day. And they have this uh, Jewish media, black media, trauma culture, trauma economy, the stuff that Charlemagne the God works for, the stuff that Rosenberg works for, the stuff that academics, the guys, the academics. You got to understand all these people that y'all listening to out here, I'm going to tell y'all, they're getting their checks cut. He said Jewish media and black media. He called out Rosenberg, who's Jewish. He called out academics, who's black. And he called out Charlemagne, who's black. If people say white media, nobody cares. If people say black media, nobody cares. When you say Jewish media, all of a sudden people start caring. But I get what he's talking about. He's trying to say these people are bought and sold. It's just he's not as politically correct as everybody else. It's kind of like when Donald Trump was tweeting all this stuff. Everybody said, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. But here's what I was saying from 2016 to 2019. Is it true though? Is what he's saying true? You might think it's hateful because you hate the truth. You might think it's hateful because you have a different threshold of what I'm interested in. I like raw comedy. I like raw truth. I Just like I don't want a comedian to be censored, I don't believe in censoring comedy. I don't believe in censoring speeches. Why should we allow free speech and comedy but not allow billionaires and hip-hop artists to speak their mind about the media? This is where we draw lines. See, I don't draw lines like this, but what... Kanye is tapping into right there is he's saying Jewish media and black media and he's saying this trauma culture that's what it is these two groups no offense now it's like the LGBT group as well there's other tribes that are doing this but in black and Jewish culture it's it's fueled off of victim and trauma mentality we were oppressed 200 years ago so you can't question me we were oppressed 70 years ago you can't question me you can't question my history but i could question yours you can't say this to me but i could say it to you it's all hypocrisy it's all double double standards and kanye's totally right it's victim mentality victim consciousness and trauma based culture that's what he's talking about is everybody in on it no absolutely not i'm not saying that i'm just saying 
to speak about it? Is that what we're going to do? Push it down, act like it doesn't exist and say what he said is hateful? No, he's on his Donald Trump of not caring exactly how what he says comes out. He's just more interested in, in relaying the message. And I think honest and wise people of all groups will listen and make their own, uh, you know, judgment before they just hear little clips out of context and hear a bunch of do nothings, call them mean names. Let's keep listening. You know, and y'all, I need y'all to really respect what I'm doing, the stuff that I'm doing and I'm saying online and love the fact, look, I got, I got money. I got my songs. I could go off and just go to, you know, Hawaii and live a nice life. That means that God has called me to sacrifice all of that in order to bring the truth. That's what I'm saying. They don't cut my check. You listen to people that's getting their check cut by Jewish media. George Soros, come and meet with me directly. I told you, you ain't going to send none of these people that you usually send. Charlemagne, we know all the names. So he he calls out George Soros and says, meet with me directly and even suggests that Charlemagne is being paid off by Soros or somebody else. I don't know. He doesn't make it clear. Here's the point that I'm going to get to. Out of everything I just showed you, right, that two minutes of clips chopped up, is your is the main point that you took is Kanye's crazy and Kanye's hateful and he's so dumb and he's so terrible, we shouldn't listen to him and he needs to go away. Is that the point you took? Of course not. Are, are we so sensitive now that if I tell the truth about like Kanye did about people dying in Chicago that it's racist if I don't use the right terminology? Is that what we are now, snowflakes? We're not. But here's what people need to understand. There are certain groups out there, there are certain cultures out there, there are certain people out there who preach equality, but the last thing they want is equality. The LGBT community, not all of them, but the mainstream liberal ones in Hollywood, they preach equality, but they don't want equality. If you give them equality, it's like throwing water at a witch. They screech, they scream. They don't want equal treatment. They want LGBT supremacy. They don't want to be joked about, but you could be joked about they don't want to be criticized but you could be criticized so although the mainstream liberal gay movement preaches equality their arch enemy is equality because they would shudder at the equal treatment that everyone else gets and i'm sorry uh if this offends people but that's very prevalent in the jewish world like it is the black world you know everybody wants equality but not really they don't want their history question they don't want their ethnicity question they don't want to be grouped as a jew but then a lot of these same people constantly group themselves as a jew to get certain goodies and victim cards but you know it's like i don't care if you're white but you're like i'm not white i don't care what you are but if you're white when it's when the going's good and you're like i'm white i'm white i'm white yeah 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 i'm so proud i'm so i'm a proud jew i'm a proud, proud black yeah 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 but then when like there's any sort of scrutiny scrutiny or criticism of the tribe that you claim to be a part of then you pop off and say oh no it's it's like it's it's kind of phony you know what i'm saying if you're a giants fan you got to be a giants fan when they win or lose or else you're not really a fan and this is a whole nother discussion i'm not going to get into because i'm not a genealogist but there's some people who think me being jewish means following the religion others think it's an eth ethnic group a lot of left-wingers are, are atheists uh, a lot of right-wingers are orthodox but some aren't so that's a whole inter-jew discussion that i'm not really willing to have because not because I'm afraid to, but because I'm not a Jew ethnically or religiously, so I don't really care about the argument. That's for like an orthodox and a secular person to have. But the point that I'm getting is everybody preaches equality, but nobody really wants it. And even on the right wing and on the left wing, I would say they're worse than the left wing. You know, a lot of people are having to face the harsh reality of 
they make their whole life about saying, I'm not sensitive, words don't bother me, I don't need a safe space, but all of a sudden they do need a safe space and, and then that needs to be deleted and they want their victim card. I mean, I don't want to get too deep into this until later, but in Germany, you know, and, and this is on a free speech tip, Noam Chomsky, who happens to be Jewish, he used to say that in America you shouldn't be charged for questioning World War II off a free speech issue. And a lot of Jewish people used to get mad at him saying, does that mean you're a denier? Does that mean that's hate speech? You agree with them? And Noam Chomsky used to say famously, and I used to love him for this, I'm not saying I agree with that. Of course I don't, but I agree with their right to say it and not go to prison. In Germany, questioning World War II puts you in jail. There is a Jewish woman in prison in Germany right now for questioning the narrative around World War II. And if you were to disagree with the charging of that, they would call you a denier or they would call it hate speech or you an anti-Semite for simply standing up to the principles of free speech. And the hypocrisy around this is astounding. I understand that it's a horrible event. You can question my history, but I can't question yours. These are the double standards that people have gotten away with for so long and they'll continue to get away with because if you ever realize that they're treating you differently, they'll freak out at you and suggest that you're a hateful person. Uh, you know, in America, when Donald Trump was building a wall or trying to, and there were kids in cages that most of them, if not all of them, were built during the Obama administration, and they weren't built to oppress, you know, immigrants. They were built because we don't have enough space at the border and we're running out of space. We don't even have enough space for our own people. But the point I'm getting to is you had Holocaust survivors that were writing op-eds in the media that were saying that this was like the Holocaust. So. It, does that make me an anti-Semite to question the fact that at the border that's not a Holocaust? I mean, you know, on one hand, you tell me that this event was so evil, so miserable, so terrible, I can't question it at all or else I'm a hateful person. Sure, I don't, I'm not going to question it then. Sure, yeah, okay, I'm, I'll bow down to you. Your history is unquestionable, but mine's not. Okay, you, you Go ahead and pause it. Uh, now that video goes on for what, another hour, LD? And it's on Anomaly, spelled with... Uh, a zero instead of an O anomalies YouTube page. I actually want to go yeah. to uh, the next clip in that series. Uh, yay versus Ben Shapiro, because specifically I'll give you the time codes. The first 20 minutes, there's a strong argument laid out there and it explains like another layer of this free speech censorship dynamic that kind of feeds into itself. It's like seeing a hurricane form. So I want to get in here and study what's going on because I think bigger things are coming from what they're doing in the past week. So uh, especially I want to get the clip at 28 minutes in this next one where Sheldon Adelson, uh, there's a good soundbite there because these precedents of, you know, shut him up. We got a lot of money invested in here. Isn't that a Bill Hicks joke? Shut him up. That's what they're doing at Kanye right now. That's what they're doing to Yay. They're doing it to a lot of people. Because if what he's saying is wrong, they could just easily disprove it and show that his facts are wrong. But if there's something to what he's saying and they don't want people to know, it's Streisand effect. And as we know, they get out of control with that, just trying to cover up and cover up and cover up and censor. And it just gets bigger. And, uh, you know, everything kind of slips through the fingers. So, so that people understand uh, this dynamic so there's the ethan klein part they already had a reference into the alex jones precedent being used on kanye for george floyd um and then there's uh, a couple more clips and uh i think what we're starting to see is an uneven playing field 
where censorship takes out part of the discussion. So all you're left with is what remains behind, but that might not be the actual and factual. That might be a serious problem in world dynamics that we're seeing otherwhere, uh, uh, like elsewhere in the world today, economics, politics, you know, all these sorts of uh, cultural precipitations down on our individual lives. So let's go to this next clip. Um, uh, Ben Shapiro was mentioned by Ethan Klein and it's in juxtaposition to this yay story. So everything's swirling together at the end of this episode. Let's go ahead and check out Anomaly's second analysis of the uh, yay versus Ben Shapiro feud. Jewish friends, thousands of Jewish followers. I love the Jewish people. I love the people of Israel. God, God didn't make mistakes when he made human beings. I don't see one race as inherently better than another one or more special than another one. I believe all of God's children have the ability to be good or evil based on, you know, what they feed into. So I love everybody. They don't really believe I'm a bad person, guys. They're getting money. Hundreds of millions of dollars is funneling into the GOP. PragerU, uh, TPSA, these are all Israel, you know, it's like if you even question that, you got, you're not gonna, you know, you don't exist in that world. You're done. It doesn't matter if you're not being hateful. It doesn't matter if you're standing up for the Constitution. You're done. Bye-bye. We'll replace you with another clone. You notice all these Republicans, some of them, I mean, some of them are cool. Some of them you could close your eyes and you don't know which one it is because they're all replaceable. There's nothing organic, authentic, or unique about them. You close your eyes. I don't know if it's one of 50 people because that's what you guys are. You're just cookie cutters. They just prop you there to be a placeholder. But I just showed you Sheldon Adelson is the biggest donor when he was alive uh, a couple years ago, and now it's his wife on in the GOP. She's, I'm sure, still working, but who knows? God bless her too. Here's what he believes. It's important because he says in this clip that I'm about to show you that he served in the American military. And he says, unfortunately, do you know any military members in the United States that say, unfortunately, I served? Uh, you know, my kids served in the Israeli military and like my kids are going to keep serving there. He pretty much says like, I wish I served in the Israeli military over the American military, showing that he has loyalty to that country. Let's watch the clip for yourself on how he seems disappointed he served the United States of America over Israel. Interesting. I am not Israeli. The uniform that I wore in the military, unfortunately, was not an Israeli uniform. It was an American uniform. Although my wife was in the IDF, and one of my daughters was in the IDF, and my two little boys, our two little boys, one of whom will be bar mitzvah tomorrow, hopefully he'll come back. Thank you. Hopefully he'll come back. His hobby is shooting, and uh, he'll come back and be a sniper for the uh, for the IDF. Is it hate speech to recognize that the biggest GOP donor said, unfortunately, I served in the U.S. military. All my kids are serving in the Israeli military, and that's great. Is that, a cons is that hate speech to say that he's giving $172 million in the, in the, in the election cycle in 2020? So here's, here's where it gets interesting, folks. Ron DeSantis, right? Perhaps the greatest Republican right now. Right, signs now a bill that takes aim at anti- yeah, the DeSantis bill is concerning. Okay, so now why is that relevant? Because it is a claim 
made in relation to that DeSantis bill that if somebody has dual citizenship and you say they might be, have loyalty to the other place where they have citizenship, that is uh, in the case of Israel as that state, it would be anti-Semitism. That's the DeSantis claim. So now, because we picked up that little tidbit of fact, let's go back to the beginning of that video and let's see the unfolding of what uh, Ben Shapiro had to say about the mean words from Ye. There's no question about it. I mean, what, what he said is pure, rote anti-Semitism, whether he is talking about Death Con 3 to Jewish people, whether he's talking about blacks are the real Jews. I mean, this is all anti-Semitism, as I will say once again for the 1,000th time, are in fact anti-Semitic. And am I friendly with Tucker Carlson? I mean, Tucker cut a segment from his interview with Kanye, in which Kanye said a bunch of anti-Semitic stuff. Listen, am I friends with Joe Rogan? Joe Rogan had on Roger Waters the other day. Roger Waters is a ridiculous anti-Semitic jerk. I mean, like, and Kanye have just as much of a right to a political opinion as anybody else in this country, and they have the right to wear whatever slogan they please on their clothing. Stop trying to control minorities. They have freedom of thought just like the rest of us. A few moments later. This, I'm making a video about Kanye tomorrow. I'm going to pop off because the anti-Semitism is not okay, and I will not stand for it. Stop defending these people who would never defend you. These people don't have love in their hearts. They only run on hate, and I don't want leaders or representatives who just preach hate nonstop. Donald Trump's comments were anti-Semitic, as you all know, and insulting. Hey, what's up, folks? So Ben Shapiro is calling Kanye West anti-Semitic. The Biden administration is calling Donald Trump anti-Semitic. Dave Rubin is calling Kanye West bananas and suggesting he's anti-Semitic. But I'm going to tell you the truth, and all of them are lying. Sorry, liars. Okay, okay, later, later, but no for the main point, is, so I took it over to Dove Charney at LA Apparel, mm-hmm. and he used to, he founded Los Angeles Apparel. So then uh, we made the White Lives Matter tease, mm-hmm. and then when I put up the, the tweet, the DEFCON tweet, now nah, he, ain't, he ain't releasing the tea, because mm-hmm. he's Jewish. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, see, this is my exact point that I'm mm-hmm. making. Mm-hmm. Like, Jewish people have owned the black voice, mm-hmm. whether it's through us wearing a Ralph Lauren shirt, or it's all of us being signed to a record label or having a Jewish manager or being signed to a Jewish basketball team mm-hmm. or doing a movie on a Jewish platform like Disney. Mm-hmm. And we understand it's like, I, I, I respect what the Jew, Jewish people have done and how they brought their people together. What I loved about it, I appreciate, I love mm-hmm. Dove just as a human being. As and this a, is the guy from Adidas? Dove is from American Apparel. Okay. but. I'm talking about put out my White Lives Matter tee. The White Lives mm-hmm. Matter tee don't say nothing. It don't say DEFCON or nothing on it, right? Mm-hmm. I'm like, put it out. And he's telling me, like, yo, I want you to visit the Holocaust Museum. And I was like, yo, I want you to visit Planned Parenthood. That's our Holocaust Museum. Mm-hmm. I'm like, yo, I put my life on this mm-hmm. at this point. Because they've been fucking with me too long. Mm-hmm. They, put, they put the crazy narrative out there. Let's listen to Ben Shapiro's take on why Kanye West is crossing his safe space line. Addison says, what are your thoughts about Kanye West? Well, I mean, I've made my thoughts about Kanye West pretty clear. I mean, what he said is anti-Semitic. There's no question about it. I mean, what, what he said is pure, rote anti-Semitism, whether he is talking about Death Con 3 to Jewish people, whether he's talking about blacks are the real Jews. I mean, this is all anti-Semitism. I do not think it is possible to defend that as not anti-Semitism, which brings somebody else I see is asking about Candace's defense of Kanye's anti-Semitic remarks. So let me just say this. Candace and I disagree about a wide variety of topics. One of the features, not the bugs, of Daily Wire Plus is the fact that we openly disagree about all of this stuff. 
I, I share my opinions about what I think Candace is saying. She shares her opinions about what she thinks that I'm saying. We battle it out. It's one of the things that you get at Daily Wire Plus is the fact that there is a wide variety of opinions. Listen, on a personal level, I get Candace defending her friend. She's very close with Kanye West. I get it. I don't think that her defense of Kanye is correct or convincing. I, I think that the, the real answer to the Kanye West of it is Kanye is a bipolar human being. I mean, he's made this very clear. I talked about this on the show. And bipolar people tend to say extraordinarily bizarre things and ugly things. And again, that doesn't excuse the bizarreness or the ugliness of the actual remarks, which, as I will say once again for the 1,000th time, are in fact anti-Semitic. But there's a difference between somebody cohesively saying what Kanye West said and Kanye West saying things in broken grammar in the midst of what appears to be a bizarre period of his life in which he is presenting Adidas executives with porn in front of their face. I'm not going to treat that the same as Ilhan Omar saying openly anti-Semitic stuff as an elected congressperson in the United States of America. So when it comes to Candace, I mean, look, am I still friends? With, of course I'm friendly with Candace. Am I friendly with Tucker Carlson? I mean, Tucker cut a segment from his interview with Kanye in which Kanye said a bunch of anti-Semitic stuff. Listen, am I friends with Joe Rogan? Joe Rogan had on Roger Waters the other day. Roger Waters is a ridiculous anti-Semitic jerk. I mean, like, wide varieties of disagreement happen in this space. Bottom line is, when it comes to Kanye's remarks, undoubtedly anti-Semitic remarks. When it comes to Candace's defense of those remarks, I think Candace is dead wrong on what she said while respecting her relationship with Kanye. She knows Kanye better than I do. She knows his motive. Okay, whatever. All of that I'm, I'm sure is true, and I will take that for granted. What she said about Kanye, I radically disagree with. I think that she is dead wrong. I think that it is, it, it, it is not a, a – it betrays a, a lack of understanding about – anti-Semitism and, and the scope of anti-Semitism. But we're allowed to have those disagreements. That's the way this works. Such a victim. Now let's listen to Kanye West on the Drink Champs podcast defend and explain his DEFCON 3 tweet in which he says he spelled wrong. You know, I, you know, I talk about the left, the Democrats, and how they prey with BLM on our outrage. You know, even when I put up the DEFCON 3 uh, tweet, I was outraged at this point. What does DEFCON 3 mean? It's like level of... This, like you know, actually, when it's, really Def, when it's DEFCON... It's like nuclear war yeah. shit. Like, I, I, spelled, I spelled it wrong. I have a tendency to do that. But right. DEFCON is actually that you're preparing to right. protect yourself. Mm. Because that's what I did. Because if they're... Once they cancel four SoFi stadiums because of what's classified as wrong think, right. because you have group think, right. it is very important to have the black vote be in group think and to not separate from the thought and be in completely in line with the agenda of the left, the Jewish media, and the Chinese. Now, I listened to almost that whole podcast. It's over three hours. And personally, I would consider it the most important podcast of the entire decade. That's right. I said it. Why? I'm going to tell you with no hate in my heart why Kanye West shattered the matrix and what people in both parties don't want you to acknowledge, which is double standards, hypocrisy, speech laws being passed in America against the First Amendment, and the reality of why it is important to have tough conversations and not censor them out of the mainstream. We're going live 
now. The Dream Rare Podcast, welcome to the show. The way to get the news at the desk or on the road. Let's go. God is great and success in our control. The world is crazy, but we get better from obstacles. It's the Dream Rare Podcast, welcome to the show. The way to get the news at the desk or on the road. Let's go. God is great and success in our control. The world is crazy, but we get better from obstacles. Yeah. Hey, what's going on, everybody? God bless you. Thank you so much for being here, and welcome to a live episode of the Dream Rare Podcast. We're going to cover Kanye West Drink Champs podcast, the reaction from a lot of right-wing and left-wing media. Ben Shapiro is calling him anti-Semitic. Dave Rubin is calling him bigoted and bananas. Uh, Even Zuby is calling him hateful and anti-Semitic. I like Zuby more than I like Dave Rubin and Shapiro, so God bless you, my brother, but you're wrong about that, and crying victim and racism is similar to what the left does, but uh, I want to show you just a perfect example real quick of this chick. I checked out her Instagram. Looks like a lovely lady. Uh, She's a TPUSA ambassador, a PragerU ambassador, and she very quickly went from, we need to let minorities speak and think for themselves, to, oh my God, that minority is speaking and thinking for themselves outside of the GOP echo chamber, and we need to shut them up ASAP. It's pretty hilarious. Let's watch. Anyway, let's just watch it one more time. This is great. And Kanye have just as much of a right to a political opinion as anybody else in this country, and they have the right to wear whatever slogan they please on their clothing. Stop trying to control minorities. They have freedom of thought just like the rest of us. A few moments later. This, I'm making a video about Candace tomorrow. I'm going to pop off because the anti-Semitism is not okay, and I will not stand for it. Stop defending these people who would never defend you. These people don't have love in their hearts. They only run on hate, and I don't want leaders or representatives who just preach hate nonstop. <laughs> you get it? You know, when a black man puts on a Trump hat, they say, oh, that black man is racist. That black man is uh, a traitor or an Uncle Tom. That black man is a bad person, right? And then the le- the right comes to your defense and says, oh, my God, thank you so much. I appreciate you. Oh, you're not racist. That's what the left's saying. And then when a black man, instead of just talking about white liberals, talks about Jewish liberals and Jewish media... Uh, just like when you talk about black culture and black America, he starts talking about Jewish America in a similar way that people talk about white people, etc. Then all of a sudden, it's shut up, black man, says the right-wing GOP PragerU TPSA types. You know, don't go there. Be be who we want you to be. Don't be yourself. I listened to the full interview, and I want to get the, the Donald Trump comments first because I have almost, you see how thick this is? I got 20. I got the proof, folks. I got you know, printouts. I'm going to go through everything and show proof without an ounce of hate in my heart to show you why I believe a lot of right-wing influencers are lying about Kanye West, trying to make him look crazy and insane, when he dropped the greatest podcast, in my opinion, of the decade, the most important podcast of the decade, being who he is, what he said, with unfiltered, raw, Trump-like energy of just saying exactly what he feels, regardless of how people feel about it, so, so important. Before we get into it real quick, because I think it'll be more digestible to people who don't want to hear this, here is the left-wing Karine Jean-Pierre of the Biden administration calling Donald Trump anti-Semitic. So remember, what comes around goes around. If you call people racist and anti-Semitic and it's hate speech, it's going to come back to you because that's what an intellectual featherweight does. I'm just going to explain this to people. I don't have hate in my heart, but you notice I don't use the words racist, sexist, xenophobic, climate denier, anti-Semite. That's what an intellectual featherweight does because if you can't explain why something's wrong, you just default and try to shut it up. That's what Dave Rubin's doing. 
shut up. Shut up, Kanye. Shut up, Kanye. That's mean. I don't want to hear it, says Ben Shapiro. Of course you don't want to hear Ben Shapiro because there's certain truths that you don't want really to be out there, Ben. And I've seen you work for years and I'm going to tell the truth about everything today. But, you know, this is the word that you use when you don't want to really break down why something is right or wrong. So let's just watch the left using it against Donald Trump like, of course, they will. When you open a Pandora's box, you know, that word will be used against everything and everybody. Let's let's watch. Donald Trump's comments were anti-Semitic, as you all know, and insulting, both to Jews and to our Israeli allies. But let's be clear, for years, for years now, Donald Trump has aligned with extremist and anti-Semitic figures. And it should be, it should be called out, to your point, Darlene, just like we called out our Democratic uh, friends and colleagues last week, and we will condemn and call this out as well. So we need to root out anti-Semitism everywhere. It rears its ugly head. We need to call this out. Right. Donald Trump with a Jewish son-in-law that he basically let run his administration with a Jewish daughter now with Jewish kids and, you know, the most pro-Jewish, pro-Israel president we've ever seen. Yeah, he's a big anti-Semite, right? Donald Trump, who couldn't possibly be more pro-Israel. Like if he was any more pro-Israel, he'd be the leader of Israel and not America. I mean, he pretty much is. But and that's what he kind of said. I'm not just being rude. That's what he said. I'm going to read his comment that they're saying is uh, anti-Semitic. Of course, we know Donald Trump is not anti-Semitic, right? He, I'm, should I read it in my normal voice or my Trump voice? I'm going to do it in my Trump voice, not to mock Donald Trump, but because it just doesn't feel right if I don't read it in a Trumpier voice. So Donald Trump said on True Social, no president has done more for Israel than I have. Somewhat surprisingly, however, our wonderful evangelicals are far more appreciative of this than people of the Jewish faith, especially those living in the U.S. Those living in Israel, though, different story. Highest approval rating in the world could easily be the prime minister. U.S. Jews have got to get their act together and appreciate what they have in Israel before it's too late. So that's what Donald Trump said. I mean, is it something I would say personally? No, I don't talk like that. But I'm not I'm not mad at what he said, and I'm not going to call him an anti-Semite. This is why I don't use these words, because everything is racist. Everything's sexist. Everything's anti-vaxxer, climate denier. Everything's anti-Semitic, right? You can't talk about Jews. It's like it's not anti-Semitic, but the reasons they're calling it anti-Semitic is because he suggests that you know, U.S. Jews should care about Israel, and a lot of U.S. Jews don't care about Israel, and some would consider it anti-Semitism to say that Jews should care about Israel, because there's all sorts of anti-Semitism rules and laws that say, you know, Jews in America are more loyal to America than Israel to suggest otherwise is anti-Semitism. So it's this whole messy thing where he's conflating Israel with U.S. Jews, and he's even saying they're of the Jewish faith. And to be honest, a lot of left-wing Jews who don't care about Israel are actually not even Jewish religiously. They're more Jewish racially, and they're, you know, mostly agnostic and atheist. So I'm not going to say it's the smartest thing I've ever read, but I don't care. And he's allowed to say that with his First Amendment. And if Donald Trump feels that way, you know, God bless him trying to get that message out there. The worst thing you could do when someone does something like that is call them an anti-Semite because basically what that does is like if you say if I'm going to pass a BLM speech law and it says you can't criticize George Floyd or that's racist, you can't criticize this or it's racist, and you say, hey, I oppose that speech law, and then I say, oh, why? Because you're a racist? Because you want to say that? You get what I'm saying? This is what they do to anti-Semitism. When I stand up against anti-Semitic speech laws and Israeli loyalty laws that the GOP is trying to pass and has passed, I'm going to prove that in a second. 
Or if I want Kanye West to be able to speak the raw, unfiltered truth, you know, they'll say he's crazy or I'm a bad person or I'm so hateful. I'm not hateful. Some of the greatest people in my life are Jewish. Some of the people that I love and appreciate the most as friends. Uh, I would never look down at them because of their ethnicity and or religion or lack thereof, depending which friend I'm talking about. Uh, I don't generalize, but I do also realize certain patterns and I do understand social dynamics of what's going on. So I'm going to speak the raw truth about it. The thing real quick before I get into the speech laws and stuff that they're trying to shut Kanye up about is Dave Rubin suggested he was bananas and Dave Rubin posted this clip. Of course, let's just be honest, okay? Dave Rubin, before he did this, he's like a comedian, right? Kanye West is funnier than Dave Rubin. So I consider what Kanye is doing is the same. I'm sorry, what Dave Rubin is doing is what the left does. When they're not funny enough, they try to cancel you as a comedian. When they're not good enough to compete with your intellectual ideas on the right wing, they try to cancel you and call you crazy or racist because they're not allowed to compete. Kanye West isn't a comedian, but he's funnier than Dave Rubin. Dave Rubin's not even that funny. So I consider it Dave Rubin trying to access competition because Kanye West is smarter than Dave Rubin. Kanye West is funnier than Dave Rubin. Ben Shapiro says it's anti-Semitism and Kanye can't spell right. He's trying to say Kanye's too dumb to even take seriously because he can't spell right. Yeah, Ben Shapiro, you're like, you're nothing compared to Kanye on, on the scale of like thought uh, uh, you know, thought leadership, but you're, you're not dumb, but you're not, it's like, oh, he's too dumb for me. He's too hateful and dumb for me to even consider. Yeah, right. But what Dave Rubin was trying to shut up was Kanye talking about how when black people do something, he said a lot of black people will get blamed for what one black person does. But when a Jewish person does something, they isolate and say, it's not all of us. It's not all of us. But then when they accumulate wealth, they share it with a lot of the Jewish community. That tends to happen. Not all the time, of course, but I can't, I'm not black, so I can't relate to what Kanye is saying, and I think there's a different racial dynamic, but I'm going to talk about my ethnic group, which is, I'm Italian, uh, Polish, Czechoslovakian, uh, a bit Puerto Rican, but let's just, I don't consider myself white, not because I'm not white European, but because I think, the, just like the term black, you're black, and then we tell you what it means, I'm going to reject these narratives that the media makes because they try to lump me in a group, call me a racist, and then take away all my stuff and blame me for everything that ever happened. So I identify as golden. You know, I, I think I'm golden. I'm not, I don't look white. I look more golden in the sun. So I just, you know, it, that's my pronoun. But anyway, long story short, with my group, you know, if you, if they would group me and look at me and say, you're a white, you're a white people, you're white European. If, someone white gets in trouble or someone white does something racist, the media, which to be historically accurate, like Kanye says, I know a lot of people don't want to admit this, but a lot of people running the media are not simply just European and they don't see themselves as white. They see themselves as Jewish and they look at a lot of people, a lot of these executives as goyim, which is a word that means non-Jew. Their ethnic understanding doesn't come from I'm a white European and we're all white. Their ethnic understanding, not all of them, and I'm not going to blame all people, but a lot of these executives, they look at white Europeans as the enemy. And I have a clip to prove that there are people out there that think that way. Not all, just like I wouldn't say that for white or black, but there are, these people do exist. So long story short... As a white person, if I were to accumulate wealth and, and try to share it with other white people, that would be considered white nationalism, racism, evil. They would probably try to steal my bank account if I were to spread the wealth among what I consider my group. But then when someone white gets in trouble, we're not allowed to isolate and be like, well, that was one white guy. The media, which like Kanye West says, is mostly owned by Jewish people, though they say that's a conspiracy, anti-Semitic conspiracy theory. Uh, but Wikipedia is your friend. Who owns CNN? Who owns Facebook? I mean, just look up your least favorite media platform and see who owns it. 
Big shocker. It's not racism. It's like saying that most crime in the south side of Chicago, we don't know who's doing it. Yeah, maybe it's Asians. Let's just pretend, let's play dumb. You know, let's 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 lie and say that's racism. No, it's it's a fact. But anyway, that's what he was explaining. And that's what Dave Rubin's calling him bananas for. He's crazy. He's bigoted. Why? For saying that other races of people get blamed for everything that one person does, like white people do. But if you're white and accumulate wealth, if, and you try to share it with what you consider your ethnic group, they call you a racist for it. No, Kanye's not crazy. He's not hateful. He's 100% right. And Dave Rubin is a fraud. And so is Ben Shapiro. They're liars. They're people who want to call anything that questions their worldview hate speech like a snowflake leftist. And I want to show you real quick, and then I'm going to get into all this because I got 20 things I want to show you of hate speech laws being passed in America. TPUSA, PragerU, Dave Rubin, they say nothing about them. They support them. They cover it up. They call everybody crazy and racist who talks about it, who supports the American Constitution and believes in the principles of free speech. But let me just show you the worldview. I've played this clip before, but most haven't seen it of Eric Mann. This is one of the most influential people behind Black Lives Matter. He's known as the guy who organized Patrice Cullors, the founder of BLM, into this Marxist ideology, and he explains exactly where he gets his worldview. And there's a reason I'm saying this. Not because I want to blame all people, not because I'm hateful, not because I have all this anger in my heart, but because if you want to understand how these people are thinking, some of them that are pulling the strings behind a lot of black organizations, simply calling them white liberals is inaccurate and misleading because that's not where they get their belief system from. And if you want to understand why things are going on, you have to get to the bottom of it. Why is there so much crime in the south side of Chicago? Let's just act like it doesn't exist. It does exist. The Democrats act like it doesn't exist. It does exist, though. But why doesn't it exist? Is it the culture? Is it fathers in the household? Is it is it poverty? How can we ever solve the issue if we're not even allowed to talk about it accurately? Uh, you have to be able to talk about this complex stuff openly without being called hateful or else it's going to continue. So I'm not a hateful person. It's just fake people don't like to hear the truth. They consider the truth hate speech when the truth goes against their emotions or, you know, ethnic bias. But here's Eric Mann, one of the most influential people behind the founders of BLM, explaining where he gets his ideology and worldview from. It's important. And then we're going to move on to all my, my papers right here. How did you get started? Well, <clears throat> I come out of a Jewish socialist, uh, somewhat anti-communist tradition not me, but that's what I come out of. Very strong anti-fascist. It's, it's, it's a joke, but I say that the fascist bastards were the first words that came out of my mouth because that's <laughs> all I kept hearing about fascists and Jews and genocide. And I'm very proud of my parents for not... At five years old, I was thinking about people starving in Europe. Yeah. I didn't know what Europe was. And there's a world made up of goyim who attack us and put us in concentration camps, and we got to fight them. That was the main point. My mom said, stand up to those anti-Semites. Don't let them push us around. So then when I met the black movement, I said, oh, I thought Jews were assertive. Wait till I saw this is the ultimate assertion, the ultimate anger, and... So if you're following what he said, this is, look him up, Eric Mann, right? He was part of the Weather Underground, formerly terrorist group. Uh, you know, one of the most influential people, if not the most influential person in Patrice Cullors' life to make her an organized Marxist as a young girl. And he's explaining where he gets his worldview from. Let's be clear. Let's be very clear. This, I'm not saying that everybody believes this way. That's like saying every Muslim thinks this way. Every Christian thinks this way. Every white person thinks this way. Every Jew or Asian thinks this way. That's not true. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is some do. 
So to call this guy, this is what a bunch of Republicans do. They call him a white liberal. Oh, it, he's just a white liberal. He was raised by a Jewish socialist household who told him that the Goyim are attacking him. Goyim means non-Jew. It means that's the worldview he was raised on. There are non-Jews out there, and they're trying to put you in camps, so go fight them. And then he saw black people and thought that they were angry and wanted to exploit their anger. That's where his view comes from. What you're going to notice about a lot of these media organizations is that when you go to the top of them, it's owned by someone that's Jewish. That's not a conspiracy theory. CN, it's not a conspiracy theory that CNN was, was or is owned by Jeff Zucker, who's Jewish. It's not a conspiracy theory to go do your research and figure out who is sitting at the parent corporation who owns the, the corporation. And when you understand that a lot of these people, not all of them, I'm not trying to generalize, but a lot of these people feel similar to Eric Mann, you'll understand where a lot of this double standards comes from. We can spread our wealth amongst ourselves and hire our own, but you can't. We can hate on you, from more power, I mean, systemically, they have a lot of power, right? But we're the victim. We're Ben Shapiro, Dave Rubin. You can't, no, we only, we could dish it out, but we can't take it. We, you know, only we, you're a racist and you did everything in history. You did slavery, you did this. But if you say that we did that, then you're an anti-Semite. So this is the little game that they're playing at a lot of media corporations. And Kanye West, no offense, has figured this out. Is he saying it in the most graceful, you know, digestible way to a lot of people? Absolutely not. But here's what I want people to do before I start my presentation. Don't be like Dave Rubin and say, he's crazy, he's dumb. No, he's telling the truth, but maybe he didn't say it in a way that is digestible. So if somebody says something that's kind of true, this is why you can't just call everything hate speech because the truth sounds like hate speech to people who hate the truth. So at least be honest and say, I don't like the way he said it, but he dropped a thousand gems and there's an important conversation to have. But I'll tell you, I'm going to go through now why this is all happening, okay? I like Ron DeSantis. He's perhaps one of my favorite Republicans, but I'm just pointing this out. And for a moment, I really enjoyed Donald Trump and his raw truth. Um, but this is Ron DeSantis, okay? With DeSantis poised to sign an anti-Semitism bill in Israel, free speech advocate advocacy group asked for veto. So a lot of people don't know this, but Ron DeSantis passed an Israeli loyalty speech bill in Florida. So did Donald Trump. Donald Trump signed an executive order on anti-Semitism that critics say attacks free speech. What is an anti-Semitism bill? What does that mean? Because I don't like hate. I don't want Jewish people to be hurt. But how does making people stop saying something stop people from getting hurt? That's the antithesis of the First Amendment. The reason that the First Amendment exists is so different groups can speak openly about each other. We don't live in an Islamic country. We don't live under uh, you know, a, a, an authoritarian rule by a left-wing communist. We're supposed to live in a free country where everybody's allowed to discuss ideas, no matter how rough it is, to then come to a conclusion and be real about it. So when you pass an anti-Semitism speech bill, that doesn't stop hate. That doesn't stop violence. That doesn't help my friends that are Jewish. These, these rules are not for the average Jew. They're for the wealthy and the elite ones that are paying off the politicians. It's like saying I'm anti-pharmetic if I say that Pfizer's paying off both sides of politics. Oh, Anomaly, you, you're anti-vaxxer. No, I'm not. What does that even mean? That's a, that's a made-up term to smear anybody who's against mandates and anybody who is critical of any pharma product. Oh, no, you're anti-pharmetic. No, I'm telling you the truth. 
Big Pharma pays off Democrats and Republicans to lobby politics. So do wealthy Jewish elites. That's just the truth. Some of them have different ideologies. And I'll get into some of the ideologies right now of the right-wing donors. Everybody knows George Soros on the left. I don't need to talk about him. Everybody's pretty familiar with him. But what a lot of people don't know is Sheldon Adelson. Rest in peace, by the way. He's passed away, and I'm sure he's a great guy. But Sheldon Adelson, if you see there, October 2020, gave $172 million to Republicans. $172 million. Why do you think somebody would pay that much money in politics? You think they're not gaining influence? Of course they are. Here's Times of Israel. Trump awards mega donor Miriam Adelson with a Presidential Medal of Freedom. You give us a couple hundred million dollars, we'll give you a medal, right? Why not? So now it's important. Let's be honest with ourselves. Sheldon Adelson, what does he believe? He's paying hundreds of millions of dollars to the GOP, right? This is why a lot of these you know, influencers that you guys like, they won't speak up because they don't want their checks to stop coming in. You, they don't actually think I'm hateful. They don't actually think I'm anti-Semitic or racist or bigoted. They know I'm not. I have dozens of Jewish friends, thousands of Jewish followers. I love the Jewish people. I love the people of Israel. God, God didn't make mistakes when he made human beings. I don't see one race this as is where we picked it up the first time. better than another one or more special than another one. I believe all of God's children have. You can let it wrap. <clears throat> all right. So he oh. presents a bunch of exhibits and evidence for his argument. And uh, that goes on for how long, LD? Another hour and a half. And that yeah, so I, the you know, previous he, video he brought many he, exhibits for his argument. He brought many more exhibits for his argument than I saw Ben Shapiro bring for his argument. Um, and it's up to the audience to check out that evidence and weigh it for themselves. I was just trying to, yeah, I was trying to look up a word, but uh, we'll go to, we'll go to Scott and uh, let's get your hot take on what you just heard. Are your ears burning because of so much anti-Semitism rolling across the airwaves? Or did you think maybe that was a balanced, somewhat of you know objective analysis of what seemed to be a very emotional situation that people had going on out there? Mute, oh, you muted. Uh, muted, muted. Yep, yep, yep. Sorry. Hey. Uh, so you know, yeah. I mean, it's it's the whole discussion is just like uh, it seems so interesting why all of this has just been thrust on the whole world at this time. Like, I don't know what's going on, but it's really interesting that this is in the forefront of all the discussions everywhere right now. And, uh, yeah, very, very interesting, you know? And, uh, you know, my, my, my take on a lot of this is just like, I think it's a weak position to blame your problems, my problems, a person's problems on a group of people. Like, I think that's just a weak position to take. You know what I mean? So, yeah, I, I think there's, yeah. uh, like Jocko calls it, Jocko willing calls it extreme ownership. Yeah. Right. So let's take uh, the the claimed white supremacy argument. Yeah. As I understand it, there's some white people out there and they claim to be supreme, but they're also oppressed by people who are lesser than them. Yeah. I don't know what to make of that. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So so I'm all about self-ownership and not being a victim in, in any way, shape or form. And so that's that's right. one of the things that irritates me across the board is like when people do fall into a victim mentality which is a fair criticism of a lot of things, you know, it's like, Oh, I, I'm, I'm not going to be able to do anything because I'm a victim. Right. So that's, that's, that's where I take issue with a lot of this stuff. And so stop being a victim on both sides and just like handle your business. So, yeah. What we've noticed over the past decade, especially is a lot of changing of definitions. And that is a topic called semantics. It is a branch of linguistics concerned with meaning. Uh, also, the meaning of a word, the phrase, sentence, or a piece of writing, like the Constitution. So you've seen like uh, 
definition of pandemic, definition of a case, definition of vaccination, all these words getting changed, right? While at the same time, in parallel to the semantics, it's identity politics. And you heard Jeff Steinberg uh, reference Herbert Marcuse. So there's a lot of history that you have to dig into to understand the nuance in any of these topics. But semantics was not the word I was trying to look up. I was going to say, a lot of these people that are just continuously changing definitions, they're very anti-semantic, right? Yes, they are. They're (laughs) anti-semantic. And that leads us to the next definition. Uh, I remember looking up, because I remember, I mean, 20 years ago, when I was much more naive and less well-read, I thought, you know, why is there still war in the Middle East? What's the peace problem? What's going on there? And I remember I looked up in the 1911 Encyclopedia Britannica, the last edition, that's the 11th edition before they made it for the common people. It was still the authority of the empire. And I went to the 1911, 11th edition Encyclopedia Britannica. I looked up a a Semite and it, uh, it said it was more than one group. It said it was actually both groups that were fighting were Semites. So I wanted to check tonight. This is the Oxford English Dictionary. Semite, right here. A member of a people speaking a Semitic language, in particular, the Jews and Arabs. Well, that's interesting. And then it has an origin from Greek, Shem, son of Noah in the Bible, from whom these people are traditionally descended. So both Arabs and Jews speak Semitic languages and can be considered Semites. And then Semitic a family of languages that includes Hebrew, Aramaic, and Arabic. So now in the context of hearing anti-Semitic for the past hour or half hour, are these people against Hebrew, Arabic, and Aramaic speaking? Like there's almost a redefinition of the word in a semantic term, or maybe these these things are anti-semantic and we shouldn't be talking about them. Interesting. Very interesting. What do you think, LD? You're a specialist in semantics. I like what you're laying out down there. Out there. <laughs> I mean, yeah. It's I'm just saying the maybe they, like, if, I, if I saw two groups of people and they're having trouble communicating, the first thing I would do is let's define our terms. And when you Absolutely. see that the definition of those terms are not how people are using those terms in popular culture, you can almost smell the situation like it's purposely misusing these terms to create artificial divisions. So there would be a civil war in a place that you don't need a civil war. We don't need no civil war. It smells like a uh, uh, mega mega trickle down bullshit. Is that the secret service code word for when Biden needs a new diaper? I don't know. The Let's check. Mega, mega trickle down. It's mega, mega trickle down. Mega, <laughs> that's, what mega I, trickle that's what I just said. <laughs> Tell the former vice president to go back to bed. It's 3 a.m. on the East Coast. He does not need to be listening to this podcast. And I cringe thinking of what room in the White House he's in right now. You know, I think a lot of the world's problems would be solved if they did listen to this dang podcast. You know what I'm saying? Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Or, or, or something. I mean, I, we gave the, we gave the solution tonight for corporate personhood and that ties into all these other areas, mm-hmm. right? Because a lot of these companies that yay is claiming are controlled by one group of people, they're corporate people with human beings at the helm. You change those human beings out. Let's just put people from Ukraine in all those positions. 
They run Hollywood. They run all this stuff. Let's just change it out. The system still says treat people lower than profit. Right? I'm all for profit. I'm all for capitalism. If capitalism was so bad, they wouldn't have had to corrupt it and make cartel capitalism. If the Constitution was so wrong, they wouldn't have had to corrupt it and make all these things outside of the Constitution, call it government, and use it to destroy this country. But from a British Empire perspective, do you know how many countries they've crushed over the past thousand years? They have a university that's, it has a, like a university is like a living thing. This place, Oxford. It's like a living thing. It's a thousand years old. It has a memory that goes back a thousand years. Do you know how many, you know, presidents they've undermined in that time? How many kings they've crushed around the world? How much booty they stole from the Mughal Empire? And there's a, there's a lot more to the picture than you could ever get from watching Walter Cronkite or mainstream. Like if you went through mainstream media and you read Foreign Affairs and Wall Street Journal, New York Times, Washington Post, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So you still wouldn't have a clue what's going on because you don't know how to look at the world and inspect it for yourself with your own five senses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's I mean, and so, you know, they don't teach us where to look for these things. You know, they, there's no way to like extract that information unless you're really tuned in or you get to know somebody, you get into a, like a research community or something like that. Like just that information alone has been so well hidden but in a way, it's not hidden because it's their writings, their publications. They put it out in a this brash way, knowing that we can't access that information regularly. So we have to be we have to be uh, in charge of our own education, in charge of our learning, and go and investigate these things for ourselves. You know, and uh, you know, again, just a great this this, this show just serves a great uh, great service to humanity by getting these this information out there and showing you where to look and showing you how to analyze these things and and like like the things that you and Tony talk about, like and like Tony's logic course like i didn't even know like there was like an actual formulaic approach to logic in general i didn't know that was like a course of study i didn't know that that was a thing until i came across you didn't get that in school no they didn't teach me any of that in school so it's like i had to relearn how to learn and and then this you know you guys have been a big part of that i didn't get it i didn't get it either in school and so um tony's recent courses the logic and the critical thinking course we did those 10 years ago but we did them for a first time learning them for ourselves and we had a study group in the tragedy and hope community and uh i couldn't believe like i had a college education and then i had to go out and because of my extracurricular experiences i had stuff to communicate and i was like what is the format by which you can communicate truth to people such they you know because they already they believe something that's not true and so trying to show them something that's true it's a lot harder dynamic and i'm like there must be some like rhetorical method you know you put the the why first and then the what and then the how some arrangement somebody had figured out you know one of these great thinkers cicero or you know aristotle somebody figured that out right and then to find out there is literally a method that you can use to learn anything and then you can apply that and then they, you can get the rhetorical rules that go with that but knowing the five w's plus how is like we know the five w's plus how who what where when why and how and those used to be six things that were answered in any type of journalism or article or anything you're supposed to take knowledge from you needed those six points otherwise you don't have the context of the story you don't know what happened you can't go verify the thing because you might not know the name the date the place etc right in the rules of logic and critical thinking, those five W's plus how are so much more illustrative of reality because each one of those questions falls back to the law of identification. It's the primary rule in logic 
And therefore, those questions are, what are the what is the identification of the time? What is the identification of the place? What is the identification of the person? What is the identification of the reason? What is the identification of the method? Identification. The primary thing about semantics when they change these definitions is they are altering the identification of our reality on such a primal level. I mean, it's like them going in and changing the coding in a program. Mm -hmm. And that's a callback to like uh, six hours ago on this show. Yeah. So there's, yeah, good. I was just going to say, it's like not only the the changing of the definitions, but then going in and uh, policing and p- patrolling, like what then we're allowed to say. Right. And then, and then, but, but that's just like a form of mind control. But if you, if you prevent people from saying certain things, you can control how they think and you can just on and on and on control how they behave. You know, you can formulate, uh, you know, just shape, shape things in the way you want to shape them just by policing and controlling language simply, you know? But the cool thing is nature seems to have like uh, mitigation built into it. For instance, when they start trying to do this stuff with the changing of the names and the semantic changes up pops a random obscure professor from university of Toronto named Jordan Peterson. And he says, uh, you know, you can't make that illegal. It's too late for me to do the Jordan Peterson impression, <laughs> but it's kind of like Kermit the Frog. You can't make that. You can't make that illegal. Something like that, right? <laughs> and now he rises to prominence for saying something obvious, like freedom of speech. Even though it's Canada under the Queen, you don't have freedom of speech. It's a concept of human rights that your soul's connected to your ability to speak freely. And when the laws are girded too tight, the uh, liberty becomes a syncope and passes out. Syncope passes out. So people push back against that because they know the dangers of taking away free speech. I did not call for Andrew Schultz to be banned because of what he said tonight. I don't think he should be censored. I think he should have all the free platform to say all the stupid shit he wants to. So we can know where to rank him on the, on the whole tree of great comedians of all time. You're down here, dude. Cause that was, that was cheap shots and you didn't do your research. I thought your special was funny a couple of weeks ago. We played it. But now I lost respect because you don't do your homework. And that might be a one-time thing, but I think it's tied to peer pressure and where the money comes from. Yeah. yeah we don't have yeah. ties like that on this show. Yeah. yeah when uh, in between Andrew Schultz, he's out there. He's too busy out there stealing jokes. That's what I heard. Yeah, oh, so I don't know. <laughs> yeah. and, his, and his little toady, Akash, just yeah, uh, laughs yeah. along with him. It doesn't really challenge him too much. Yeah. None. So speaking yeah. of Canada and featherweights, and- the featherweights that's what that show should be called speaking of canada and jokes i just wanted to uh throw in something if you'll uh humor me just for a few Take minutes off, eh? yeah yeah there's a so i don't know if you're aware but there's a there's a meme country in canada and I, do you remember a couple months back when canada enacted the emergencies act yes do you know what that was about no well I'd like to I'd like to help illuminate what that was about. Is it like a schoolhouse rock? You're gonna teach me? <laughs> well, I'm gonna let somebody else uh walk us through it here, but I think it's pretty fascinating. And thank God we're not in Canada. Um, but you know, it might get that bad here. We'll see. But uh yeah, this is a this is a video from um uh, Clyde do something. Um just yeah, the first few minutes, we'll, uh, we'll lay this out for you. Right on. 
Ladies and gents, welcome back. If I told you of a fictional country that spanned from Alaska to Florida, ignoring the coasts and just went on a diagonal line and had a president that was actually a goat figurine, you would probably think I was crazy. But if you were a parliamentarian, you would declare a state of emergency. Well, (laughs) of course, I'm referring to an individual in Canada named Jeremy McKenzie, the founder of a fake, fake fictional fun joke of a country diagonal which uh All right, pause for a second. became the reason now my my primary reference for canada is strange brew which features uh the two mckenzie brothers so <laughs> i don't know if the person who's doing this parliamentary bill has like a sense of humor or what but if you put a baby mouse in a jar and you keep feed it till it gets big, you can get free beer from Elsinore, which also has a sanitarium. All right, let's keep rolling. Reason Strange for brew. the Emergencies Act is under hot water now in Saskatchewan this morning. Reporting is real Andy Lee show here on Twitter way, saying the Saskatchewan this is from August. RCMP this has is issued from a the end of August arrest warrant. For Diagonal founder Jeremy McKenzie, Crown prosecutors are reviewing the case and will decide if the warrant will be extended to other provinces. This uh, from CBC News, of course, the most fair and balanced you'll see in the country. <laughs> Saskatchewan RCMP issue warrant for Nova Scotia man facing multiple ch- gun charges. Jeremy McKenzie, leader of an alleged. <laughs> they do this. White supremacist group already faces 13 gun charges in Nova Scotia. Now, why don't we get into a little bit of the history, and then we'll get back to the article of who Jeremy McKenzie is. He is a comedian on the internet, and he's also uh, an activist. He's a veteran uh, from Canada who served in Afghanistan. He was recently on Viva Fry's podcast to explain his story, but this little video actually sums it up best and i think uh, you'll get the point here if you don't know who this guy is already i got a story for you it's a true story the federal government has invoked the emergencies act diagonal 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 a far-right extremist group we're talking about a group that is organized driven by an extreme ideology a so-called accelerationist group formed by a former member of the canadian armed forces which aims to accelerate racial conflict to lead to the eventual creation of a white ethno state its stated purpose <laughs> is quote to incite a race war oh my God. dude <laughs> it's over it's fucking done <laughs> are talking about a meme to justify a state of emergency. <laughs> They're super country. D- dude, did we predict this on one of the old fucking streams? Remember diagonal country all the way to Al- and Alaska? Dude, you know, here it is all the way from Florida all the way up. Super diagonal country. The Justin Trudeau regime declared war on a pretend country that doesn't exist. The federal government has invoked the Emergencies Act. How much vitriol do we have to see of Hong Kong, which is an acronym for Hail Hitler? (laughs) (laughs) Jesus Christ. people like me so you can point and say that's a bad guy that's okay i'll be a bad guy for you 
I made this on my phone as a pretend flag for a pretend country that doesn't exist. Its vice president is a goat figurine named Philip who has an extremely hard time with narcotics. So I'm going to leave this in the description down below so you can share. All right. Get the idea. Uh, He trolled them. And it just goes to show, like, if there was real, real, real danger out there, they wouldn't have time to go after Diagalon memes. Right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I mean, all those times they were scaring us about Al-Qaeda and ISIS and all this stuff, they never touched any of the Davos, G8, 7, you know, all those types of things. You know, everything goes off without a hitch. It only happens at these convenient times when they have political agendas. I'm not saying it's all constructed or any of that type of stuff. I'm I'm a big fan of coincidence theory. I got stacks of them like kids have Pikachu cards and stuff. I got stacks of coincidences everywhere. I'm not saying they connect into anything. I do want to say after we just had to be subjected to the parliament believing in diagonal memes. <laughs> Here's the most useful thing I can do for you at 3.34 in the morning. Once upon a time. They had a circle and they're trying to figure out how do you get the size of this? They know how to do things like rectangle, stuff like this. I think, I don't know if it was uh, Aristotle, one of those smart dudes. They said, like, make it like a pizza pie or like trivial pursuit in the future. And they said, oh, we know what you're talking about. And then he said, rearrange these pieces and you get like this parallelogram and you got the curves here. And then you could just drop this triangle here, use Pythagorean theorem, and then you could find the size in a circle within an approximation. And then over years and years and years, they were able to make the pie pieces smaller and get to closer approximations. And then they discovered somebody else had already figured out pie. And then later the Italians invented pizza pie, all based on there. That's more real than diagonal. Take it to the bank. Yeah, there cash, you go. Cash that That's in. It. That's it. <laughs> Sounds that sounds realistic. Totally. Totally. Well, you know, they're all about their emergency statuses. I mean, especially now that like the the COVID shots are put on the childhood vaccine schedule, the emergency use authorized shots by that matter. So now we just need this indefinite emergency forever and then it'd be totally fine. Right. I've always been confused about like the, the Pfizer shot, for example, has to be kept at like negative minus, you know, minus 80 degrees, like super nah, cold nah, right yeah. now. If at any point during its production to it gets to your arm, it's not kept that cold. It has spoiled. It's not It's not effective. How do they track that? How do they know that? How do you know what's going into your body has actually been uh, maintained properly and it's going to be effective? Is it just trial and error? They find out later. Luck of the draw. No, kind of. Yeah. Spin the Pfizer roulette wheel. Yeah. Russian roulette, man. Pfizer roulette. That's loaded it. up with syringes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. LD, what wow. other big what other big stories that we have on a show card that we need to get into this time capsule of an episode so we can let Scott hit the sack? <laughs> um, yeah, we talked about Alex Jones. We talked about a bit about COVID. I mean, there was some uh, new Boston virus video. Doctor John Campbell, you'd thrown in the the playlist, and uh, Tim Cass covering that. Boston lab creates new COVID strain with 80% kill rate and five times infection rate. Wow. That's impressive. Let's um, play uh, eight minutes of Tim's coverage of that. Cause I don't want to go to Coleman. He's too long winded, but Tim does a fair coverage of that. And that way we get it into the time capsule that there's some crazy fuckers here right now after two years of pandemic 
they're making it they're, they're like let's take the thing that spreads real hot and let's take the thing that and kills people and let's put them together so it would kill people and spread really fast 80 percent kill rate i think the first one was 100 percent kill rate but they're like let's try it again that's that's too much they got to leave some people or i don't know what they're thinking is again it's like uh 12 monkeys the dual research dual use research always coming up with brilliant stuff that's what the nazis called it every time they want to say dual use or it's not gain of function or we got you know we're we're testing getting real-time data that's what the nazis said right isn't that what uh unit 431 over in japan was doing when they're freezing dudes arms and liquid nitrogen and chop like hitting it with a hammer to smash the arm into smithereens we're just getting real-time data Maybe some greater good in there, sort of, maybe. There's a certain apartheid situation going on in this world. They might be getting some real-time data over there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Totally. So what do you got, Al? Yeah, I got it. Here we go. I feel like with a story like this, you could either laugh or cry. Oh, God. This is from the Daily Mail. This is playing with fire. It could spark a lab-generated pandemic. How about that? Experts slam Boston lab where scientists have created a new deadly COVID string with an 80% kill rate. Why? Great. Why are they making this? So here's what they did. Actually simple. So the Omicron strain mutated over a long period of time. COVID goes out. COVID kills a lot of people. The alpha strain was very deadly. Over time, it was getting more infectious, but weaker. That's how viruses tend to go. The Omicron strain was very infectious, but not as deadly. That makes sense. If something's too deadly, people die before they can spread the disease. Mm -hmm. So these researchers took the spike protein from Omicron and put it on the alpha strain, which is more deadly, creating an extremely infectious and deadly virus, which killed eight in 10 of the rodents infected. Oh my God. Why? Wow. Why did they make this? Uh, it's a little Christmas present. Yeah. <laughs> why, why, why was, you know, Peter Daszak of uh, Echo Health Alliance doing similar projects back before, of course, the larger COVID pandemic that happened when he was exactly looking at bats and coronaviruses in the Wuhan Level 3 Institute of Virology uh, that, of course, had poor security protocols, according to many even State Department protocols and documents that came out there. Why did they do this? And the question is, they're doing this on even bigger levels than we could even imagine. And the argument here, the, the basic argument that they're making is we need to do this in order so we find a solution for it in the future. Number one, a lot of scientists argue that the probability of something like this happening naturally is virtually almost impossible. But but two, why are you trying to make this current strain that much worse when you couldn't even figure out the original strain? Right. There is no solution. There is no medical solution towards the original strain. So why are you studying? Why you, are, are you wasting so much time looking at some hypothetical when you can't even figure out the original problem? So, so that's something that needs to be understood here, as well as the fact that, again, Peter Daszak is continuing to do the same experiments in other countries. We know about this because it's it's Boston University. But what about the studies in Laos? What about the studies in Myanmar? What about the studies going on right now in Vietnam that we don't know anything about? That Echo Health Alliance, by the way, was 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 subpoenaed, was told by the U.S. government, hey, you got to send us your notes about what you guys were doing with the coronavirus in, in Wuhan. EcoHealth Alliance, even though they were financed by the U.S. government, by Dr. Fauci, said, no, we're just not going to give you any of the notes. They're not being transparent and they're being rewarded with more grants that were just issued a couple weeks ago, continuing to make viruses as lethal as they can. Why are they doing this? A lot of people speculate bioweapons. So, and, and, and this could be one reason why Bill Gates came out a few months ago and said the second pandemic is going to be a lot deadlier. He said that very promisingly. And 
who in the world what's, knows what they're up happily, to? Happily, probably. What's that saying? We spend so much time wondering if we could do it. We never asked ourselves if we should do it. Yeah. Something yeah. like that. Yeah, yep. that's mm-hmm. I, I, I'm like reading this story where they're talking about taking this protein and making, you know, the, so, so the Omicron strain infected mice. The mice did not die. They then created like the Omicron S strain or whatever they're calling it. And it killed eight out of 10. And they were like, oh, look, we did it. We made something that can kill mice. It's like, uh, you know, I, I look at that and I'm like, yeah, you could have injected them with bleach. That would have killed them, too. Right. Like, right. obviously, this like you make a deadly virus, it will kill them. I just I don't trust them. We had a conversation with Drew Miller, who has a Ph.D. in, you know, nuclear wartime battlefield stuff or whatever. And he was saying he was talking about how we have no bio labs in the United States. Like, the United States does not operate bioweapons labs. And I'm like, it's just semantics. If U.S. laboratories are making extremely deadly viruses that they're extremely infectious and extremely lethal, and you argue they're not weapons because we don't use them for that. And I'm like, so, so, okay. So the, so the question is, if I have a factory that makes explosives, but we, we use it for mining operations, we're not making weapons. Then someone comes in, buys, buys the company and then sells them for war did we make weapons or not right so like a knife company we 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 make you know uh fancy knives for culinary purposes and then someone buys them and goes and fights with them did the company manufacture weapons the answer is yes Mm -hmm. they manufacture weapons was it their intent no but it doesn't matter so we're seeing this and i'm like hey that is a bioweapon now call it whatever you want say whatever you want about it if you make a nuclear bomb and say we just want to see if it would explode I'll bet, yeah, okay, well, you're making nuclear weapons. Yeah. Right. What's, there, there's no, it's, it, you know what, man? And I can even make the argument, knives, culinary knives have a purpose. You, you can cut your steak, you know? How, how are you going to do? You got to, you want to eat dinner? You got to, this virus has no purpose. It's literal, the only mm-hmm. purpose is killing people. So, right. yeah. Anyway. Well, these researchers who I would assume know the coronavirus better than anyone on earth have looked at it more than anyone, obviously. Have they said anything in the report about, yes, this was definitely man made in a lab? Or they forbidden from saying that. Do they know a lot about this virus? Since again, the official yeah. story is we don't even know exactly where it came from. Yeah, we don't have an origin. We don't have a patient zero. We don't have any of that. Well, someone knows. Someone, of course, knows. But there's been a large cover-up effort. Echo Health Alliance yeah. doesn't want to share their notes about what they were even doing with U.S. Well, grant well, money well, from Dr. I, Fauci I, in 2020. Right. I thought it was uh, someone ate bat soup a block away from the Wuhan right. virology lab. Yeah, Impossible. Yeah, but then the bat fucked a pangolin first, and that's how it came. Yeah, there's also a pangolin right. involved. <laughs> Here. Yeah. I think that was an episode of South Park yeah. as well. Right. Yeah. Uh, but, but again, no but official story. Too. Yeah, and ever yeah. since ever since COVID, there has been there have been forty new biological labs that have been started up, doing extremely dangerous testing, mixing in viruses. And again, there, there's no perfect security at these places. Like we have to understand, it, it takes one small mistake, it takes one hole, one puncture, one is mistake, one intern. And that virus spreads everywhere. So where is the all these worthless international organizations we have? Where is the international effort and treaty against proliferating oh, this it, sort of research? It, 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 game of function. We have it all with nuclear weapons. Where is this going well, on? Well, bioweapons are apparently banned under treaties. And that's what we were talking about last yeah. week. And so it's like, we're not making weapons. We're just making extremely deadly viruses right. that serve no purpose other than killing. Yeah. Ahead, right. Yeah. So, so, yeah. <laughs> He's right. They're making extremely deadly weapons with no purpose except for killing. And when Luke says there's no reason to create these things, I would offer blackmail, extortion, total world domination. There's a lot of things on the table. And I don't want to be anti-semantic, 
But uh, the bioweapons treaty, I mean, Francis Boyle has gone out and talked about it. He wrote that the the 1989 anti uh, the biological anti-terrorism act right and he wrote that and then he came out at the beginning of this whole pandemic situation and said this has all the hallmarks of a bioterrorism attack and then Fauci's like no it's not gain of function we use chimeras what's a chimera oh it's what we do gain of function and splice these two things together and make it more potent but we call it chimeras now or he called it the the S3, or they came up with some new acronym. Again, a change in semantics all along the way. Every time Rand Paul tried to nail him down, oh, Mr. Paul, you don't know what you're talking about. We have, we have the PPP, we got the P3C, you know, and uh, it's gain of function, bro. Gain of function. You know what? The Nazis tried the same thing. They said all sorts of Nazi terms, and we call it this. And the people were like, no, you'll be uh, hung at the gallows because we know you killed people and you didn't give them informed consent and you experimented on them. Have we learned nothing in the past 80 years? No, apparently not. Apparently not. And, and since when did they like, wasn't there the whole controversy like with Chapel Hill where they like actually had to no longer do these types of experimentation in the United States? Well, it's Ralph Barrick you're talking to. He's the yeah. creator of the no seem technique so they can do the gain of function and not leave a signature. Is, yeah, there you know, go. stuff like and that. And then he's so. working with the Bat Lady and Eco Health and th all the things that Radowski just said in the Timcast. We didn't, we said in the first. 10 episodes of this podcast two years ago. All that stuff is not news. And it's a shame that more people don't understand that. I'm glad Luke's out there reiterating what's going on because EcoHealth is still getting grants. And Alex Berenson from the New York Times, who got censored by Twitter because the White House said censor this guy, he just discovered, he's like, oh, EcoHealth is still getting money. It's like, bro, we've been posting for years. EcoHealth at the beginning of the pandemic had contracts out to 2024. So they, now they got it out to 2025. Big surprise. But it's still going on. Nobody's shutting it down. There's no UN. There's no Greenpeace. There's no Amnesty. There's none of those organizations are trying to stop what's actually going on. And it's podcasts like this and a few others that have actually been calling it out and trying to help people to get to a point where they can make an informed decision about who's ruling their government right now. It ain't uh, Joe Biden. Looks more like Fauci, Francis Collins, Bill Gates, and everyone above them who had top-down orders to precipitate this situation as a global pandemic in the first fucking place. Mm -hmm. yeah, and you can't be having, you can't have a state of emergency involving a, a global pandemic and be developing an 80% a virus with an 80% kill rate at the same time. Like, like you can have one or the other, can't have both. Like, but, what, but what do I know? We're just guys who have a podcast with uh, yeah. a thousand percent more people than CNN and plus. Exactly. Exactly. I'll take that any day. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, um, LD, we're going to move to start wrapping this up. So go ahead and find out who, aside from our great Grand Theft World members, have uh, supported the endeavor this evening as I, right. as I enter into my 49th year. Yes. Happy birthday, sir. That's awesome, man. It's a well, pleasure to celebrate with you doing this. I appreciate uh, having birthday time with you guys, too. Scott has uh, been with me since noon today. Because he's right. an auto he's on autonomy season eight. He's yeah. been getting the lectures. He's been doing the Q and A. So he went through like a three hour Q and A this afternoon. Then he's so back I. for some podcast tonight. Yeah, LD did too. So yeah. now, uh, you know, LD already knew what my work day was like, but now you do too, Scott. And you're like, yep. oh, it's very late. impressive. Yeah, it's pretty intense. It's awesome. You know, inspiring too. So there you go. 
Yeah, it's good growth. Good growth. Mm-hmm. Good opportunity for you. Thank you for sitting in second chair tonight. Yeah. I'm glad to give Tony a night off so he can have some rest and relaxation and uh, be away from the hustle and bustle of all this seemingly negative news. But like, I think the negative part is not understanding or seeing what's going on and only given like you can't deal with what's going on if they're not letting you look at reality. So part of this show is preserving those parts of reality that they very much find inconvenient to their narrative, that they're lying to people as they go forward. So the more of this stuff we can preserve and time capsule it and people in the future can say, hey, people in the past were realizing this too, right? And hopefully by the time they inherit this information, um, there's a lot less corruption in the world. And maybe they have trouble believing that we went through a time where everything was so ludicrous and corrupt. And this podcast can help illustrate that too. But uh, for everyday people just going through life real time, one like if you watch Grand Theft World an hour a day, you got a better idea of what happened last week than you could ever get happening from this week from watching the news. Yeah, so it's better 100%. to be yeah, it's better to be one week behind in your news, but understand it clearly than to be subject to all the disinformation and chaotic conflicting organization uh, uh, inf- of information without having a way to resolve those contradictions during a week. Yeah. And, and one of the, one of the problems with this, with being here with you guys tonight is that like, um, you know, I listen to headphones and listen to podcasts while I'm on the job. And so usually at least one of my full days at work is used up by listening to Grand Theft World, but now I got to find something else to listen to one of these days this week. Uh, <laughs> well, we got, we have, we got plenty more where, the, where yeah. this comes from. There's just, yeah. There's uh, more coming. No, I'm just saying, yeah, yeah, this week, I already know what happens in this episode. So there you yeah, go. there you go. Spoiler <laughs> alert. You can look for, uh, you can look for the, uh, Liberty, Liberty Radio show coming out, out tomorrow. Out. I had yeah, the pleasure of joining uh, James for an interview yeah, this week, James. and uh, that was a lot of fun. Shout Heck out yeah. to James. Thanks for the invite. It's awesome. James Jordan is just one of the many down in Mexico, so uh, say hey to all the Mexico people. They're, they're, hey. they're still awake. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so uh, LD, who do we have to thank for tonight's right. festivities? Let me load up this list. And uh, if you haven't been to GrandTheftWorld.com, go there now. Check it out. Join the community. You can choose your level of support and get access to the Discord, get access to a vast library of Richard's work on our own platform. And... Um, Get access to the Zoom call, which is uh, you know Zoom webinar. It's one of the preferred ways of viewing the live show these days. So we hope to see you in there. Um, it's a it's a great community, and lots of great people contributing and doing their own thing and, and just uh, helping and support each other. Will you scroll other. down Keep- the front page because we oh, always yeah. you know, people think GrandTheftWorld.com is just the podcast, but we actually have daily news. It's auto uh, fed in there, so you see a whole bunch of latest stories. Uh, and, uh, we also have books. We got, we got a new book section up there. Oh yeah. So if you want to see recommended yet. reading for the month, I know I just thought of this as you were like scrolling around the page, it's full books. It's at the top in the menu. Okay. Yeah. If you're looking Boom. for it, it's in the top menu books, Sweet. book of the month. Look at that. Looks like something we heard about last week mm-hmm. and the week before. You got some clips there. Ooh, top a bunch of other books, books to read. Lots Excellent. of books with union jacks on the cover. That's pretty cool. I can think of a couple more we could put on there. Make it a tr- make it a theme. All right, fantastic. Yeah, there's a lot of perks to the Grand Theft World community. 
There's various levels you could subscribe to. There's a lot of behind the scenes content. The town hall in and of itself is a, it's like a podcast you could participate in. So it's a spirited conversation. It usually goes on for four or five hours on two, every other Tuesday of the month. And that's where members get to uh, interact with each other as uh, in addition to all the other facilities and uh, benefits that come with that membership. So yeah, if you haven't already and you want to support the show, go ahead, check it out. And um, then as well, Rebunked. Where's your Where's your uh, website at, Scott? Uh well, thank you. Yeah, it's uh, rebunked.news is the website. You can find all the links to the show there. Probably, yeah. So, and you do it. Yeah, and how often do you do a show? Uh, you know, it's not really set. I do like I've, I've been averaging like two or three a week usually. You know, it's like whenever like sometimes there'll be weeks where I just get like five. You know what I mean? And some days, I'll, some weeks I'll do like one. You know what I mean? It just depends on who I get, what I'm booking. You know what What's going on and but uh, I try to stay pretty active, so so yeah. Go ahead and subscribe, and there's all we. I just had David Ike on; that was fantastic. That was super cool. Um, yeah, it's been it's been quite the journey. So, yeah. awesome. Yeah. And thank you for the hookup over on Band Video. Do you want to drop yeah. that story? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So okay, oh, yeah. so yeah, yeah, yeah. So I uh, went down to Austin for the Infowars Summerfest, right? And uh, I was hanging out with a couple folks. Uh, Matt Baker from San Diego. I'm sure you guys would recognize him. He's the, the dread, dreadlock guy that was like screaming at the San Diego city council meeting. You know, the guy was like, <sighs> into the microphone. This is like 2020. Anyway, like him and I have been getting to know each other. Like I've had him on my show a couple of times and I call him like, Matt, we're going to, we're going to Austin, dude. Cause I know he's a big InfoWars fan. He's like, no man, I can't, I can't. I'm like, dude, I don't care. No excuses. We're going to Austin. He's like, all right. So we ended up meeting there. We like split a hotel room and a rental car. So we were like, you know, balling down there. And uh, I, I got to be like the designated driver the whole time. So I was driving around and like we were partying with uh, with uh, Frank Cavanaugh, who's the former bass player of the band Filter. You might remember them from like the 90s. And uh, and Rob was kicking, Rob Dew from InfoWars was kicking with us, kicking with us a little bit. Um, he gave us like a full access, like late night tour of the InfoWars studio. Uh, that was pretty awesome. And then the next day, we ended up uh, <clears throat> going to Rob, like Rob Dew invited us over to his house. And uh, we were like, like he gave us a tour of the property, went swimming in his pool. And while I was there, I was just like, Rob, man, like all these content creators you guys have on your platform, like you gotta get Grand Theft World on there. Like, I'm not even joking, man. And so like, like that's what, that's how I chose to use my time with him. Like while we we're ch- chilling there at the house, I was just like, man, you gotta get these guys on. He's like, all right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Put Richard in touch. So I gave He's like, give Richard my email. I'm like, all right, there you go. So that was that. And it was cool, man. Then the next day we went back down to the studio while they were recording and Matt Baker and Frank got to go on the uh, Harrison show in the morning there. And I was just kind of hanging back watching. And they were just saying like, you know, don't expect to meet Alex. Like, just don't even like really expect meeting him. Like, he usually just comes in, goes right to his office, does what he needs to do. You know, so, and if you do run into him, just kind of give him space. Like, don't, uh, don't, don't like, you know, go up to him or anything. And, I was in the green room sitting there and I hear in the hallway, Matt Baker, he's like, Alex, Alex, you got time for a hug? And I peek around the corner. I'm like, Oh, there he is. And like, uh, gave up, gave Matt Baker a big hug. And he saw me stand there and he, and he just came up shook my hand and we're just like, all right, nice to meet you. And, uh, he, he, he didn't end up coming to the picnic. Um, we were like, uh, we were saying like, Oh man, we met, we missed you at the picnic. He's like, yeah, I've been working seven days a week. They're trying to take us off the air, but ain't gonna let them. We're like, all right, Alex. And he's like, all right. And turned around and went back to his office. And that was that. So, but 
It was now cool, we, man. It was a really, really cool, overwhelming experience. It was really when cool. When you say green room, do you mean when you come in the doors, that conference room around to the right with the mm, whiteboard? Well, so this was like if you're coming in the back, uh, right. there's like the back through the par- back parking lot. You go to the left. There's like the room that they had set up for like guests to sit in and wait until they got, you know, called on to there. So. All right, because they were still building out the the Alex studio with the the whole video wall. They were just mm-hmm. finishing that when I was there in like 2013. Yeah. And um, so they had us, my green room was this conference room with the whiteboard. And at one point mm. I did this presentation for the dudes and then Alex walked in and then he had me redo it. He's like, we got to film that, you know? Yeah. And, um, but when I first heard him, I was in that break coffee room and I was making a cup of coffee. And I heard him down the hallway and it was like hearing a dragon, like you're in the cave and you, you're in the lair and, you, you know, and I heard it and I was like, Oh shit. And uh, yeah, he's a really nice guy. And I, yeah, I really liked everyone who worked down there. I felt that the people working yes. there were yep. good, genuine. Like I was trying to, cause everyone's like, Oh, he's controlled by the Rockefellers. He's controlled opposition. Yeah. I looked for any evidence the whole time I was there. Yep. And all I saw was like, Oh, this looks like a legit startup. Yeah, like it has just the right about chaos and not too much organization. It doesn't seem like anyone outside. Like at that point, Alex never saw email. He didn't take phone calls. All he did was text back and forth with do as far as like his whole daily act. So everything you just described was like pretty much how it was back then. Yeah, and it's same same way. Like it just you could tell that just the way you described it, like just disorganized enough to seem like you know they got something together, but still it's like and just everywhere you look, like every square inch of everything is just like the a piece of just awesome like memorabilia or some collectible or something just awesome everywhere dude it was just like it was a trip they had a brian stelter puppet and i don't know if you guys know but rob dude's quite the puppeteer and uh like he gave us like this whole like like puppet show with with the brian stelter doll that should be that should have been a show we were dying like we were all laughing and we were like like trying to like record it but they're like they're like you know you can't take pictures here yeah and if you do take a picture you have to take a screenshot of the picture because there's no, because then that doesn't save the geolocation data for some reason. So, oh, like, you know, so we did take pictures, but then we had to take screenshots of the pictures. You know what I mean? That's and good so, that you like, say that because I do have, like, they didn't have that rule back then. So I have a bunch of footage and pictures from in there. And who knows know. if it was the same type of metadata, you know, like location. Back but I'll then screen capture now, but, before yeah, I share. Yeah. So, but anyway, but yeah, dude, it was, uh, it was pretty, pretty, pretty wild. <laughs> Yeah, right on. All right. Yeah. So thank you so much for helping us thank to get you. on band video. Yeah, my um, we get more we get more views like in a couple hours on a Saturday than we yeah. do all week other platforms. So Whitney yeah. Webb's clip up there has like twelve thousand views. It would awesome. languish these other places, and I need that information to get out there. Uh, yeah. uh, one of the deep dives we did a couple weeks ago again had over ten thousand views in just a couple hours because there's eyeballs there. Mm during the week on band yeah. video. They're not just watching AJ or Owen or Harrison. They're watching the other content creators. And it, it's, it's an interesting phenomenon that went on over there because if he hadn't got banned from YouTube and all these places, there'd be no band video. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, yeah that's another part of the Streisand effect. They'll figure it out later. Yeah. 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 It's pretty awesome. All right, LD who's our super list for the evening. All right. Well, I got to reload the list. Because Reloaded, we, yep. we got some some last minute submissions, and you might have uh, to take it. Yeah. Oh well, we we'll see. It might happen. <laughs> and uh, just a quick note: if you go to grandtheftworld.com slash sign dash up, and you want to sign up, we now have an option. It's not just PayPal; you can put in a card. So thank you. 
Oh yeah, it's one of the things for I fixed this week. Taking yeah. care of that. I heard and the natives were getting restless with that, so I was like, I want to fix that. I'm just going to put this up in the background. I got to go to a harvest party last night, and there's nothing nice. like a party with endless raw milk. Wow, that's cool. <laughs> all right. Huge thanks to all the Grand Theft World community members, and a big thanks, a very big thanks to our Rockfin tippers this evening. With cannabis, $5. It's a Grand Theft World that they rolling out. Got the Grove model out, tracing Rockefeller dollars straight to Klaus. SEC connections are hard to doubt, but most go the common route, walking with their head in a shroud. Thank you, Daniel. Former Thank VP you, Daniel. Biden was listening in. Again, $5. Merrill Nass, MD, official hearings on chd.tv are great. The main- Children's Health Defense. Mm. That's uh, Bobby Kennedy Jr.'s. Mm-hmm. The, main, the main medical board tried to cancel an anthrax expert for misinfo, and now she's proving every element of her misinfo claim up in the face of the board. Viva la GTW. Thank you, Mr. Former VP Biden. I'll take back all the... Well, <laughs> See, every now and then, the former vice president <laughs> says something I respect and I'm thankful for. <laughs> Nautilus, $20. I like GTW, but Richard needs to announce when he's changing registers for learning purposes. <laughs> I guess. THX 1138 5 $5. Keep up the great work. TCAN, $5. Thanks, GTW. I'm going to have to watch this one again. Incredible. Shane Thurio, $5. Another great show, guys. Even Sans Tony. That's French for without Tony. Um, but <laughs> but we miss Tony and he'll be back. Yeah, he'll be. Shout back. out to Tony, man! Thanks for letting me sit in for you, dude. Matt Green, ten dollars. Happy birthday, Rich! I love the ultimate history lesson. Five dollars. The ultimate me. history lesson loves you too. It does. It it will love you back. Yeah. Nick Hayes, five dollars. It'll love you. Dare I say, a long time. <laughs> Indeed. Nick Hayes, $5, another awesome episode with tales spun and wove the ideal way to celebrate the birthday of the Grove. Leading the way with excellence, upbeat and entertaining forensic assessment of evidence to keep the knowledge reigning. Richard's crew on Grand Theft World, preserving cognitive freedom. Let's grab the torch and do our bit and buy some books and read them. And shit. Nice. All right. Oh, yeah. yeah. See, uh, autonomy graduates are just showing off in super chat, writing poetry to one up each other. It's like an Eminem rap battle with modern day liberty poetry, and we should make it like into its own segment. Keep rolling with it. What else you got? All right. All right. A Ram fifty. No. Wait. 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 Yeah. No. A Ram fifty dollars. Thank you so much. Dallas Avad five dollars. You don't even have to think about it, dude. Just take it, take it. Oh man! Oh, you got to play him some you don't sound have to Think about it, dude. Take it. <laughs> Excellent. It's like it's like a no agenda around here. Man. It's starting to turn into yeah. something kind of like that, and we've got some crossover. We have some no agenda people in the autonomy community. Yeah. Thank you so, all for your courage. Very much. Thank you for your courage, ITM. And we have no agenda, but we are in control. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Gerardo Tappen, $100. Happy birthday, Richard Grove. Hello to Justin in the RV. You're going to meet all your goals. Thanks for not being an a-hole. Stay swole. You have a good soul. Continue using your parhesia. I wish a great year to you and Lisa. Very nice. Thanks, Jerry. Wow. 
And uh, last one, Zach, $2 maximum offense message to those who are offended. He threw in a bunch of emojis. Yes, you. Uh, yes, you are. I have two words for you where I am. Thanks, GW. Great plan to hold executions of the unholy psychopath corporations. I know many who would join. It's them and and or the Fed that needs to be removed for any hope. Uh, oh, that's Lord Lord of Algonquin. Thank you, Zach. And uh, a happy birthday from from Dallas Avad. Thank he says, Richard. Thanks for all you are. Well, thank you all for uh, being here while I was being all I am, or something to that effect. <laughs> <laughs> it's a pleasure and a privilege. Yeah. Well, I mean, Richard, thank you so much for having me on, LD. You just did a great job, man. As always, um, just uh, this is definitely one of the highlights of my little podcasting career. So. Really appreciate you guys having me on, and uh, yeah, really cool. Well, here's to you moving on up, Scotty. There you go. Thank you, guys. <laughs> thank you for sitting in. LD, thank you for holding it down tonight. And yes, uh, it lets Tony know that we can be semi-autonomous when he wants to take vacation and do stuff like that so he doesn't feel tied down, and that's a, that's a win-win for everybody. And uh, check out Benny Wells's Parhesia course. Check out Tony Myers' Logic course, his Critical Thinking course. You can do that over at the Autonomy Agora. I think it's Marketplace dot autonomy agora.com that's right it's not a big deal you'll catch it next time if you miss the url ld's got it on screen now <clears throat> we didn't plan this but do we have something to play us out that's the we next do. way that's i was planning the egress from the show and i was like we don't have something to play us out we do i think it's going to tie right back to the the show title and wow. uh i love callbacks quality yeah. things i want to say Stop. one of the things i want to say too backy is like, back we didn't get to it. We didn't get to it, but it was po you guys posted it, and I wasn't even aware of this. And it was the uh, the what the heck is that? It's the Alex Jones interview. He went on that show. What was that guy? <laughs> oh, that guy trip. was yeah. Uh, what is it? Yeah, uh, pin trip. Pin yeah. trip. Okay, so it's on YouTube. Pin trip. I watched that today, dude. I was dying, dude. It's so hilarious. All right, and, like, so Alex's we, wife is on there, and yeah. like she's awesome. <laughs> Show me your guns. Show me your like, guns. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Dude, the whole thing is just like it's hilarious. And then the funniest yeah. thing is, so we can we can play the first part of that to play us out. So yeah, yeah, I watched that interview, and I was like, "How? The, who's this guy? How do you get this interview?" Yeah, you find out that Alex's wife is a fan of his, and like then my question is, why is she a fan of yours? And then he kept playing these clips, and I'm like, I've seen these clips, but I don't know why you're playing these clips. And then I'm like, oh, this is the guy who makes those clips. Now, mm -hmm. here's the brilliant thing about these clips. He is an artist that it's like people can't recognize the art because it's like he takes things with a solid background, basically. And then you can interchange what people actually said to make them say different things. And he does it to show the power of editing and what these news companies do for a living. He does it for entertainment, for shits and giggles. Now, if it was you, you haven't seen this before because... In movies, there's a different background all the time. So you would know visually that this is all cut together and chopped. But when there's a Joe Rogan podcast and he can say, oh, I want Alex's surprise look. I want Alex's, uh, you know, arrogant look. And then and Joe looking like this. And then he can write a script and then find those shots and then cut them together. He also has like the transcription and he finds these pieces. And he's like, if I cut this piece with this piece. So it's, it's art. It's mm -hmm. it's on a new level. <laughs> it's pretty funny. Um but from a cinematography perspective, he was overexposed and the shutter rate on that camera shows the flicker of the light behind him. They could have adjusted mm. that. Otherwise, really good questions. Alex provided great comments. Oh, yeah. 
So let's play uh, however much of it you want to, LD. But let's go ahead. Thank you all for tuning in and not dropping out. Here's an Alex Jones interview where he's the bad man to play us out. We might have to play it till he shows Alex, the, the YouTube. How are you doing, man? Oh, You're with a bad guy right now. You want to just punch me in the face? No. Oh! 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 <laughs> Alex Jones is the bad guy. Why didn't you give a quadrillion? Why didn't you give a quadrillion? Why? Because you hate the families and the children. That's a good point. That jury hated those families yeah. and cheated them. Oh. Oh. Why did you not give them trillions? Honey, do you like Tulsi Gabbards? Oh, of course. So Tulsi, my wife's hot. She wants to have a threesome with you. Maybe show them your guns. <laughs> let's just, let's just, let's, yeah, let's, let's get oh, some my. high ratings here. Yeah, that, that's okay. some. Later, come up the end. She's taking it off, folks. She, she's, she's got more guns. No, sir, she's taking it off. <laughs> We're going to have an X-rated at the end. <laughs> it's going to boost your ratings. Really good. Here. Go ahead and show them your guns. Look at that. Yeah, that's a, I got to start doing yoga. All right, go ahead and pause it for a second. Alex, I got to provide some context. What that guy did was take what Alex says later in the show, cuts it up to be a little bit funnier and spicier than it, it is later because it's more drawn out. So that's actually a microcosm of his editing style that I didn't know until I watched the whole thing and then looked him up and watched some of his other stuff. But with that wisdom and experience, I can offer to you, the layman, on this topic that was a little sample of what he does and now uh it's up to ld how much of that we want to play it is pretty good but i will also offer this it was published two days prior to the trillion dollar mm. 2.75 trillion dollar bloomberg article and just because it was published two days before i'm guessing it was shot probably five days before that in order for the edit to get out on two days before that other announcement so when alex is like they should have gone for quadrillion I don't think he knew yet that it was 2.75 billion or trillion. Lots of zeros in that. All right, LD, let it roll. Thank you guys for hanging in there. And uh, it's been a wonderful show. We'll see you next week. Later, guys. How are you doing, man? I'm good. I'm a big fan. So is my wife. So yeah, yeah. Been following your stuff for four or five years. Love your work. You've brought us a lot of joy. Yeah. Well, I tried, man. No, Joe Rogan's a big fan, too. I don't know. Sometimes I wonder. He's told me he's a fan. But you're doing good because I know. Some crazy shit going on. I'm doing on. great. I'm a billion dollar man. <laughs> uh, many people have a negative billion dollars. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, Oxycontin killed tens of thousands of people on record knowingly. They got a $600 million judgment. And then a judge in Connecticut and Texas found me guilty, told the jury I was guilty. I couldn't defend myself. They told the jury I sent a man to pee on someone's grave. They don't have evidence the man peed on it. They don't have evidence I sent him. I don't know anything about it. But it's my fault. Everything that ever happens. The Sandy Hook families, the judge ruled it's my fault. So they sat there for five weeks telling them that I did all these horrible things with no evidence. Yeah. Uh, and then they said billion dollars. And then the media spun it and said, Jones, during the verdict, said he'll never pay it. Yeah. I don't have, with all my assets, liquid cash, more than $2 million. Uh, we have enough money to pay the payroll around this place mm -hmm. here. So it's kind of a joke when it's like saying you have two gallons of blood in your body or three gallons, whatever it is. Okay. They want 10,000 gallons. Yeah. So like, we want 10,000 gallons of blood. And you're like, well, I only have two gallons. And like, well, look at you again, hurting these poor people that only made $73 million off Remington. Remington sold the gun legally through a gun shop to his mother, Adam Lanza, you know, the guy that killed the kids. Yeah. And uh, we all, we don't know his name. We all know Alex Jones's name. 
So it was a very successful media operation because I barely ever covered it previously. Yeah. And then once Hillary ran against Trump on it the last month, it made me into this big guy. And then that's where it's basically gone from there. So it's a study in psyops. How do you counter a populist that's very successful rallying the people against the global takeover? You take something I said out of context, blow it up to a mountain, and then never stop hammering it, and then have a jury uh, told that somebody's already guilty, okay. the judge has found you guilty. Yeah, that was and then, weird. And then, and then find them a billion dollars. So I, I heard that it was about the uh, YouTube, all your YouTube videos. They wanted they wanted all your YouTube videos, and you just couldn't get them because you're banned. Well, that was part of it. Early yeah. on, they began the process in Connecticut um, and in Texas of threatening to default us. The judge did, it was two different judges, uh, because YouTube had taken us down. Yeah. Um, and Persia, and that was our main archive. And so they subpoenaed, so we want all your YouTube videos. And we said, well, we, we store them here. Plus, they'd already gotten the ones they wanted anyways. And judge said, if you can't find them, I may default you. And then uh, they also, then there was a big controversy that was all over the news. When Twitter froze our account before they banned it, uh, then they sanctioned me saying, you've deleted your tweets. But okay. Twitter had yeah. Twitter had banned us. So that uh, was, I mean, what are you going to do about that? Well, technically, we didn't give them discovery. Yeah. Which isn't true. We gave them more discovery than anybody's ever done in a defamation case. During their prosecution, I mean, where I couldn't yeah. defend myself, hearing in damages in Texas and Connecticut, already found guilty. You see all my emails, all my text messages, cherry picked, yeah. all of it, but we didn't give them anything. I get frustrated because you hear so many people when they bring this up, it's always about, oh, what he said, what he said. And it's never about, is this his First Amendment right to say this? Well, that's right. I mean, Trump's been censored off the internet, Kanye West. Uh, now PayPal said we're going to charge $2,500 for anything we don't like, anything we say is yeah, misinformation that they would have made hundreds of billions of dollars. They've backed off for now, but they pick a Louis Farrakhan or an Alex Jones or a Donald Trump that's popular yeah. with some, unpopular with others. And once they've set the precedent to be able to take them down and people put up with it, then it's everybody. And they've admitted that. And again, whether you think I'm the worst guy on earth or not, the judge found I'm guilty. It's a new tactic. In America, judges don't find you guilty, juries do. Yeah. Uh, and so this is their new tactic. They've said it's a new tactic to try to take out Joe Rogan, try to take out Tucker Carlson, uh, Stephen Crowder. Yeah. Uh, and then once they get those guys, they'll get everybody. So this is a desperate power structure, cleaning, clinging to the very you know, vestiges of their power, just, just hanging on by their fingernails. Yeah. And they're in crisis. So this is their, this is their death throes. And so people said, man, I love how you're taking it. You're laughing at it. I'm way more worried about nuclear war in Russia. I'm way more worried about inflation and crime exploding yeah. and open borders and fentanyl deaths and mass suicide sure. and 5G. And again, it's a joke. When my divorce with my ex-wife ended seven years ago, I had $100,000 in the bank, which is not bad. $100,000 in the bank, no property, and she got everything, mm. uh, which wasn't much. But... I had to buy her out of the business. She was a part of the business, but she says I've been married to her for 13 years. Yeah. They said, you got to give her half the value of the business. So I had to pay her close to $10 million. And it took me uh, six years to pay that off. So in those years, I suddenly had to make money. So I was trying to make more money yeah. just to pay off and be able to keep running InfoWars. Listen, enough about Sandy Hook. Everybody always wants to get well, into it. Well, I don't it. even want to mention Sandy Hook. Well, no, 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 I exactly. want to talk about the free speech. Well, they'll lie censor you and say that we said yeah. it didn't happen. I said six years ago, I thought it happened. Four yeah. years ago on Joe Rogan, I apologized. Then they sued me. Yeah. So they always lie. I have people every day when I'm out in the street, we're going to dinner tonight. Okay. And most folks come over and shake our hand. But if 15 people shake our hands, one person will walk over and say, why don't you leave him alone? Yeah. Barely ever talked about him. Didn't say anybody to harass him. Um, sure as hell didn't make money off of it. My audience knows the truth. They know what I said and did. Mm -hmm. But outside of my audience, we're kind of in purgatory. 
But just to get back to the SH thing, not, not to, to, I just want to wrap it up with, we need unpopular speech. We need that to be protected. Especially in this day and age where like anybody can say anything and have a mob. Remember the old days, the ACLU would march yeah. for the right of the KKK. I mean, this is a liberal view. Yeah. I mean, I'm classical liberal. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it seems like classical liberals are kind of getting pushed outside of uh, the Democratic Party now because they've gone so... Well, look at Tulsi Gabbard. She said, this is a power cult of warmongering crises. Yeah. I cut my teeth attacking George W. Bush and people. Uh, I mean, I don't like the Republican neocons. Yeah. Yeah. But the Democrats are so horrible that even compared to the blue blood... Country club Republicans, uh, you know, that makes them look good. I mean, that's a frightening prospect. So it's not like I moved the Republicans. Yeah. The Democrats moved into such psychotic cult level behavior that I'm like, I don't like the Republicans either, but my God, you people yeah. are, you know. Yeah, I mean, they loved you when you were attacking Bush. And now well, you're that's how they got him. upset because it is true that they boosted our algorithm. But but how that worked is if something was getting clicks, they boosted it. Yeah. So I had InfoWars and syndicated radio pushing the YouTube. So it's not like YouTube wrote it. For me, yeah. it was if something's already getting a bunch of clicks, it explodes. Yeah. YouTube is such a, a, a strange place these days. Like, I've seen my views just, as my channel blew up, my views just went nowhere. It was weird because all of a sudden I had an extra 150,000 subscribers, but getting less views than what well, I had. how it works is you have to get on the phone with their vice presidents. Yeah, exactly. And you've got to uh, begin to get on your knees. Yeah. you got to have a corporation behind you too, right? Because that's, that's what it seems like we get lost in the left and right thing. And it really seems like... The internet kind of opened up. Yeah, left and right is a total distraction. You're yeah. right. It was a wild, wild west for a while. Mm-hmm. Corporations were like, oh my God, this is dominating us. Exactly. So they came in and took it over like record companies. Yeah. You want to see my YouTube award? Yeah. Oh, uh, I, I've seen it. You shot the hell out of I'll it. I'll bring it in here right now. Yeah. This weighs an incredible amount. Oh my God. So we had a million subscribers like 10 years ago. <clears throat> years before the, the platform, they sent us this. So last year, <clears throat> I got to hand it to whatever it's made out of. This is we good. took it out to a, a, a local sh- shooting range, and we started shooting it with 308 and with 30-06 high-powered rounds, and they were bouncing off better than high-quality body armor. So we had to start shooting it with 338 Lapua rounds, which is right below a 50-caliber Barrett to shoot through it. So whatever they made this out of, it's like Superman's skin or something. So you could put it in under your shirt and you basically a little bit of body armor. Yeah, so but but you know we turned it into a work of art here. That's beautiful, man. So they're pretty damn they're pretty damn invincible. I mean that is my kind of art. But yeah, mine wasn't near as big as that. Mine's just a little tiny thing. Mine sucks. Yours isn't as big as that? No, my oh. how big how big is it? It's it's tiny. It's tiny. Tiny little thing. But my I guess because you got the million and I got the hundred thousand. That's right. I mean, we're not, we're not comparing dick size. It's a dick joke. Hey, we like your funny jokes. We're going to give you some clips. Your new studio is like an alien spaceship. Like aliens figure this out or something. But hold, hold, please. But hold, please. You're drunk. Uh, Yeah. Joe, what I want to do is talk to you right now. I want to just say, I love you. Look, look. I need you. Let, let me break down. Are you okay? Let, let me just tell you. Oh, Jesus. I'm biologically a girl. No, is that true? Yep. Come on. Yep. Well, how do we know? Joe, 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 I swear to God, I want to have sex with you. I think you should settle down. There's nothing I want to do more than that. Let's not go down that road. So sexy. This is when it gets good. These are the times that try men's souls. Over the course of our nation's history, the people of America have rallied bravely whenever their rights of men have been threatened. Today, a new crisis has arisen. 
The massively retarded NPC Armageddon, or the MRNA, has been pushed as a burdensome vax on the population under the guise of coof transmission reduction. Citizens, hear me out. This could happen to you. Let me tell you a story of a man named Fauci on a tragic and fateful day. He put millions in his pocket and with Pfizer and Moderna filled the whole world with mRNA. Well, did that jab ever work? Oh no, it never did work. And our fate is still unlearned. What a pity Pfizer lied. We tried to fly the speed of science. It's the jab that never did work. Now all day long, Tony lied on TV stations saying science is run by me. We can't afford even one grandma dying. Say goodbye to your autonomy. Well, did that jab ever work? Oh no, it never did work. And our fate is still unlearned. Good old Fauci Pfizer lied. We tried to find the speed of science. It's the jab that never did work. They bought all the media, they locked Wikipedia, they fired you for thinking straight. Such a blatant conspiracy, they called you delirious, the cult of mRNA. Well, did that jab ever work? Oh no, it never did work. And our fate is still unlearned. Shame and scandal, Pfizer lied, they tried to find the speed of science. It's the jab that never did work. All the NPCs lined up at vaccine stations, proudly playing Big Pharma's game. And when you're through, they'll give you one more booster, and now you'll never get off of that train. Well, did that job ever work? Oh no, it never did work. And our fate is still unlearned. No excuses, Pfizer lied. We tried to fly the speed of science. It's the job that never did work. Tony Fauci will go down as pure abomination with the pussies who pushed it too. Don't forget who was complacent calling rape immunization. No more refunds, your taxes due. Well, did that jab ever work? Oh no, it never did work. And our fate is still unlearned. It's psychotic, Pfizer lie. We tried to fly the speed of science. It's the jab that never did work. Oh, you denizens of Earth, don't you think it's a scandal how they gambled your lives away? Just keep clicking boots and lying, vote for pedos like Joe Biden till you're dying for mRNA. Well, did that jab ever work? Oh no, it never did work. And our fate is still unlearned. We all warned you, Pfizer lied. We tried to fly the speed of science. It's the jab that never did work. It's getting tough to ignore There's more people dying Stop denying there's something wrong And when at last this house of cards collapses Take my hand and let's sing this song Well, did that jab ever work? Oh no, it never did work And our fate is still unlearned Blame germ theory, Pfizer line We tried to fight the speed of science It's the jab that never did work Oh, well, did that jab ever work? Oh no, it never did work And our fate is still unlearned Pfizer lied, we tried to fly the speed of science It's the jab that never did, jab that never did It's the jab that never did work The speed of science 
conspiracy is a story of history. It's the story of plunderers taking care of people who produce. They claim to take care of them through government, which doesn't give you anything. It doesn't take away first. So it's not creating something out of nothing. It's very real what they're doing. They're taking your rights or taking some people's rights and adding more to someone else's rights. If you haven't heard about our Grand Theft World community membership, here are a few of the things you've been missing. A mobile app where you can access replays of the Grand Theft World podcast and show notes. Access to the Grand Theft World community on Discord, where we crowdsource news and resources, and you can contribute to the show. The opportunity to participate in the Grand Theft World bi-weekly town hall. Exclusive content from Richard Grove, including behind-the-scenes footage and future access to unpublished material. 93 episodes of the Peace Revolution podcast, and the Grand Theft World newsletter delivered straight to your inbox each week. If you want to stay ahead of the great game, visit us at grandtheftworld.com, click or tap the button in the top right-hand corner, and join a vibrant community of researchers blazing a new path to truth. We'll see you there.